Heaven is here, if you want it. By Reese's Pieces Chapter 1 Unsolicited Guests Scoring System, abbreviated as UGG Rule Updates Noted with an Amendment Shots with more than three members of the wedding party equals one point per shot. Attend the ceremony equals three points. Shots with the couple equals three points per shot. Dance with a child less than 10 years old or a grandparent equals three points per dance. Participate in a group dance activity, such as a conga line, rock the boat, etc., equals four points per dance. Photo with bride or groom alone equals four points. Wear a conspicuous outfit, as agreed upon by both parties prior to event, equals five points. Photo with the happy couple equals eight points. Catch the bouquet equals 12 points. Hook up with a wedding guest equals 10 points. Amendment August 7, 2016, hook up for the purposes of UGG is defined as any activity that could reasonably be expected to result in an orgasm for one or more participants of said activity. A general member of the wedding party, such as a bridesmaid, usher, etc., equals 15 points. An immediate family member, such as a sibling, parent, adult child, etc., equals 15 points. Amendment October 14, 2018, adult children of the couple are considered to be immediate family members. Amendment October 14, 2018, henceforth, all examples listed in this document are not considered all-inclusive. Hook up with someone with perceived authority over the couple, such as a boss, former teacher, etc., equals 18 points. Hook up with an immediate family member who is in the wedding party equals 20 points. Amendment June 18, 2017, points for hookups are not stackable. All unspecified combinations of hookups with someone who meets multiple point value criteria will be awarded 125% of the highest point value, rounded to the nearest whole number. Hook up with the best man or maid of honor equals 25 points. Perform, thriller, dance in its entirety equals 50 points. Fall in love equals 150 points plus eternal winner, the UGG is over. Notes Note 1, participants must attend the event for a minimum of 3 hours to qualify. Note 2, ejection from the event results in automatic disqualification. Remus glanced up from the book he was reading at the sound of high heels clicking across the marble entrance hall. He was hiding in the office behind the hotel desk, allegedly running occupancy reports but actually just counting down the minutes until he got to punch out. Working the 3 to 11 shift meant there wasn't anyone around to call him on his bullshit, which was exactly why he scheduled himself that way. Whoever had just come in wasn't visible from his chair behind the beat-up IKEA desk. Hopefully the footsteps belonged to his co-worker coming in for the overnight and not some late-arrival guest who was going to bite his head off for the parking ramp being full. Why people always seem to think they could roll into an upscale hotel in central London at 10.45pm and expect a good parking space was beyond him. Lupin. Ah, uh, good. Dorcas. Hey, Meadows. How was court? Dorcas rolled her eyes. We both know I won't see the inside of a courtroom for at least another year. My exam, however, was excruciating. 
Remind me again why I thought I should go to law school after I finished my classics degree. Because the only job that appealed to you when you were done was checking rich assholes into a hotel where a night costs two months' rent, and you're far too ambitious to run forgotten toothbrushes up 14 floors just so some socialite can complain that it's not electric. Even loving me as much as you do couldn't keep you here forever. Dorcas reached up to pat him twice on the cheek, knocking his glasses a little off-kilter. You're not my type, love. So I take it you've had a good day. Remus snorted. That really happened, Cass. I left the desk unattended for ten minutes while I brought it up, and when I got there she said, but I normally use a Sonicare. When I got back down there were four people waiting for me, three of whom bitched about waiting for less than five minutes. I know how long it was, Dorcas, I watched the security footage. Remus narrowed his eyes at Dorcas menacingly, as if she was the one who had the nerve to whinge about a three-minute wait. You actually watched the footage? Dorcas laughed. You are such a petty bitch, and I love that for you. I saw you posted the schedule for next month. I did. A knowing smirk hitched up the left side of Remus's mouth, the harsh fluorescent lighting throwing the scar running from his eyebrow to the corner of his lip into relief. I couldn't help but notice we both are completely off the second weekend in July, she observed. We are. I also couldn't help but notice that there's a rather large event scheduled in the ballroom, and on the terrace, and in the garden that weekend. Dorcas drummed her fingers against her lips and stared into the middle distance, as if trying to piece something together. Don't forget the penthouse. The penthouse is also booked. Right, of course, penthouse too. Seems like kind of a big deal, probably something the desk manager needs to keep an eye on, make sure everything's running smoothly. Dorcas's thoughtful demeanor finally cracked and she cackled. You're so full of shit, Rem, you talked to the wedding planner for three minutes to book the penthouse and set up a block of rooms and haven't thought about it since. Everything is run through events and catering. None of those people would know you from a lamppost. Remus's smirk expanded to an all-out grin. Exactly. They don't know me at all. Wouldn't recognize me if I was a guest at their wedding. So we're on, then, Dorcas confirmed, nodding sharply as she met Remus's eyes. We're putting our livelihoods on the line so we can crash the Potter Evans event in search of glory. Absolutely, Remus agreed. They reached across the desk to shake on it. Remus caught the last tube of the night back to his flat, poured himself a bowl of cereal, and settled in to do a little research. He had suffered an absolutely humiliating loss at the Grossman wedding last autumn, and he was not going to be so readily beaten again. He and Dorcas had been playing this game for six years, shortly after they started at the Astentia together. The youngest front-facing employees at the hotel, hired in their first semester of uni, had bonded over their full-class schedules and the frequent essays involved in their respective English and classics curricula. When the new events planner overbooked the caterer's capacity for an evening, Remus and Dorcas both seized the opportunity to try out serving in exchange for being paid double-time. This evening spent bussing tables and restocking the bar opened their eyes to the possibilities presented by attending a major event at one of the most expensive hotels in London. Gourmet food, an open bar with top-shelf liquor, 
people who booked the Astentia's ballroom had definitely never heard of Beefeater Gin, and B-list celebrity bands were standards for their clientele, and Remus and Dorcas knew their middle-class backgrounds would bar them from ever actually being invited to this echelon of party. Thus the unsolicited guest game was born. What started as a lark when they both had an evening off quickly evolved into a full-fledged game of strategy and daring. The goal was to get as close as possible, spend as much time as possible with the couple and their entourage while avoiding detection. There were official rules, a written document with additions and amendments, and a scoring spreadsheet. And the last time they played, Dorcas had won with a pathetic score of 7 points, dance with a child, participate in group dance activity, because Remus was ejected from the event within 20 minutes for bumping into the family wedding photos table, knocking half of them over, and breaking two frames. She'd gloated the next day that she was home in bed before 10. But not this time. No, Remus was going to be prepared. He was going to be so fun, so charming, so fucking one of them that those rich wankers wouldn't know what hit them. Remus opened his web browser and googled Lily Evans and James Potter wedding website, and clicked the top Zola link. A simple, classy page loaded, topped by a candid photo of a couple mid-joke. They were looking at each other, the freckled, red-haired woman's nose scrunching as she giggled while her wild-haired, russet-skinned fiancé smiled at her broadly, his mouth agape. His hand was on her hip while hers gripped his forearm, each unconsciously pulling the other closer. The photo's lighting was less than ideal, casting shadows across the couple's bodies, and they were clearly standing in a crowd at a pub or a concert. Remus raised his eyebrows. Using a photo taken by a friend instead of a professional engagement shoot. That was, unusual for a wedding at the Astentia, to say the very least. He navigated to the schedule and lodging tabs to confirm that yes, this was the correct Evans slash Potter wedding. Ha! Huh. He returned to the home page and scrolled to read the Our Story section. James, the moment I met Lily Evans, I knew we were going to be together forever. She was brilliant, empathetic, passionate, tough, and a total smoke show. She never took any of my shit and made me strive to be a better man. We started dating after I enrolled in an organic chemistry class I didn't need and was way too hard for me, hoping we'd be in the same lab so I could spend time with her. Fortunately for me, we were not only in the same section but were assigned to be partners. After months of labs, tutoring, and more, I think we have great chemistry, jokes than she would care to count, she agreed to give me a chance. We've been together through two degrees, a grueling immigration process, and the birth of our beautiful son. I wake up every morning excited to make her laugh and see our family grow. Lily, I love you and I'm going to remind you how much every day for the rest of our lives. Lily, when I met James Potter, I thought he was a spoiled, entitled asshole, Remus snorted. I had just moved to Edinburgh from Wisconsin and lived in the Gryffindor dorm. During our first encounter, he was sneaking a few drops of red dye in the fabric softener dispenser on my floor's washing machine. I was, understandably, furious that he was going to ruin my clothes and demanded he make amends to every person who was impacted by his prank. After refusing to let him take me out for an apology dinner, I avoided him like the plague. Then we coincidentally wound up as lab partners in organic chemistry. 
He was completely hopeless, so I took pity on him and agreed to be his tutor. Spending hours together at his flat, watching him support his friends, listening to the loving way he spoke to his parents on the phone, and being awed by how passionate he was about the impact he could make with his social work career made me see I had judged him too quickly. By the end of the term, I was madly in love with him. This love has only grown through our relationship, especially when we had Harry, watching him slowly shape our son into a confident, compassionate person is the most exciting thing I've ever experienced. James is the kindest, funniest, and most inspiringly idealistic man I have ever known. He softens my sharp edges and makes me see there's fun in everything, as long as you care to look. I can't wait to grow old and gray with him. It was depressingly rare for the couples getting married in the weddings he and Dorcas attended to be genuinely affectionate, most of them primarily seemed concerned with appearances and having the perfect day. The Evans Potters looked like they'd be happy getting married in the alley behind a pub, so long as they were together. Remus clicked over to the wedding party tab and found the couple each in a photo with a stunningly attractive member of the wedding party. The groom was pictured in rugby gear, filthy and beaming, with a porcelain-skinned man with dark hair tied in a loose bun, tattoos on his alabaster forearms, and the highest cheekbones Remus had ever seen. Serious Black, James's platonic soul mate read the caption. Something about his name pricked at Remus's brain, he felt like he should recognize it. The maid of honor had her cheek squished against the bride's, the tight grip they had on each other's shoulders just visible at the bottom of the frame. She was a beautiful woman with glowing onyx skin, naturally coiled hair reaching her collarbones, and a piercing stare as she looked directly into the camera. This one said Mary MacDonald, icon. After the best man and maid of honor were photos of a fair-haired, fair-skinned man being held in place with a headlock so James could plant a kiss on his pink, clearly drunk, cheek, Peter Pettigrew, social butterfly, and a willowy, sunburned blonde giving an equally sunburned lily a piggyback ride, Marlene McKinnon, actual human ray of sunshine. The wedding party was rounded out by Frank Longbottom, the dad friend, a tall, broad man with dirty blonde hair and round blue eyes, and his wife Alice, the mum friend, a short, round-faced woman with a bright smile. Finally, Remus navigated to the registry tab, where he found an absolute embarrassment of riches. Remus was skint, not feral, so he always brought a gift, usually a set of kitchen spatulas. They were reliably in Remus's budget, practical, and boring enough that no one ever bothered to hunt down who gave the unmarked present. This registry was not cooperating with his usual plan. It started off nobly, a request to donate to mermaids, a charity for gender-diverse children, or Safe Lives, an organization with the goal of ending domestic abuse. After that, though, it was largely so impractical Remus suspected the couple was trying to push people to donate. First was the home decor, a pair of carved wooden figures, a stag and a giraffe. Why on earth are a stag and a giraffe a pair? They live in completely different habitats and have nothing to do with each other. What, exactly, made them a matched set? Remus was baffled. Also, they were comically large. The giraffe was 2 meters tall, and the stag's antlers measured 1.5 meters across. Also also, why would anyone want 3,500-pound wooden animals that don't do anything and could kill you if they fell over? 
truly a ridiculous request. The next item that caught Remus's attention was a dinosaur onesie in a men's size extra large. He snorted. There he could at least see the appeal, though he wasn't entirely sure a wedding registry was the place to ask for 25-pound triceratops pajamas. The ludicrous list continued. Very practical, 20-pound sets of sage-green bath towels were listed right next to a 400-pound sheer, floor-length robe trimmed in black ostrich feathers. A set of 700 thread-count Egyptian cotton sheets, 500 pounds. A marble cheese board, 245 pounds. A pair of crystal wine glasses from Harrods, 250 pounds. Oreo double-stuffed biscuits, 1 pound and 20 pence. Remus burst into hysterical laughter. Between the widow robe and the biscuits, seriously, who registers for biscuits, they clearly had a sense of humor. Still laughing, he made a modest donation to mermaids and purchased both requested packages of Oreos. He spent some time checking out the group's Facebook and Instagram pages, trying to build himself a background story. James seemed to spend most of his free time at rugby, either for himself or coaching their son. That avenue was clearly out. Lily was frequently tagged in posts about a book club, which seemed like a more viable option. Remus looked through a few posts, ensuring none of the others were tagged in that group, and confirmed the only familiar name was Lily's. He clicked around a little more, curious about this odd couple who seemed so relaxed while simultaneously booking the most expensive venue available to people who weren't literal royalty. There were a lot of vacation photos, with Lily's family in America and Alice's family in Thailand and Marlene's family in Monaco. He fell down the deep rabbit hole of Mary's Instagram, which was a master class in PR and social media marketing via parasocial relationships. She seemed to be a model of some sort, almost all of her posts were tagged as ads, but when Remus emerged an hour later, he had the impression that he knew her quite well despite not being able to list one actual personal detail about her. There were copious pictures of their son, Harry. With James and Lily, with his junior rugby team, with Sirius and Marlene, with Frank and Alice's little boy, the unfortunately named Neville. Remus noticed a conspicuous absence of Sirius's name on everything, though the man himself was frequently present. His mind was still reaching, searching for Sirius Black. His name felt so familiar. Had he stayed at the hotel before? Did he maybe go to grad school at Remus's campus? There was something, Remus just couldn't figure out what. He sighed in frustration, opened a new browser window, and typed Sirius Black in the search bar. He scrolled until he neared the bottom of the first page of search results, where he saw a link to a newspaper article in his university's paper. Ah, uni. That must be it. He clicked the link, pulling up an article from six years before Remus started school. It was about the new wing for the College of Business, funded by a large donation from Orion Black. Halfway through the article was a photo of a tall, dark-haired man, a pale, severe-faced woman, and two teenage boys. The caption read, The funding for the Arcturus Black Wing was funded by Orion Black, pictured here with his wife Walburga and son Sirius and Regulus. Remus paused, looking at the decade-old photo. Sirius was sullen-faced in a tight-necked suit, 
standing a little apart from the rest of his family and glowering at the camera. This kid was a far cry from the laughing, joyful man he'd seen in pictures with James Potter. He wasn't sure why, but Remus felt his heart tug on his behalf. He must have grown up pampered, having the best of everything, new university buildings didn't come cheap. Still, he looked absolutely miserable in a way that seemed to run deeper than uncomfortable clothes or a spoiled disposition. Remus shut his laptop with a sharp snap, shaking the thoughts loose from his head. These people would probably barely notice he was even there, he didn't need to worry himself about the emotional state of a man he'd never met. This was for fun, a dare on steroids. No need to get overly invested. Chapter 2 Remus generally preferred working the evening shift, he was a night owl by nature, and he liked having less oversight after all the 9-to-5 bosses went home. In the first week after his promotion to front desk manager, he realized most of the extra work was combining reports and making the schedule. He was good with spreadsheets and more or less automated the reporting that was supposed to be the bulk of his new job. In less than three months, he'd become so efficient he could basically pursue his own interests for the majority of his shifts. He never told anyone but Dorcas about it, of course, since he wasn't an idiot, and from that point on he spent most of his work hours reading and staring blankly at his laptop as he tried to dredge up ideas for a book. The Wednesday before the Evans-slash-Potter event, Remus came in at the start of his 3-11 shift and was thrown into the middle of a rush. He spent the first two hours checking in guests as rapidly as possible, stopping only to occasionally answer the phone or run a fresh set of towels upstairs. Finally at 5.30, the marble lobby was cleared and he had a chance to sit down. He had just settled in and started his reporting program when the desk phone rang. Ostentia Hotel Desk, how may I serve you, he asked, rolling his eyes at the implied subjugation in the required greeting. Hello, good afternoon, this is James Potter, I'm supposed to check into the Windsor Suite tomorrow, said a deep voice on the other end of the line. I'm wondering if you'd be able to do me a favor before we get there. Remus pushed up his glasses to rub at the bridge of his nose. Of course they were going to want a giant bowl of only green M&Ms or something. We're certainly happy to accommodate every possible request. How may I be of assistance? He could hear snickering in the background as James said. I know this is inconvenient, and I apologize, but do you have any of those really big fans that you could put in our room? You know, the ones they used to cool ballrooms and gymnasiums? Remus raised a skeptical eyebrow at the odd request. Mr. Potter, I assure you, we are a state-of-the-art hotel, and the comfort of our guests is our priority. If you find the temperature of your room isn't to your liking, there is a thermostat you can use to increase the air conditioning. Mm-hmm, no, we'd really feel better having the fans around, we run really hot. It's just for our peace of mind, James said hesitantly as the giggling increased in volume. Plus, I really sleep better with the sound of a fan running. At this Remus heard a barking laugh from James's end of the phone, and he couldn't contain his own snort. Sure, Mr. Potter, I'll be happy to supply one for you. Actually, James replied sheepishly. Do you have more than one? I was thinking more like, erm, four. Four. Remus nearly shouted, incredulous. 
Remus wasn't even sure the hotel had four. Er, sorry. I mean, I'll get those delivered to your room prior to check-in. Thank you so much, James said, barely containing his own giggling at this point. I know this is an unusual request, so I really appreciate you going out of your way to make this possible. It will really improve our stay. My pleasure, Mr. Potter. Always happy to help. Remus hung up the phone and checked if anyone was staying in the Windsor suite that night. Thankfully it was unoccupied, so he could get this stupid project taken care of and get back to his evening of glaring at an empty document. He called maintenance but no one answered, that department went on call at 5 o'clock so he was out of luck. Emmeline was here for another 15 minutes, then he was alone until Dorcas got here at 11 o'clock. Damn it, he was going to have to hurry. Em, I'm running upstairs, he called to the girl surreptitiously scrolling through her phone at the desk and headed toward the elevators. After grabbing a housekeeping cart and crossing his fingers it'd be big enough, he headed for the supply closet near the main ballrooms and managed to wrangle two fans on his cart. Dangerously at risk of tipping over, he grumbled as he brought the initial stash to the Windsor suite. 4. Four of these fucking things. What are those arseholes trying to do, make themselves a bloody hurricane? Housekeeping is going to lose their goddamn minds if they blow glitter all over the place or some shit, fucking four. Remus placed the two giant fans on the floor of the suite's living room and proceeded to spend the next ten minutes on a scavenger hunt trying to find two more of the huge bastards. After he found fan number four hiding in the hotel pool, the gym he'd expected, but it took three other tries before he thought of the bloody pool, and dropped the second set off in the penthouse, Emmeline had already stayed ten minutes late to cover for him. Thanks so much, M. Any trouble while I was gone? No, just a couple who wanted a recommendation for dinner and a wake-up call for room 213. Who still gets a wake-up call in 2022? Sir, you have a cell phone, set an alarm like everyone else. Remus laughed and bid Emmeline good night, then went back to his desk. He finished his reports, started the schedule for the next rotation, and continued not writing. He spent the next several hours alternating between staring into space, reading his book, and checking in a few stragglers. Finally, he heard footsteps echoing in the high-ceilinged lobby and glanced at the clock, 11.03. You're late, Meadows, he called. You're an arsehole, Lupin. Dorcas responded. She reached the office and settled in the hard-seated chair across from him. I was busy. And by busy, I mean snooping on Betty and Dorothea's Caribbean cruise. They look like they're having a great time. I commented on one of their pictures and they told me to tell you hello, by the way. Who are Betty and Dorothea? Your aunts. Why would they say hello to me? Am I supposed to know these women? Honestly, Rem, you're so rude, Dorcas chided, rolling her big brown eyes. They're the lesbian couple from three summers ago who clocked us but let us stay anyway because their son had the hots for you, remember? Oh yeah, Jason. Remus sighed, glazed look crossing his face. He was a lot of fun. Wonder what he's up to. Got married, I think. Probably couldn't do it here because he was afraid to run into a former hookup. Wouldn't want his husband to get jealous, 
Dorcas snickered. Mm, what a shame. We met up a couple times after that, you know. Always had a good time. Remus smiled distractedly, then shook off his reverie. What's the plan for this weekend? I assume you'll be going for conspicuous points. Baby, you know how good I look in gold sequins, Dorcas winked. You going to go to the wedding? Yeah, it just seems respectful if I'm going to invite myself to drink their booze and eat their food, right? What about you? Dorcas shook her head then snorted. Sure, right, respectful, that's what all this is. Have you looked at their site at all? Dorcas shrugged. A little. I noticed the Oreos were purchased from the gift registry. Wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? Remus smiled sheepishly and shrugged. So I'll see you at happy hour, then. Have a good night working and definitely not reading law textbooks, Cass. You too, Rem, have fun steaming the only suit you own. Remus flipped her off over his shoulder as he headed for the tube. Remus arrived in the Astentia's garden at 1.15 the day of the ceremony dressed in his best, and only, suit, purchased specifically for this purpose. It was more tightly fitted than most of Remus's clothes and an inoffensive navy blue. He'd even made the effort to wear his contacts, which irritated his eyes to no end but felt more formal for a wedding. Remus always took the risk of attending the wedding ceremony itself. Dorcas, with her gregarious personality and her enigmatic smile, her glowing umber skin and shining eyes, tended to draw attention whether or not that was her goal. She was smart and had a sharp sense of humor that she employed liberally, often leading to the strangers around her seeking out her conversation. In short, showing up at a wedding ceremony when everyone was still sober put her at risk of discovery. Remus, with his average looks and his average personality and his slightly above-average height, was very capable of becoming wallpaper, and attending the ceremony gave him a two-point head start before Dorcas could literally get her foot in the door. She, in retaliation, always leaned into her tendency to draw attention and immediately racked up five points with a striking outfit. Remus placed his gift on the table and picked up a program from the white wicker basket. He edged toward the outside aisle, he was hoping to pick a seat in the back third where nobody would notice a stranger in the crowd. The rooftop garden had been set up with no fewer than 200 cane-back chairs, lined in neat rows facing the Thames. The bare aisle led to a large champagne gold hoop with eucalyptus and cream peonies covering the section of the arch that would be behind the bride, hovering around her head like a halo. Bride or groom, asked a quiet voice to his right, startling him. Remus turned and made eye contact with a dark-haired, grey-eyed man with unusually delicate features. He definitely hadn't been on the wedding website, but it couldn't be anyone but Sirius's brother. Remus couldn't remember his name, he just remembered a second teenager in that picture in the school newspaper article. Bri, bride, please, Remus stuttered. He furtively glanced at his program, Usher, Regulus Black, friend of the groom. Actually, it's fine, I can seat myself. Thank you, Regulus. Mm, the usher hummed, flicking his eyes critically up and down Remus's body, making him squirm. Bride's side is to the left. Remus took his seat, narrowly avoiding the flower arrangement tied to the end chair, 
glanced through his program, and looked around at the gathered crowd as a string quartet played arrangements of pop love songs. It was unusually casual for a wedding at the Astentia, Remus was pretty sure he could sneak out and take off his tie and still fit in with the other guests. The bride's side was rapidly filling with excited Americans, pointing toward the eye in Westminster Palace, as well as Lily's co-workers and local friends who were looking at the tourists in amusement. The groom's side was full of friends from work and childhood, as well as a plethora of extended family members chattering away about the Mendy party the previous evening. As the clock hit 1.30, the quartet started to play Sixpence None the Richer's, Kiss Me, and a smiling woman with ash-blonde hair and freckles was escorted to her seat in the front row by a man with thinning auburn hair. They were closely followed by a pursed-lipped woman, a large man with a truly extravagant mustache, and a pink-faced little boy scratching the back of his neck as he tugged at his suit. When the bride's family had taken their seats, the groom, dressed in a heavily embroidered dove gray shirwani with a blue turban, escorted his mother and father to their seats in the front row and took his position at the altar. The quartet segued neatly into Love You, Till the End, and Frank and Alice led the wedding procession down the aisle. They waved at their son, who was sitting on the lap of a woman with a garish hat, as they passed. The little boy managed to wiggle free of his keeper and chase them up the aisle to the sound of a few chuckles, Alice smiled broadly as she picked him up and propped him on her hip. She kissed the top of his head, laughing, as he seemed to realize he'd placed himself in front of a crowd and shyly buried his face in her shoulder. After the family was settled at the front of the garden, Marlene, dressed in a tailored peacock blue suit with a mostly sheer shirt underneath, was accompanied up the aisle by a blushing Peter. The henna on her hands was stark against her pale skin, the pattern clear from Remus's seat. Oh, Dorcas was going to love her, she was gorgeous, bold, and smiling so broadly Remus's cheeks hurt just looking at her. Marlene nudged Peter, winking as they parted at the altar, and the best man and maid of honor appeared behind the guests. They both carried themselves with the easy confidence of people who were accustomed to being looked at, smiles natural and relaxed, comfortable with the attention. Mary MacDonald's dusty blue dress was simple, with a high neck with a little flare at her knees, and no embellishment but the seams holding it together. She kept the rest of her look simple as well, with her hair pinned back loosely, a pair of thin gold bars dangling from short chains in her earlobes, and a golden cuff tight around her left ear's helix. Her hands had Mendy applied, the henna spiraling across the backs of her hands up to her wrists. She was stunning, and her beauty was only enhanced by how little adornment she wore. Walking by her side was Sirius in an indigo suit with black leather lapels, pulling tight across his broad shoulders, and his black shirt was unbuttoned far enough to reveal twisting branches of a tattoo across his left collarbone. His long hair was pulled into a messy bun at the top of his head, and a smirk was visible as he leaned over to whisper something in his partner's ear to make her laugh. She glanced around the crowd, eyes meeting Remus's for a flash, and murmured something back, which turned his smirk into a grin. He arched his eyebrow, and oh. Oh, he was beautiful. Remus felt his pulse immediately race, and he spent several breaths counting in 234, out 234 because really, he couldn't have a panic attack over the best man, it'd be so embarrassing, he'd probably die of shame on the spot. The entire bloody cast of Thor, 
Ragnarok stayed in his hotel for their London press tour for fuck's sake, he brought Tessa Thompson extra towels, he could handle this. As Sirius hugged the groom and took his place beside him, the quartet changed again to Here Comes the Sun. The guests stood and Remus finally managed to tear his eyes away from Sirius, turning to focus on the bride as she was given away by her son. She was dressed in a floaty dress, heavily beaded on the top with draped strands of pearls instead of sleeves. Her shining copper hair was in a wide, loose braid woven with blue flowers over her right shoulder, her bindi settling between her eyebrows. There were beautiful patterns swirled on her freckled hands, up her fair forearms, and visible on her feet and ankles where they kicked from beneath her skirt. Stacks of red and white bracelets lined her wrists. She held her son, nearly identical to his father in his grey shirwani, by the hand as they walked together toward the altar. Remus glanced to the front to see James wiping frantically at his eyes through a smile that lit up his entire face. Behind him, Sirius was biting his bottom lip as he placed a steadying hand on James's back. As she neared the front of the aisle, Lily's steps sped up almost imperceptibly and James shuffled in her direction, two magnets unable to stop themselves from pulling together. They met just in front of the groom's parents, James grabbing his son's free hand on one side as he pulled his future wife into a hug on the other. They walked hand in hand to stand before the altar, golden hoop framing a joyous family portrait. The officiant, a stern-looking woman dressed in judge's robes, gestured for the guests to be seated. Officiant, Judge Minerva McGonagall, friend of the groom Red Remus's program. Welcome, everyone to the long-awaited union of James Potter and Lily Evans. We'll begin the ceremony with some readings chosen by the couple. She cleared her throat and paused before beginning. I can listen no longer in silence. I must speak to you by such means as are within my reach. You pierce my soul. I am half agony, half hope. That seemed like an odd choice, thought Remus, though based on the description of the beginning of their relationship, it seemed to suit James's pining. Remus, though he'd be hard-pressed to admit it to anyone else, really enjoyed weddings. Not normally the ones he and Dorcas attended, most of those were marriages between self-absorbed people who got married because it improved their image, because it was expected of them, because if they didn't marry this one they'd be almost forty and wouldn't have photographic evidence of their perfect late twenties to hang in their home forever. The real weddings, those of his cousins, his childhood friends, even Betty and Dorothea, always filled him with warmth, replacing his heart and his stomach with a syrupy goo that made his breath catch and his eyes sting. Remus locked his feelings away so deeply he couldn't even find them most of the time. Like the open ocean, like the concept of outer space, marriage was simply too big. The amount of vulnerability and intimacy marriage entailed was panic-inducing. The idea of a lifetime commitment, waking up every day and trusting someone who knew him better than he knew himself to think he was enough, was a kind of bravery Remus really couldn't begin to fathom. Watching two people look at each other the way James and Lily were made him feel like a different species, Jane Goodall among the chimps, trying to figure out what he was missing that made this all seem so impossible. He felt happy, yes, curious, definitely, but also, weddings like this made him feel profoundly alone. After the judge finished the Austin letter, she moved on to an excerpt from Richard Bach's The Bridge Across Forever. 
Their son began to grow restless and tugged on James's hand. James leaned over as he whispered in his ear, James met his eyes and nodded, granting his request. The little boy shuffled over to Sirius, who immediately wrapped an arm around Harry's shoulder and pulled Harry's back against his hip. The final reading, From One Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, followed, then McGonagall nodded at James. The couple will now recite vows they have chosen. James bit his bottom lip nervously and took in a deep, shaking breath before meeting Lily's eyes and saying. You cannot possess me for I belong to myself, but while we both wish it, I give you that which is mine to give. You cannot command me, for I am a free person, but I shall serve you in those ways you require, and the honeycomb will taste sweeter coming from my hand. I pledge to you that yours will be the name I cry aloud in the night and the eye into which I smile in the morning. I pledge you the first bite from my meat and the first drink from my cup. I pledge to you my living and dying, equally in your care, and tell no strangers our grievances. This is my wedding vow to you. This is a marriage of equals. He beamed, the sun personified, as he wiped his eyes behind his glasses. McGonagall nodded to Lily, who spoke clearly and confidently. You cannot possess me for I belong to myself, but while we both wish it, I give you that which is mine to give. You cannot command me, for I am a free person, but I shall serve you in those ways you require, and the honeycomb will taste sweeter coming from my hand, she sniffled as her eyes began to tear. I pledge to you that yours will be the name I cry aloud in the night and the eye into which I smile in the morning. I pledge you the first bite from my meat and the first drink from my cup. I pledge to you my living and dying, equally in your care, and tell no strangers our grievances. This is my wedding vow to you. This is a marriage of equals. Mr. Black, the rings, the judge prompted, and Sirius, blinking rapidly, removed his hand from where it was resting on Harry's chest to dig in his left pocket. A momentary look of panic crossed his face, prompting a sharp eyebrow raise from Lily. Sirius grinned at her, tongue just visible between his teeth, and he presented the rings to James as the right side of Lily's mouth lifted and she shook her head. Sirius handed the pair of rings to the officiant, who handed one to James. James took Lily's hand in both of his own and raised it to his lips, then splayed out her fingers as he slid her wedding ring into place. I give you this ring as a reminder that we face this world together, as an unbreakable team. Remus watched Sirius and Marlene make eye contact and look away as they bit back their laughter while Peter rolled his eyes. The exchange repeated as Lily gave James his ring, she, too, suddenly seemed to be barely containing fond exasperation with her husband. Marriage is more than a set of rings, an exchange of vows, or a piece of paper. It is a commitment to choose each other every single day. It's about love and like, passion and companionship, comfort and growth. May you spend many more joyful years together. I now pronounce you married. You may kiss. Lily's hands immediately cradled James's face as his arms slid around her waist, both of their eyes closing as they pressed together so closely their noses wrinkled. James tightened his grip and picked Lily up, never breaking the kiss as he spun her in a slow circle while the guests clapped politely and Marlene let out a shrill whistle. When he set her down, she tilted her head back with a pretty peal of laughter. 
They beckoned Harry back over from his position next to Sirius and peppered his face with kisses. Remus stood with the rest of the guests as the newly married couple proceeded down the aisle, holding hands and resplendent in their joy. As he watched them accept congratulations and bone-crushing hugs from their friends and family, Remus felt a pang of envy. Chapter 3 Remus spent 45 minutes hiding in the housekeeping closet on the same floor as the main ballroom. Nobody would come in here, it was too late for cleaning supplies and too early to replace the loo roll, and he couldn't go sit in the employee break room at the risk of being caught by his boss. Remus and Dorcas weren't the only ones who made themselves feel welcome at Ostentia guests' events. Far from it. It was well known among catering staff that if they kept a low profile and didn't flaunt their attendance in front of management, nobody would narc on a waiter who overstayed their shift, and Caradoc at the bar would keep the pores heavy for the entire evening. Tacit approval was different from full-out endorsement, though, so Remus was left sitting on an upturned bucket, tie in his jacket pocket, for nearly an hour before he went back to rejoin the party. He settled in with a book on his phone while he waited and sent Cass a thumbs up when she texted to ask if her sparkling gold dress met the criteria for conspicuous. When enough time had passed that the people likely to kick up a fuss would also have enough of a buzz to not notice the unknown straggler, he left his broom cupboard and went to select his identity for the evening. Most of the guests had already arrived at the reception, leaving ten options for names. His fingers hovered hesitantly before settling on Jonas Adams, one of three remaining cards at table four. Oh, hello. Fancy seeing you here, Dorcas glanced quickly at the navy card in his hand. Jonas. Her long braids were in a half-up style, the top pinned in a complicated knot. Her eyelids shimmered gold to match her dress, and her lips were painted burnt sienna. She looked around the room, matching table numbers up with the leftover cards before snatching up a dusty blue card. Ah, perfect, she crowed, showing Remus the card for Cassandra Meyer at table 9. Remus raised an eyebrow at her. Cassandra? So you're going to go by Cass all night? That's pretty bold, even for you. Bold is the name of the game, Adams, she said with a smirk. Speaking of bold, how ballsy is it to RSVP for a wedding and then not show up? It's just so incredibly rude, I can't believe it happens every time. Remus snorted. I know. The gall. Dorcas glanced around the room, then nearly shrieked. Oh my god, is that Mary MacDonald? Apparently her comfortable win in the last round made her lazy, if she'd have done her research she would have known about Mary. Amateur. Remus followed her gaze to where the stunning woman was laughing with a handsome black man with a golden hoop through one ear. Yeah, she's the maid of honor. Who is she? Should I know her? Dorcas rolled her eyes. I know you don't usually read anything published after 1935, but how do you not know who Mary MacDonald is? She's one of the most iconic models of the decade, have you seriously never heard of her? Who are these people? How do they know her? And Kingsley is here, too? How did we even get past the door for this wedding? No idea, Remus shrugged. They don't seem all that concerned with security, and I, for one, am grateful. What do you think the navy card means?
hopefully not the salmon. God, I loathe salmon. Beggars can't be choosers, Lupin, you just gotta take what you get. Now Shu, I'm off to stake my claim on a chair at fifteen and I can't have you blow my cover. Fifteen. Your card is for nine. Based on the very few empty glasses but the apparent comfort of the people sitting there, it's probably a bunch of James or Lily's co-workers. If I tell them the man next to me at nine was a creep, they'll let me sit with them and everyone else will assume I'm a colleague, too. Later, Jonas. Remus's jaw dropped as she walked away. That was, genius, actually. God, Dorcas was going to absolutely stomp him again, wasn't she? Remus meandered to his table, saying friendly hellos to people he met but not stopping to chat or draw any attention to himself. He set down his place card, hung his coat over the back of his chair, and went to get a drink. I've been wondering where you got to, said a low voice in his ear as he leaned against the bar. Remus's eyebrows twitched together in confusion as he turned. I had to run to my room for a minute, get my, oh. Hi, he breathed as his gaze connected with a pair of striking pewter eyes beneath heavy brows. He felt his mouth start to lift into a stupid smile completely involuntarily. God, this is embarrassing. Well, I'm glad you're back. I was worried I wouldn't get to introduce myself when you disappeared after the wedding. Serious Black, best man and brother of the groom. He offered a broad hand for Remus to shake and raised his eyebrows encouragingly when Remus continued to stare dazedly at him for several seconds. Oh. Re. Right. Jonas Adams. Nice to meet you, Remus stuttered as he shook his hand, brain still short-circuiting. Sirius had removed his jacket and rolled up his shirt sleeves, revealing toned forearms covered in twisting black tattoos and thick, dark hair. God, he was just beautiful. Remus wanted to lick him. Sirius smirked at him, eyes traveling lazily down his body and back up to meet his eyes. Nice to meet you too. How do you know James and Lily? I'm surprised they kept you from me. Normally they jump at the chance to introduce me to handsome eligible bachelors. Remus blushed. Kind of you to assume I'm eligible, he grumbled through his awkwardness. I'm sorry, it was somewhere between the coming in alone, the single spot at the table, the lack of wedding ring. Who are you here with, then? Boyfriend? Girlfriend? Mistress, he asked suggestively, looking around the room as he sipped his beer. No, I, I'm here alone, Remus responded, blushing deeper. It was just the assumption I wasn't overly enthusiastic about. Mm-hmm, lucky me, then. Less competition, Sirius hummed. You never did say. How do you know the couple? Remus glanced around the room, making sure neither party was nearby to refute his claim. I'm in Lily's book club, he said. Oh, I didn't realize Lily was close to anyone in her book club, she doesn't talk about it much. Well, you know those book club types. Bunch of pretentious twats, Remus said with a shrug and a wink. Sirius let out a loud, barking laugh as he eyed Remus with something that felt like approval. At that moment, the maid of honor approached Sirius from behind and slid her arms around his waist, resting her chin on his shoulder. Hey Black, who's your friend, 
she crooned as her date joined the group. Mary, Kingsley, this is Jonas Adams. Jonas, Mary MacDonald and Kingsley Shacklebolt, Sirius introduced. Jonas is in Lily's book club. Book club, huh? Well, that makes sense, you've always liked a nerd, she teased. Sirius gave her a gentle elbow and shrugged her off his shoulder. What? You have, she cried indignantly, starting to laugh. There was Benji the future lawyer, and Michael the chemistry teacher, and who could forget the awkward semester you juggled four engineering students in that car class you took. Sirius rolled his eyes. Automotive engineering, he corrected. Yeah, because that makes my point invalid, Mary shot back. You should have seen him, Jonas, it was a work of art. He'd leave a study date at 3 for a supper date at 6, then meet up with the casual hookup at a pub by 9.30. They were all in the same class and they never found out. Sirius, looking a bit self-conscious, sighed. Yes, well, that was a long time ago, and they all dated each other at some point too. Engineering students tend not to get out much. Besides, I'm not the one dating the polycyan econ double major econ master's youngest ever advisor to the prime minister, so I don't feel like you have much room to talk about liking nerds. Remus raised his eyebrows at Kingsley, who are these people, who just shrugged good-naturedly and said, guilty. He's a catch, I know, Mary preened, then latched herself onto Remus's arm. Come, let me tell you about the time Sirius didn't call a barista back and he had to avoid the campus coffee shop for six months because they'd only serve him decaf. Sirius tilted his head back, as if asking the heavens what he had done to deserve punishment via Mary MacDonald, and said. Well, if we're doing this, I need to be drunker. Shots, anyone? Tequila. Oh, go on then, Mary grinned devilishly, and Remus nodded. Mary waved Marlene over, and Sirius suddenly shot his arm out to snag a groomsman on the way by. Shots, Pete, he asked. The blonde man shrugged good-naturedly and nodded. The bartender set up five shots while the group licked their hands and poured a little salt so it stuck. Remus tapped his glass with the group as he made eye contact with a murderous Dorcas across the room. They drank, and Remus set his glass back down on the counter. Thanks, Doc, he acknowledged the bartender with a nod. You're welcome, sir, Caradoc replied pointedly. You have a good night, now. They cleared the bar area, Mary and Marlene whispering to each other as Sirius and Kingsley chatted. The blonde groomsman immediately claimed Remus's attention. Hey, I'm Peter, he introduced himself. And you are. Jonas, friend of Lily's from book club. Nice to meet you, Remus replied. Peter gave Remus a quick once-over, smiling benignly all the while. Book club, huh? What are you reading? Remus mentally cast around, panicked. Uh, Tess of D'Urberville. Thomas Hardy, he said, internally cringing as the words left his mouth. Why would he pick that, of all books? Never read it. How was it? Fucking terrible, actually, thanks for asking. It's a miserable story. We're never letting Donna pick again, no matter how much she insists it's a classic. Peter laughed. How do you all know each other? 
school, right? Peter nodded. Yeah, James, Sirius, and I were all roommates at boarding school as kids. Frank was a couple years older, James pretty much idolized him. Marlene went to Hogwarts with us and we all wound up in Edinburgh together, where we met Lily, Mary, and Kingsley. I can't imagine what Lily was like in uni, Remus bluffed. Pretty wild, right? Please tell me she was a mess. Peter shook his head. Sorry to disappoint. Lily has always had her whole life together. James on the other hand. Chaos, constantly. From age 11 until, now, basically. Remus raised a questioning eyebrow, which Peter took as an invitation to regale him with stories of ludicrous pranks and wild parties from the group's younger days. The DJ responsible for music during the social hour announced five minutes until dinner was served, and the main body of the group split off to find their seats at the head table. As Remus neared table four, he tripped over the little boy from the front row of the wedding. Oops, sorry mate, he apologized, tapping the kid's shoulder lightly. The ash blonde woman approached them, fury evident on her face. Did you just push my child, she demanded, nostrils flaring. Remus blinked in surprise. I mean, not on purpose, he replied, perplexed by the evident overreaction. Humph, she sniffed at him. Drunk too, I expect. Honestly, the company Lily keeps, I'm surprised they could book a venue this nice. Dudley, Pumpkin, are you okay? The little boy's eyes suddenly filled with tears, and the woman sniffed indignantly at Remus once more before herding her child off to table two. There was an array of small toys strewn over their table, figurines and crayons and coloring books, and as soon as his mother's attention was diverted, the little boy picked up an iPad and started watching videos at full volume. After 30 seconds of his mother ignoring the noise, Lily's mother dug some headphones out of her bag and connected them to the iPad for her grandson. The DJ turned down the dinner music and introduced the wedding party, each pair dancing from the door to their chairs, ending with the new Mr. and Mrs. Potter. James dipped Lily low and kissed her deeply as they reached their position at the head table. After the newlyweds were settled into their seats, dinner was served. Remus's table still had two empty spots, with the others filled by Lily's boss Jennifer and her wife Sarah, Lily's former PhD advisor, Dr. Slughorn, and an attractive twenty-something lawyer in horn-rimmed glasses named Benji. The group made awkward small talk, commenting on the beauty of the ceremony in the pictures that made up the table's centerpiece, until their meals arrived. As chicken piccata was served to those with gold cards and salmon to those with dusty blue, Remus breathed a sigh of relief. That is, until a plate with three chicken strips and chips was set in front of him. Oh no. Oh shit. Jonas Adams was a child, and the two other missing people were that child's parents, and he was eating a kid's meal at this incredibly posh wedding. Oh no. This was mortifying. And he'd been introducing himself by this child's name, which means that anyone who knew who this child was would know he was an imposter. Oh, it just kept getting worse. Remus looked across the table, met cute Benji the lawyer's judgmental eyes, and shrugged one shoulder. Food allergies, he explained, matter-of-factly and not at all like he was pulling things out of his arse. 
Kids' meals are safer. Benji smiled at him and nodded, going back to his awful salmon and caper dish. Honestly, it could be worse, at least chicken strips tasted good. Remus was seated facing the head table, and he kept finding his eyes sliding away from the bride and groom to Sirius, seated with Harry between him and James. Sirius was listening intently as Harry chattered at him animatedly, grinning as he reached over to steal one of Harry's chips. Harry was clearly delighted to have his godfather's undivided attention and was gesturing wildly with his hands. When Harry narrowly avoided knocking over his water glass, Sirius's hand reached out to steady it and moved it from the edge of the table. As he glanced up, his gray eyes met Remus's. He smiled softly, tilting his head, and Remus felt slow heat spread across his cheeks as he broke eye contact. When he managed to bring his gaze back to Sirius, he was biting his bottom lip gently as he turned back to hear Harry's story. Table 4 finished out the meal with Jennifer and Slughorn having a long, dull conversation about advances in pharmaceutical research and Remus sighed in relief as James's dad picked up the mic. James's father, Monty, gave a kind speech honoring his son and new daughter-in-law, welcoming her to the family. Mary followed with less teasing that Remus had expected after the large amount of exasperation she'd elicited from Sirius in the small amount of time they'd all spent together. If Remus was completely honest with himself, he may have missed some of it because he was thinking about the ink on Sirius's collarbone, wondering at the work of art Sirius's shirt was surely hiding. Then, though, it was Sirius's turn to speak, and Remus was instantly enthralled. Good evening to all of James and Lily's beloved friends and family, as well as those they merely tolerate, he said with a wink to the tittering crowd and a flick of his eyes to Lily's sister and her husband. We're here tonight to celebrate the marriage of two of my three favorite people in the entire world. I know, I know, it sounds really rude to say that here, right in front of them, and on their wedding night no less, but I think they'll forgive me. They both know the number one slot is reserved for Harry. James reached out to poke Sirius in the side and Lily rolled her eyes so hard her entire head went with them, muttering suck up loudly enough the mic picked it up. Sirius grinned mischievously, tongue just barely poking between his teeth, as he continued. I met James when we were eleven years old as first years at Hogwarts. We were assigned to be roommates, the two of us and Pete. He flicked a wrist to the side, where Peter gave a good-natured wave. It was all of our first time away from our parents, and we reacted vastly differently. Pete, being Pete, took everything in stride, he acted like moving away at age 11 was something he did every day. I vacillated wildly between elation at my newfound freedom and utter terror that I'd make some kind of horrible mistake. James's reaction was to adopt me and become my mother. Sirius's mouth twisted into a wry smile as the crowd chuckled. As we grew older and our friendship became deeper, that became more and more true. We were basically inseparable all the way through school, sharing classes and jumpers and a rugby team. By the time we left Hogwarts, we were more brothers than friends, and we decided to go to university in Edinburgh together. There, we met the greatest villain of my 18-year-old life, Lily Evans. Lily reached across the table to shove at him as he dodged her hand, laughing madly. See, at this point, I'd had James more or less all to myself for seven years. Sure, 
He had other friends and a few interests I didn't share, but when it came right down to it, I knew I was James's other half. His platonic soulmate, maybe, but his soulmate all the same. Then, one night early in our first term, James came banging in through the door of our shared dorm room, agonizing over how he'd just made a fool of himself in front of the only woman he'd ever love. I know my reputation for drama and James's reputation as the reasonable one precede us here, at this there were various looks of disbelief among the wedding party and Peter's eyes found Remus, mouthing neither are reasonable in his direction. But I swear to you those were his words. And so began the year and a half of plotting and grand romantic gestures and drowning our disappointment in so many pints. You see, I was invested, too. No, I couldn't understand why James thought he needed a girlfriend when he had me, and yes, I thought Lily was being an idiot for passing up on the most devoted man she'd ever meet. But I love Jamie, and I wanted him to be happy, and I'm a romantic at heart too, so I got swept up in it all. Finally, after months of telling him she didn't seem to care for the public displays and maybe approaching her privately like a normal goddamn person would work to his advantage, James did the most desperate thing he'd ever done. He enrolled in a chemistry class. Lily grinned broadly, nudging her husband with her shoulder. Here's the thing about James, he's a smart man, despite the heavy himbo vibes he gives off, but he is terrible with chemistry. He loves to read, he's good with math, an absolute rock star with people and feelings, but put him in front of a beaker and he's hopeless. He says it's because his dad retained the science genes when he was born, he needed them all for sleekeasies and couldn't spare any to pass on. Monty roared with laughter, making serious smile broadly at James's dad at the front table. So I questioned his decision to enroll in organic chem, of all things, as an elective, and he just said, shush, serious, don't worry about it. The plan will come together, and that was the end of it. Imagine my surprise when, after a month and a half of no plots, no balloon bouquets, and no apparent progress, I came back to our flat to discover Lily Evans at our kitchen table. She could barely stand him at the time, but she just couldn't watch her lab partner fail when she had the power to help him. Apparently she put her foot down and said no to studying in the bedroom, though, not that she needed to stave off any sexual advances. Our Jamie is a gentleman and his love was pure, all he wanted was to be near her and glory in her presence. Lily rolled her eyes again before Sirius continued. As we can all tell by Harry's arrival less than two years later. James gave a surprised shout of laughter as his cheeks flushed maroon, and Lily's shoulders shook with mirth. Harry, I think all of us agree, is the living embodiment of both James and Lily's best qualities. At six years old, you can already clearly see James's desire for justice and limitless empathy, as well as Lily's fiery passion and overwhelming kindness. They're raising my favorite person in the entire world, and they're doing it through teamwork and love. The two of them are like gears on a clock, each complex in their own right, but they fit together perfectly. Each knows how the other ticks, working together in tandem to make all of our lives better. So let's raise a toast, to my best friend and brother, and now my official sister, as well. I love you both more than words could ever express. James stood and embraced Sirius, both men wiping at their eyes, as the room toasted Lily in James once more. He took the microphone and tried to speak, but all that came out was a near sob.
Lily, smiling fondly, rescued him and thanked their many guests for coming. As she set down the microphone, the guests started tapping their forks against their glasses. James looked at her in confusion for a second before she whispered in his ear, then he stood up and kissed her deeply, eliciting cheers from the Wisconsin contingent. The volume in the room gradually increased as everyone resumed their conversations. Chapter 4 While the rest of the guests were mingling after the speeches, Remus excused himself for the loo. On the way back to the ballroom, he came around the corner to discover Sirius crouching, eye-level with a little ginger girl, drying her tears. Tell me what happened, love, he said softly, tattooed hands wiping gently at the wet tracks running down her cheeks. There were cupcakes in the middle of the table, and there was only one strawberry one left, and Ron knew I wanted the strawberry one, and he took it, and he doesn't even like strawberry, and I know he took it just so I couldn't have it, and he told me I couldn't play with him and Harry, and he's always so mean to me, the little girl cried in frustration. What would make you feel better, hmm? Do you need a hug, or is this more of a get-him-back situation? The child crossed her arms and stomped her foot. Get him back, she determined immediately. I think I've got just the thing for that, Sirius said, reaching into his trouser pocket. She watched with big eyes as he took the cap off a can of silly string and sprayed some into his palm. The second she had it in hand, she sent a stream across Sirius's cheeks, making him scrunch his nose adorably. Don't spray their face, though, Ginny, love. Harry's eyesight is already bad enough, okay? Sirius warned as he sent the little girl off to the reception. Remus approached him quietly from behind. Do you make a habit of carrying silly string around in your pockets? What else do you have in there, a whoopee cushion? Rubber chicken? Stink bombs? Sirius met his eyes sheepishly, and Remus cackled. Oh my god, you do. You actually have stink bombs in your pockets. Well, Lily's sister Petunia is here, and she's a nightmare, and I just thought she might need to know how readily she clears a room. Remus shook his head at him. Not very sneaky, you know. Silly string, I mean. No plausible deniability whatsoever. Well, she's five, so. Sirius said with a shrug. I generally wait until they're seven to start teaching them how to lie. Regulus thinks that's too late to develop a natural instinct, but then again, my brother has never been one to refuse an advantage. Remus raised his eyebrows. Stay away from the younger brother. Last I checked, he wasn't the one giving prank items to children for elaborate revenge plots. Sirius laughed. Oh no, Silly String is far too juvenile for Regulus. He's more of the devious, subtly scorched earth type, if he thought such an offense warranted retribution. Luckily for everyone, he's also intensely reasonable and has a good sense of scale, so he'd be more likely to just tell her to run off and find Luna instead. That's why I'm the fun uncle, the kids know I'll let them indulge in a little retaliation, he explained with pride. Jesus Christ, he is cute. Sirius placed his hand on Remus's lower back, guiding him back to the ballroom, Remus's brain turned off at the gentle touch and he had to remind himself to breathe. The first thing they saw on entry was James flexing as one of a pair of ginger twins hung on each bicep, 
a third redhead clinging to his waist, and the small blonde boy Remus had bumped into wrapped around his leg. Sirius, you have to save me, they're going to bring me down, he called out when he saw them. Sirius turned to Remus. Duty calls, but I'll catch up with you later, he asked, biting his lower lip nervously. Remus nodded. I'll get you a drink. Sirius winked in response, which Remus took as a yes. He turned toward the bar, hoping to catch up with Dorcas, but she appeared to be deep in conversation with Marlene. They were sitting at the table where Dorcas had eaten, both leaning forward as they talked intently. Their eye contact never wavered, and Marlene's slender fingers kept twitching, as though she had to focus to stop herself reaching out to touch. He'd catch up with Cass later, then. He headed to the bar to get a beer for Sirius and another gin and tonic for himself. He stopped on his way back to the dance floor to chat with Peter some more, who seemed really intent on Remus getting to know the group's history. They went back to the bar for another shot, corralling Mary and Frank on the way, and by the time he found his way back to Sirius his head was starting to feel a bit fuzzy. As they got closer to the dance floor, where Remus had left him with James, Sirius had morphed into a human jungle gym. He had Dudley on his back, a tiny blonde girl tugging on his leg, and Harry flipping himself upside down as he held on to both of Sirius's hands. He managed to peel them all off and crouched down, growling at them like an oversized dog. All the kids in his general vicinity squealed and scurried away, giggling maniacally. He caught Harry and lifted him over his head, pretending he was going to toss him to the floor. Sirius, stop it, the little boy, chortling as he spread his arms wide like an airplane. Stop it. Stop it he says. Then you definitely don't want me to do this. Sirius dropped Harry to his chest and cradled him with one arm, tickling his belly mercilessly with his free hand. Harry shrieked and wriggled until Sirius put him on the floor. Now go play with Luna, you little gremlin, he said, biting back a smile as his eyes flicked up to meet Remus's, and oh. Oh shit. Oh fuck. That was so hot. Why was that so hot? Remus wasn't even sure he wanted kids, but watching Sirius make them giggle and squeal turned him into a puddle. His stomach had taken refuge in his ankles, his mouth was dry, every bone, every organ in his body had turned into lovesick goo the second they'd made eye contact and now he was melting all over the floor. Remus was not inexperienced with sex. He'd been a university student at one point, after all, and he'd dated a few people casually in sixth form before that. He'd been with enough people to know what he was doing and what he liked. He'd never been malicious with his conquests, even where this game was concerned, everyone he'd ever slept with knew it was going to be a hookup, not a relationship. Remus wasn't good with his feelings, and he didn't understand why everyone else seemed to think it was important for sex and emotions to intermingle. Sex was great on its own. But, oh. Sirius. Sirius was something else entirely. He had never wanted someone like this. Sure, Remus had known he was attractive from his pre-wedding research. But this was so much more than that. From the first words they'd said to each other, all he wanted was to hear Sirius speak. He wanted to know how Sirius reacted to spiders, and what his favorite song was, and whether he slept on his back or his side. 
Remus wanted to know whether he used chopsticks for Chinese takeout, and how he took his tea, and if he had a good relationship with his father. He wanted to know every one of Sirius's secrets, and for the first time ever, he wanted to tell Sirius some of his own. He was a book's binding, and Sirius was the story on the pages within. Remus had no idea why watching this gorgeous man play with his godson made him want a picket fence and a dog, but oh god, did it ever. As Sirius approached, Remus's brain was still jelly, so it took him several seconds to realize he was talking to Regulus, who was apparently standing over Remus's shoulder. He took his beer from Remus's hand with a wink of acknowledgement and turned to his brother. Have you seen Andy around at all? I was hoping to catch her. Andy and Ted got a second room where Dora and Bill are going to be on smaller child duty later, so she went back for a little bit to make sure all the fun stuff was cleaned up and hidden away, Regulus answered. Sirius nodded. Sure, makes sense. Let a five-year-old near any makeup whatsoever and it will be on all their clothes and all the walls in less than three minutes. Regulus rolled his eyes. I actually meant she was drinking the booze leftover in their room from last night so the teenagers couldn't get at it. Sirius smiled at his sardonic younger brother. Hey, there's somebody I wanted you to meet. Jonas, this is my brother Regulus. Reg, this is Jonas, a book club friend of Lily's. Nice to meet you, Remus said politely, shaking Regulus's hand. If you call me Reg, I will murder you, he responded as he gave Remus a flatly appraising look. Sirius let out a long, exasperated sigh. Way to make a good first impression, Reg, truly charming. Oh, my apologies, I didn't realize I was the one required to be charming here. Let me try again. Regulus arranged his face in a menacing smile that showed all his teeth, his eyes just a little too wide. It's just lovely to meet you, Jonas. Lily and I already talked about the con, but I'd love to hear about how terrible Kara's finger sandwiches are every month. Remus exchanged a quick look with Sirius, trying to decide how to respond to the blatantly hostile sarcasm. Really, though, what did he care what Regulus thought? He didn't even know his real name, for Christ's sake, he could say whatever he wanted. He looked at Regulus thoughtfully for a few seconds, tilting his head as he examined him. You're a snarky little shit, aren't you? Sirius let out a loud, barking laugh and beamed at Remus. Are you sure you've never met before? He just summed up your entire personality in one sentence, didn't he? He asked Regulus, still laughing. Regulus gave Remus another once-over, raising one eyebrow and pressing his lips tightly together. I wouldn't generally refer to myself as, little, no, he defended, a stubborn smile breaking through one side of his mouth. At that moment, the sound of a small body hitting the floor came from their left. All three of them turned to see Dudley standing over Harry, victoriously holding a familiar pranking item. Harry was scrambling to his feet, not ready to give up the fight, with Ginny and one of her many brothers standing beside him. Remus had never actually seen a five-year-old look murderous before, but Ginny was surely accomplishing it. Oh, that little tosser, Sirius grumbled. Can't go a day without bullying Harry, always has to have the first turn on everything and then breaks it right away. Would have been better for everyone if Petunia and her vile offspring would have stayed in America. 
Sirius took off across the room, Remus at his heels as Regulus stalked behind them. Now listen here, kid. He started. Sirius, that is a child, Regulus hissed vehemently, grabbing him by the arm and pulling him down to whisper in his ear. It's not his fault his parents don't care enough about his social skills to teach him how to share. Wonder where the kids managed to find that particular messy toy anyway. He gave Sirius an accusatory glare, and Sirius had the grace to look abashed. Regulus pulled Dudley off to the side and knelt down to his level, where they had an intense exchange. After a couple minutes of Regulus speaking to him softly, Dudley nodding and chewing his lower lip, the boy freely handed the silly string back to Ginny. Together, he and Regulus went to a table covered in coloring books and markers already occupied by Luna and yet another ginger. Sirius sighed heavily. I really bollocks that up, huh? Remus shrugged. Could have been worse. Me and my cousins probably would have ended up bleeding before any adult stepped in. Reg and I would have never been allowed away from the table in the first place. According to our parents, events are for schmoozing and making sure everyone knows you're better than they are. Fun is strictly off-limits. Remus looked at him curiously, he was surprised by such a vulnerable piece of information. That sounds like a miserable way to have kids. Ah, but we were never kids, we were heirs, which meant showing any kind of affection or empathy would have ruined us. Lucky for me, James's parents treated me like I was their own, so I actually got to see what a loving family looked like. Reg had to wait until uni to get out. He's shockingly good with kids, for a person who never got to be one. Sirius sighed again. Well, guess I better go apologize to the little terror, Reg is right, it's really not his fault his parents are absolutely monstrous people who never taught him anything of value. Remus huffed a quiet laugh. I probably wouldn't lead with that in the apology. Sirius grinned back at him, eyes sparkling with mischief. You think so? I think old Tooney might actually listen to some criticism if it came from the kid. She's never said no to anything else from him. Regulus glared at Sirius as he pulled up two chairs at the table. Can we help you? Anything you need to say? Sirius's jaw clenched for just a moment before he relaxed into his chair and picked up a marker and a pad of paper, sliding some over to Remus as well. They began to draw as Sirius sidled up to Dudley. I'm sorry I got so mad when you and Harry were fighting over the silly string. I get really protective sometimes and it makes me overreact. I know you didn't mean to push him, and everyone will do a better job of sharing next time. I do think Harry would appreciate an apology, too. Dudley looked at him for a second, then looked at the picture he'd been drawing. That's a really cool motorcycle, he said. Can you do boats? Sirius laughed. Sure, mate. I can do boats. He set to work on drawing a large tall ship on a stormy sea, three big sails and a winged dragon on the prow. Dudley watched him draw for a couple minutes before clarifying. I meant a fast boat, like the motorcycle. But pirate boats are good too, I guess. Remus heard a sharp exhale from across the table, and when he looked up he saw Regulus biting his lips together to keep from laughing as he looked at Sirius's tightly clenched jaw. I like your tattoos, especially the ones on your hands. 
My mom says tattoos are for criminals and people without real jobs, but I think they look badass. Dudley's cheeks went more pink and he glanced nervously at Sirius, trying to gauge whether he was going to get in trouble for using the bad word. Regulus's face soured a little at the accidentally backhanded compliment, and Sirius sent him a haughty smirk. Do you want some? I could draw you a couple tattoos for the night, if you'd like, he offered Dudley, whose eyes got very round as he nodded. Okay, what do you want? Dudley glanced at the boat drawing on the table and said. Can you make me look like a pirate? Sirius grabbed a biro off the table and started drawing outlines, and Remus felt a tug on his sleeve. Hey mister, can you draw too? asked Ginny, who had suddenly appeared by his side. Remus nodded. Can I have a tattoo like Dudley? Remus glanced at Sirius, unsure of how the little girl's mother would react to her coming home covered in pen, and he gave a quick nod. Sure, sweetheart. What do you want me to draw? Can you do horses? Ginny asked, looking at the cartoon wolf he had doodled on the paper as Sirius and Dudley talked. I can do horses, Remus whispered conspiratorially. But do you know what else I can do? Unicorns. Ginny gasped and her big brown eyes got even bigger as she fiercely nodded. And mermaids. Can I have a mermaid? Me too. Dudley burst out. Pirates have mermaid tattoos, too. Sirius's pen stopped for a second below the skull and crossbones he was currently drawing, mischief dancing in his eyes as he and Remus made eye contact. I think we can arrange a pair of mermaids. Remus got to work on Ginny's unicorn, making the horse's hooves run on a rainbow with stars sparkling behind its tail. Then he gave her a mermaid with long red hair and brown eyes. Like me. Ginny exclaimed, delighted. Thanks, mister. She scampered off as Dudley leaned over to show off his new ink to Regulus. Look, Regulus, isn't it cool? This one's a pirate flag, and this one's an anchor, and look, there's the mermaid. Regulus choked on his drink as Dudley pointed to the half-woman half-fish, who was a bit busty and clearly topless. Sirius had given her long blonde hair hanging over her shoulders that kept her mostly covered, but still, she was obviously nude. That's great, Dudley. Did you thank Sirius for giving you such authentic tattoos? Thanks, Sirius. I'm going to go show Harry, the boy practically sang before running after Ginny. Regulus leaned over to Sirius and hissed. Honestly, Sirius. You couldn't have given her a seashell bra or something. At least she didn't have any nipples, for Christ's sake. Sirius grinned, the tip of his tongue poking out between his teeth. Look at him, though. He's elated. Regulus shook his head, clearly of the opinion that decorum wasn't something his incorrigible brother was ever going to recognize. In the next few minutes, their table was inundated by kids who wanted drawings on their arms. I want mine to say Fred, requested one of the twins. But you're George, answered Sirius, suspicion evident. Yeah. It'll be funny. Sirius shrugged and wrote Fred in flowing script as Remus wrote George on his twin. Can you do a dragon on me? Ooh, I want a football. And cherry bear. 
Harry settled himself comfortably into Sirius's lap as the man kissed his hair. Just like mine, same as normal. Harry nodded, and Sirius began a series of intertwining vines on his hands. Remus watched the pair as he drew a many-eyed monster which adapted to his young client's specifications as they progressed. This was clearly something Harry and his godfather did together frequently, Sirius barely had to nudge Harry's arm to get him to adjust his position so he could continue drawing, and Harry was snuggled so deeply into Sirius's chest he looked like he was making a nest. Remus could hear Sirius speaking softly in his ear, catching little snippets now and then as Harry drowsily answered. As Sirius checked in to see whether Dudley had apologized, a small head nodded yes, Remus's eyes drifted across the table and caught Regulus, who was quietly studying him. When Remus blinked placidly in his direction, giving away nothing, the other man pursed his lips and turned his attention back to Dudley, who was back at his side. Sirius's brother made Remus anxious, between the intense scrutiny he kept subjecting Remus to and Sirius's offhand comment about his lying instincts, he might put Remus's presence at risk. Normally Remus would just spend the evening as far from someone this perceptive as he could manage, but, Sirius. Remus's eyes drifted back to where they belonged, on Sirius's broad but nimble hands, the sparkling gray of his eyes, the gradually developing five o'clock shadow on his jaw. Even if he wanted to, Remus didn't think he'd be able to drag himself away from Sirius's side for any significant period of time, and he honestly had no interest in being anywhere else. Dudley, who had started coloring again, tapped on Regulus's shoulder and loudly whispered. Do you think anybody ever told him that it's rude to stare? He's been looking at Sirius for, like, an hour. My mom would pinch me if she saw me do that. Regulus looked down at him, eyebrows drawn, and leaned in to answer his question as Remus blushed and Sirius tried to hide his smirk. Sirius had just finished Harry's ink and the boy's tattoo hypnosis had given him a second wind, so they all left Regulus at the table with the kids who needed a break from running and dancing. They met up with Peter and James at the bar, Remus watching the spot where Dorcas and Marlene still sat as the others gossiped about the guests. I absolutely saw Vernon eat a chicken strip off a random kid's abandoned plate as he walked by. Oh my god, and you let him eat it? That's hilarious. I hope it got dropped on the floor. Lily's aunt told me her cousin's family are claiming food poisoning, but actually they decided to take a tour at Windsor Castle instead and just skived off. Guess whose kid is getting tubs of slime, a harmonica, and a drum kit for his birthday next year? Remus tuned out for a few seconds as he watched Dorcas put her hand gently on Marlene's knee, but he snapped back to attention when Sirius asked. Why is it so bloody hot in here? Shouldn't the air conditioning be on for something like this? Yeah, it is really weird, Remus answered with mock confusion. Normally you'd think a place like this would at least have a fan to circulate air or something. Sirius's cheeks pinked from more than the heat, James cleared his throat, and Peter gave Remus a guilty side-eye. Yeah. Pete agreed. It is kind of weird they don't have one around. Remus let them all suffer awkwardly for a few seconds, watching them squirm, before James boomed. I've been seeing you around all day, but I haven't actually met you yet. Must be one of Lily's. I'm James. Hi James, 
it's a pleasure to finally meet you. I'm Jonas, Remus answered, smiling and shaking James's hand. He's in Lily's book club, Sirius offered. James looked puzzled. I didn't realize Lily was so close to anyone in her book club. Usually she just complains about the terrible food and how unnecessarily competitive all the mums are. She's right, there's no competing with Lily so it's a waste of time for the others to try, Remus said cheekily. James roared. Oh, I like you. You're right, of course, but don't let her hear you say it unless you're ready for a lecture about how all that not-like-other-girls-type commentary is bullshit. After which she'd immediately agree with your assessment, Peter added with a laugh. James pulled Lily into their circle, and Remus insisted on buying James and Lily a celebratory shot, which would definitely put him in the lead over Dorcas. As they finished, a voice came over the speaker system. And now, we'd once again like to congratulate the happy couple as they have their first dance. Everyone, Mr. and Mrs. Potter. Lily squeaked, realizing they were suddenly late to their own party, as she and James hurried off in the direction of the dance floor. Sirius tugged Remus along, lining them up three people down from Dorcas and Marlene as the couple swayed in the rose-colored light to a man's graveled voice. You're the girl of my dreams, and a pistol it seems, but you shoot me straight and true. Time to lay down my fears, honey I feel so safe around you. Remus turned to watch Sirius watching the dance, the backs of their hands gently brushing together. Sirius was chewing intently on his lower lip, entranced with his best friend's clear adoration of his new wife. Remus found himself leaning closer, lightly pressing his shoulder to Sirius's. You okay? Sirius sniffed as he nodded, a tight smile on his face as he met Remus's eyes. You sure? His lips nearly brushed Sirius's ear as he asked. He pulled back, just far enough to see his silver eyes clearly, trying to read what Sirius wasn't saying. Just happy for them. That's all. Sirius sniffed again then blinked a few times, mentally shaking himself. He gave Remus a big smile, more genuine this time, and said. They look beautiful together. Still concerned but opting to let it go, Remus just nodded as the dance finished. The band segued clumsily from the ballad into something more party speed as the frontman invited all the wedding party onto the dance floor. Sirius slid his hand into Remus's, giving it a little squeeze. Don't disappear on me again, yeah? Chapter 5 As Sirius moved to the dance floor, Remus caught Dorcas's eye over and jerked his head toward a table. They sat, Remus fiddling with his drink as Dorcas looked at him intently. Are you even trying? I haven't seen you out of your seat all night. Everything good? Remus asked. Dorcas beamed at him, sunlight radiating from her broad smile. Oh yeah. I've got this round in the bag. He raised a questioning brow at her. You've spoken to, like, one person. I know. I'm not concerned. Her smile softened, affection clear in her eyes while she watched Marlene laugh as Peter swung her around.
You like her. Rem, I know I've only known her a couple hours, but I cannot get enough of her. She's kind, she's gorgeous, she's supportive and she barely even knows me. I told her my cover story about being creeped off my original table and I thought she was going to go fight someone for me. We'd known each other for ten minutes, and she cared so much, immediately. I. Dorcas huffed. She's amazing, Rem, I've never clicked with someone like this. Remus found his eyes wandering back to Sirius, bumping his hip against Mary's as they giggled. I can see that, I think. This is, quite the wedding, isn't it? She smirked at him, dark eyes teasing. You seem to be clicking a little yourself. You haven't stopped staring at him since we sat down. Though, to be fair, he's looked over here six times, too. It's, a lot, Cass. He's a lot. Remus chewed on the inside of his cheek. She tilted her head, searching his face. Isn't, a lot, a good thing? Don't you want to feel, a lot? I mean, yeah, I guess that's the goal. But I don't really do relationships, Cass, and what do I have to offer compared to him? I mean, just look at him, for one. He's charming, he's funny, he's smart. Have you seen how he is with kids? I swear to God, Dorcas, I somehow got pregnant watching him pick up Harry earlier. I'm a broke hotel receptionist who's never had a real relationship and is too scared to actually pursue his passion, I bring nothing to the table compared to that, he gestured to where Sirius was now spinning Harry around in circles. Dorcas shrugged. Well, you can never have an adult relationship if you refuse to date anyone, Remus. He seems to think you bring plenty to the table, that's all. Now, if you'll excuse me. Remus stared after her as she walked toward Marlene, whose hand was already outstretched to greet her. He sat at the table on his own for a couple songs, chewing his lip and watching Dorcas and Marlene dance with the Longbottom family. Mind if I sit? Benji the lawyer pulled out the chair Dorcas had vacated. I noticed you were running empty, got you another drink. Gin and tonic, right? Remus gave him a polite smile. I mean, you already bought the drink, it'd be rude to say no, right? It's almost too easy to hold people conversationally hostage here, you can always rely on the English to prioritize manners. Too bad for you I'm Welsh, Remus winked. Benji laughed. He was really very cute, with his big brown eyes and dark lashes behind horn-rimmed glasses. How do you know James and Lily? I'm in Lily's book club, I didn't realize until I got here what an honor it was for someone from the group to be invited. How about you? Oh, you know how circles like this are, Benji said. Remus made a face, because no, he didn't know, actually. I met James through Sirius in uni, we kept in distant contact while I finished law school, and now we occasionally have clients in common with foster care. So you work with child protection, too? Benji launched into an explanation of his job as a solicitor. Remus half-listened as he watched Sirius lead the mother of the groom in a waltz. He moved gracefully in long, gliding steps as they chattered away. Their eyes met over Effie's shoulder, and Remus found he couldn't hold Sirius's gaze. The way he felt around Sirius, the instinct to be vulnerable, 
the desire to cut himself open so serious could just reach beneath his ribs and grab his heart, here you go, I saved this for you, was utterly terrifying. If he had any sense at all, he'd walk away, have some fun with this perfectly nice, perfectly cute, perfectly safe lawyer chatting him up. Remus liked comfort. He liked safety. He liked limiting risk and protecting himself. Only, that swooping feeling he got in his stomach every time Sirius's eyes sought him out in a crowd. The way he had to remind himself to breathe when Sirius touched him. The fact he hadn't been listening at all to the fit guy trying to sleep with him because all he could think about was the joy in Sirius's face as he danced with his mother. Dorcas may have had a point, he'd been numb for years. Maybe it was time to aim for, a lot. Remus was abruptly pulled from his thoughts when he felt an already familiar hand on his shoulder. All right, Benji. Sirius greeted, tone friendly with a smile that didn't quite reach his eyes. It's been a while. How's it going? I've been good. Busy with work. How about you? Seeing anybody? Benji asked as his eyes flicked between Sirius's hand and his face. Just started, thanks for asking, Sirius replied lightly. He turned to Remus, suddenly cutting Benji's presence out as though he never existed. Jonas, come dance with me. We need all hands on deck to handle this many Weasleys. Remus nodded, taking Sirius's hand as he stood. Sure, I'd like that. Benji, it was nice talking to you. Have a good night. Halfway to the dance floor, Sirius was yanked off to the side by Lily's seething sister. Sirius. What did you do to my child's arm? He is covered in lewd drawings. How dare you? Sirius smiled benignly at her and shrugged. He wanted to look like a pirate, so I made him look like a pirate. He was thrilled. It'll come off in the bath, Petunia. Harry and I do this once a week. He looks like a miscreant. The mermaid has breasts. What is wrong with you? I could have given him a merman, if you would have preferred. Remus couldn't hold back his snort at Petunia's visible outrage, and she turned her ire on him. You again. I'm not surprised that someone who would push a child would also think it's funny to cover them in obscenity. Oi, Toonie. Petunia visibly flinched at the nickname, your kid's fine, he's having a good time. Just because you wouldn't know fun if it spit on your shoes doesn't mean your son doesn't, and your insistence on being miserable is actually not our problem. He tugged on Remus's hand, pulling him back toward the dance floor. Petunia's eyes narrowed as she watched them leave. She seems nice, Remus observed wryly. Sirius snorted. I can't stand her. Hell, Lily can't stand her and it's her sister. Feel bad for the kid, though. He's somehow both spoiled rotten and the most downtrodden child I know. There's a reason Regulus jumped in to save him earlier. Sirius started chewing on his lower lip again, eyes flicking to where his brother was visiting with a pale, platinum blonde woman at the table that had been their makeshift tattoo parlor. As they neared the dance floor, Sirius bent down to scoop up the six-year-old sprinting at him full speed. Hi, Sirius. You brought your friend back. Come on, Dudley didn't believe me that you could flip me over your arm, 
and I told him I wasn't a liar, and he said prove it, so now we have to. Sirius put Harry down and let him lead him to where his cousin was waiting, gesturing to Remus to follow. He started dancing with Harry, pulling him around in an offbeat swing dance before pulling him off his feet and flipping him backward over his arm. Harry landed on his feet and immediately turned to Dudley. See? I told you he could do it. Remus tugged on Sirius's arm, pulling him close so his lips were near his ear. Swing dancing, huh? Very sexy. Shut up. No, really, I'm not joking. Sirius gave him a deadpan look while Remus worked hard to hold back a laugh. It is. Look at you, all big and strong. Think you could fling me around like that later? Sirius paused for a moment as a blush worked its way across his cheeks. And here I was hoping to be the one being flung. Remus felt a pull in his stomach, the breathlessness returning. He shrugged. If that's your preference. Sirius grinned, neither confirming nor denying, as he picked Harry back up. Remus felt a gentle tap on his leg and looked down to find Ginny holding her arms out. He propped her on his hip, taking her right hand in his left and stretching it out as far as it would go. He danced her in circles, arms outstretched, as she giggled manically. They danced several songs, Remus bouncing along as she clung to his neck and started to get drowsy. He nudged Sirius, carting his own tired child, who accepted Ginny into his free arm. He jerked his head to the side where a red-haired woman was sitting next to Frank, who had a sleeping Neville on his lap. Before Remus could turn to follow, he was pulled into a spin by a frantically dancing Mary. Jonas, she whooped. Dance with us. She lifted his arm over her head and spun beneath it, skirt twirling out and slapping gently against his ankles. She tugged on his arm again, trying to lift it higher until he got the hint. He ducked under their arms, laughing, as she forced him into a reciprocal twirl. Have you met Alice? she called over the music. Remus shook his head. Alice, Jonas. Jonas, Alice, she shouted, gesturing to the petite woman beside her. Alice grinned at him. So you're the one who tamed the life of the party. Nice to meet you, I've been hearing about you all night. Well, you and that one. She nodded toward Marlene and Dorcas, who were alternating between dancing with the incorrectly labeled twins and each other. Remus shrugged sheepishly. Sorry, didn't mean to bring down the vibe. I can let you have him back if you want him. Believe me, this is an improvement. All of our hangovers will thank you in the morning for taking the Tequila Black Brother out of play. Remus glanced over to where Sirius and Frank were visiting, each with a sleeping child on their chest. Yeah, he looks like a real party animal. Absolute monster, that one. Alice raised an eyebrow at him. Awfully confident for a man who's known him for four hours. What can I say, we have a connection, Remus said, then blushed as the truth in the snark caught up with him. Alice just beamed. So I've heard. The women continued to pull him around the dance floor, sandwiching him between their bodies, shimmying their shoulders, and the next time he looked over to where Sirius had been sitting, he was gone. Remus craned his neck, trying to place him in the large ballroom, and Mary cackled. Calm down, Casanova, 
he'll be back. They just went to drop the boys off with the babysitters. A short time later, he felt strong hands guiding his hips to the rhythm of the music and a nose gently brushing behind his ear. I'm going out for a smoke. Want one? Remus nodded and followed him to the terrace. They leaned, shoulder to shoulder, against the hotel wall in the smoking area, a pair of downlights throwing Sirius's cheekbones into sharp relief. He offered Remus a cigarette and lit first Remus's then his own. They stood in silence for a couple minutes, just the two of them and the smoke curling in the air and the reverberations of the music through the wall. Sorry I got weird earlier. At the first dance. Remus looked at Sirius from the corner of his eye, his head was tilted back, resting heavily on the wall behind him, and his eyes were closed. I'm not good with big changes. Tend to get a bit, maudlin. Remus wasn't sure what to say, so he said nothing. He just shifted his weight, pressing his shoulder more heavily into Sirius's to show him he was there. Two columns, leaning together, holding each other up because they'd fall alone. Remus watched as he brought his cigarette back to his full lips and took a long drag. I am happy for them, you know, he said, words exhaling a lungful of smoke. I just wanted to clarify. I know you are. Nobody could watch the way you are with James, the way you are with Harry, and possibly think you want anything less than the world for either of them. I don't even really understand why it feels so bittersweet. I mean, fuck, Harry's six years old. I lived with them until we finished uni, but I've been in my own place for years. I signed a purchase agreement on a house in Shoreditch. It's not even an actual change. Remus took a long drag himself. But. He prompted. But, for some reason, my best friend getting married feels a little like being left behind. Harry was a surprise. A good one. They were both thrilled, after they got over the shock of it. But they'd only been together about six months, and we were all so young. We were still in school, shuffling Harry between James's parents and whoever wasn't in class at any given time. He was something that just kind of happened. This is a choice. A great one, but a big one. I love them all, and I'm thrilled James gets to marry the only woman he's ever loved. I'm just, a little sad. Not a lot. And never publicly, I know none of this is about me. But, just a little. Remus linked his pinky with Sirius's where their hands had been resting against each other. Your secret is safe with me. He could feel Sirius's shoulders relax, though whether it was from the extra contact or the reassurance, he wasn't sure. He turned to face Sirius properly. It's okay to be uncomfortable with change, you know. Stuff like that isn't always logical. I was homesick for months after I left Wales. There wasn't really anything for me there and I knew London was the right decision. But still, moving out of the country on my own was overwhelming. It took a while to adjust. Why London? I was offered a good scholarship, and I knew I didn't want to stay in rural Wales. It's not an overly welcoming place to be a by-man, and jobs for English majors are thin on the ground. Though, to be fair, I'm not using my degree in London, either. What do you do? Customer service, mostly. 
paperwork, a little. Try to write, when I can get away with it. I'm a receptionist. Do you like it? Remus couldn't hold back a derisive snort. Yes, I love answering phones and directing foot traffic. Why do you keep doing it, then? It's comfortable. Easy. I've been able to automate a huge portion of it, so I usually only wind up doing two or three hours of actual work most days. Do I want to do it forever? No. Does it allow me to pay my rent and have ample writing time? Yes. And the writing? That's the goal. Ideally, yes. But writing is, hard, it turns out. I've finished several manuscripts but nothing has been picked up. At this point, it's been so much rejection, I've hit a mental wall for all my writing. I've also applied for a bunch of editorial assistant jobs at publishing houses, but it's competitive. I'm bad at interviews, evidently. Not very charming. Sirius barked a loud laugh that echoed in the quiet evening air. I don't believe that for one second. I've been smitten with you since the first moment I saw you. I had to physically pull you away from my ex-boyfriend before he could make a move. You're not running short on charm, Jonas. Ah, so cute Benji the lawyer is nerd Benji the law student. I wondered, Remus deflected as his ears turned red. Sirius dropped his jaw, affronted. I can't believe you just called my ex cute to my face. Maybe you do need to work on your charm, you'll never get into my pants if you keep that up. Remus tried, and failed, to temper his grin. Who said I wanted to? Sirius sputtered for a few seconds before facing toward the Thames again. You really know how to deflate a bloke's ego. That was ice cold, Adams. Remus mirrored his movement and nudged him with his elbow, settling back in to rest their shoulders together. You know you're gorgeous. And much more fun to talk to than boring Benji. Sirius tried to pout, but Remus could see the corner of his mouth tugging into a smile despite his efforts. God, he's so fucking boring, you have no idea. We sat at the same table for supper. Us and Lily's boss and her former mentor. I'm pretty sure we were actually the designated, boring table, if I'm being honest. With you there? Never. They stood in comfortable silence, each content to savor the moment. Can I ask you something? Remus ventured. It's a bit personal, so you don't have to answer. He heard Sirius turn his head to study his profile. Normally, absolutely not. But for you? Anything. Remus tugged his lip ring into his mouth, catching between his teeth, as he felt a blush creep up his neck. How was he so forward about everything? So open. A wave of guilt washed over him. Sirius was giving him so much, letting him in so quickly, and he didn't even know Remus's real name. He sighed softly, shoving that thought down. Just, I've noticed you call James your brother and your best friend interchangeably. Regulus is clearly related, you two look so much alike. What's, going on there, he finished lamely. Sirius laughed. Oh that? That's no big deal. Remus looked at him with evident disbelief. Well, I mean, it was a big deal, 
but it's not a secret. I'm not bothered you asked. Just, most of the people I'm close to were around when it happened so I don't have to explain it often. Remus continued to watch him, waiting patiently for him to finish babbling. For someone who was insisting this was casual, he seemed nervous. Sirius took a deep breath. My parents are just the worst. Absolutely terrible people. Racist, seat in the House of Lords, old money snobs who only interact with others of their own status. They literally have a private jet. The only non-titled people I knew growing up were our household staff, and I was very much taught to treat them like an appliance I shouldn't break. You know, be gentle, treat it with care because replacing it is a nuisance, but ultimately everyone was replaceable. Remus wrinkled his nose. What a terrible way to teach kids to treat other people. I went to an expensive primary school with other fancy kids, and then I went to Hogwarts like both of my parents. I was very much a product of my raising when I got there. My parents found me frustrating because I was loud and didn't like to do what I was told, and I was friends with the cook's daughter and spent as much time as possible in the kitchen which they found indecorous, but ultimately I was roughly who they wanted me to be. But I was put in a room with Jamie and Pete, and it completely changed my life. Sirius paused for a second, curiously tilting his head like a puppy as he looked at Remus. What do you know about growing up as a nobleman's kid? Remus snorted. Absolutely nothing. Blue collar to the core. You're slumming it, baby. Sirius chewed on his lower lip so hard Remus thought he'd draw blood, and he just couldn't help himself. He reached up, cupping Sirius's cheek, and gently pulled on his chin to free his swollen lip. Hey, it's okay. We don't have to talk about this. You're very much allowed to tell me to fuck off. Sirius shook his head. No, no. I want to. It's just hard to explain. It's an entirely different culture, but when that's how you grow up, and how everyone you know grows up, it just seems normal. Like, okay, we all know the monarchy is stupid, right? I'm Welsh, serious. Right, of course, okay. So. The monarchy is stupid, but what nobody tells you is that, underneath the obscene privilege, it's also fucking miserable. Remus raised a skeptical eyebrow and motioned for him to continue. Growing up in a titled family is very, formal. Stiff. There are invisible walls of propriety between you and your parents, and they basically don't want anything to do with you outside of what you can do for them simply by existing. Or, at least, my parents didn't. Remus clenched his teeth, heart squeezing with how matter-of-fact serious was about his childhood of emotional neglect. We had to dress in formal wear for dinner every night, where we ate with the nanny instead of our parents, and Reg and I were absolutely not allowed to speak unless directly addressed. Questions were forbidden. Physical affection was basically non-existent. We had a nanny once who was fired for hugging Reggie when he got hurt because, you can't reward them for crying. I think he was five. Remus hissed in a sharp breath, that story causing him physical pain, and he found himself reaching out to place a comforting hand on Sirius's forearm. Sirius glanced down at the contact and smiled softly at him. Yeah, I know that's the appropriate reaction now, but at the time that's just how it was for us. 
So, anyway. Then I got to Hogwarts where my roommates were James, a second-generation Indian kid whose new money dad made a fortune in the cosmetics industry, and Pete, whose mom is a surgeon and dad owns the biggest construction company in Yorkshire and is practically middle class. Sirius punctuated this statement with an exaggerated shudder and eye roll. My parents were less than impressed by who I was being exposed to, but I suddenly got to see a completely different type of life. I had people who cared about me, and I saw how much their families cared about them. Their parents called and texted pretty much every day. Effie sent care packages a couple times a month. They were actually interested in what James was doing and what he wanted and how he was feeling. Pete and James's parents think of them as people, instead of extensions of the noble line, and it, completely fucked me up for a while, if I'm honest. Sirius drew a deep breath, and Remus found his thumb was gently stroking Sirius's arm. I was top of my year, class treasurer, played on the school's rugby team, and was an accomplished pianist. I hoped they'd notice my achievements and suddenly care. When that failed, because their standards were insanely high and those were their baseline expectations, I started getting myself in trouble so they'd be forced to pay attention and deal with my misbehavior. That didn't work either, and it changed things a bit. Remus's stomach dropped and his grip on Sirius's arm became white-knuckled, the expression on Sirius's face suggested things did not change for the better. Remus cleared his throat. That sounds awful. You didn't deserve that. I'm so sorry, Sirius. Sirius shrugged, giving him a wan smile. I clung to James like a vine, it's amazing I didn't choke him out. Jamie loves being needed, though, and I'm incredibly needy, so we became completely codependent by the time our first year was over. I spent every second I could at the Potters and Effie and Monty loved me the way I always wished my parents would. When I was 16, it just got too bad, and I couldn't take it anymore. I ran away, moved in with them, and they've treated me like their own ever since. So now you and James are brothers. So now we're brothers. Remus relaxed his grip on Sirius's arm, allowing his hand to slide down. Before he could pull away, Sirius tangled their fingers together. Thanks for trusting me enough to tell me that, Remus said, wincing internally as he considered how little he'd earned it. Sirius's eyes met his for a brief moment before flicking away. Like I said, not a big deal. Sirius. Jonas. Remus sighed around his cigarette, reaching up to cup Sirius's jaw, thumb brushing over his cheek. You seem happy now, though. I've seen the way that whole family looks at you, they're very proud. Sirius nuzzled into his hand, glowing in the praise and the moonlight. This, right now, is the best I've ever been. Remus rolled his eyes, slowly drawing his hand back as they resumed their positions against the wall. The backs of their hands were still brushing. Charmer. You have no idea. They leaned, lost in their own thoughts, for a couple minutes before Sirius lit another pair of cigarettes. What about you? he asked around a mouthful of smoke. Hmm. I don't know anything about you. What about your family? Any deep-seated trauma you'd like to share? Remus laughed, short and a little bitter. Fair is fair, I guess. 
Do you want to know about the one who's dead inside, or the one who's just dead? Sirius's head snapped to look at him, face etched in horror. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I sometimes get so wrapped up in my own bullshit, I forget other people have it, too. I can't believe I was so glib, I'm sorry. Remus bumped their shoulders together. No, it's okay. I want to tell you things, too. You're very. Remus trailed off. Safe, his mind supplied. Comforting. I've known you for four hours and I can't imagine my life without you. He had no good way to tell Sirius he made Remus want to crack his chest open like an egg and let his feelings ooze out, here you go, do you like them scrambled or over easy? He sighed. Well, I just want to tell you things. Remus looked at Sirius, who was looking rather pleased with himself at the sentiment. He fidgeted with his cigarette, taking a long drag while he gathered his thoughts. My mum was great, he started softly. Just the best. She hated to cook, but she made crepes every Sunday morning because it made her feel fancy. She'd let me fill them with whatever I wanted, so I basically ate chocolate and whipped cream for breakfast every Sunday until I was nine. She loved to read, and she read me bedtime stories for my entire childhood, way past when that standard practice. After I started school, I read to her. We must have read James and the Giant Peach together five times. Sirius smiled at him. I love that book. The first time I planned to run away, I was determined to go to New York. Though I also always liked Matilda. Remus's heart twisted at Sirius's unconscious acknowledgement of the first time. Though he shouldn't have been surprised, a kid who actually runs away at 16 has probably been dreaming about it for years. He smiled back, a little sad for both of them. When I was six, she and I got into a car accident. I'm sure you've noticed the scar. Sirius's gray eyes traced the silver line across his face, and Remus felt his fingers twitch between them, as though he was restraining himself from reaching up to touch. Remus wished he would give in to the temptation. That's just the one you can see. I have a lot more. It was pretty bad, and I spent many hours in hospital from then until I was thirteen. First it was me, I broke both the bones in my lower leg and they were sticking through the skin, so I had to have surgery to stabilize it. Then I got an infection from the wound, and then it didn't heal right so they had to do another surgery. I was in and out of hospital a lot for, like, a year. That's when I started drawing, actually. Not much room for noisy activity in a hospital. Remus shook his head. No, not much. And, while I was healing, my mum was getting some tests done. I missed a lot of this, partially because I wasn't at home to see it and partially because I was a kid and they were actively hiding it from me, but she'd started having these muscle spasms, and she was always forgetting and misplacing stuff at home. It took a while, but eventually she was diagnosed with Huntington's. Remus searched Sirius's face, but he didn't see a spark of recognition, so he volunteered. It's a genetic disorder where your neurons gradually waste away. It's a combination of the worst parts of Parkinson's and dementia, basically. She was in and out of hospital a couple times a year after that. 
She was in a care home by the time I was 13 and died when I was 16. Oh, Jonas, Sirius breathed, sliding his fingers between Remus's and squeezing. That's terrible. I'm so sorry. Remus squeezed back, blinking quickly a few times to push past the burning in his eyes. Neither my dad nor I handled it very well, if you can imagine. We both kind of retreated into ourselves, and neither of us have managed to find our way out. Sirius started stroking his thumb against the back of Remus's, a gentle, soothing motion that made Remus's eyes well with tears again. So things are strained with your dad, then? Remus hummed thoughtfully. Strained would imply some kind of tension. An emotional tug of war with each of us wanting to bring the other closer. A defined problem that could be solved, an issue to address. We're more just, ambivalent. We're nothing to each other. He doesn't check in with me or ask how I am. I only think about him in the context of my mum, and that's too painful so I just lock it up in a little box and never peek at it. I'm not sure I meant to, but I've kind of made myself numb. Sirius let out a barely audible whimper of sympathy as he rested his head on Remus's shoulder. He feels guilty, I think. My mum couldn't work by the time I was ten, so he was basically always working or taking care of her. If I wasn't at school, I was doing whatever I could to make their lives easier. They tried to get me to do kid things, go to friends' houses and play football and stuff, but I could tell it made their lives harder and I preferred to be at home. I grew up, but he and I never really built a relationship after her diagnosis. He still sees me as a seven-year-old, and I don't know how to talk to him as an adult. It's not really anyone's fault, it's just a fuck situation, and I don't resent either of them. It's just the way our lives are. That can get better, though. When you're ready. If you wanted to. Remus tilted his head in acknowledgement but didn't verbally agree. Really, it can. Look, I already told you what it was like in my house as a kid, right? Cold. Distant. Affection is for plebs. Remus huffed. Eloquent. Sirius shrugged, smiling softly at Remus's laugh. Reg and I were really close when we were little. He'd crawl into my bed when he had a nightmare. I handled all of his scrapes and bruises. I took the fall for any trouble we got into together. But after I went to Hogwarts, things changed for us. I got a chance to see what a loving family actually looked like, and Reggie was completely isolated in that awful house, so we grew in opposite directions. Remus could feel his shoulders tense as he continued. My parents learned their lesson with me so when Reg started school two years later, they pulled some strings to make sure he got placed with acceptable roommates. He didn't really get any chance to escape until uni. Once he was there and he was spending less time with our parents, opening his social circle a little, he started to realize just how fucked up everything was. It took a couple of years, but by the time he was twenty, he decided it wasn't worth it and wanted to stop exchanging his life for their financial support. He told me he was moving out, and I literally begged him to move in with James, Lily, Harry, and I. We lived in a place I'd inherited from my uncle. We had plenty of room, and James and Lily were going to be moving out when she started grad school anyway. That sounds like an eclectic household. 
Sirius huffed out a laugh. I know you're talking about a pair of twenty-something bachelors living with a couple and their infant, but honestly that part made sense. We were all busy with school and were the living embodiment of the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. It was me and James and Reg figuring things out that made it weird. But you're all friends. Remus said, confused. Sirius laughed again, harsh and biting. Now we're all on good terms. At the time. Oh boy. Sirius let out a long whistle and shook his head. Reg and I had a really complicated relationship. I felt guilty for leaving him behind, but I knew it wasn't safe for me to stay any longer. Reg didn't understand why I was always antagonizing my parents, he thought I should just shut up and keep my head down until I left for uni. He wasn't old enough to realize that there's no such thing as getting out of that type of household, and he really didn't understand that neglect counts as abuse. Sirius shook his head again. Regulus and James hated each other. Reg was under the impression that James stole me from the family. Even though he was also ready to leave them behind, a decade of resentment doesn't just disappear. James never understood why Reg didn't back me up with my parents, he always thought Regulus should have been more willing to spread out the blame and take some of the heat off me. So why'd he agree to Regulus moving in? By that time, he was most of the way through his social work degree, had a better understanding of abusive family dynamics, and realized our fractured relationship was because of our shitty parents and couldn't be blamed on my literal child of a brother. Sirius grimaced, voice clipped and fist clenched as he talked about his parents. When he circled back to his best friend, though, he softened. Also, James and I would do anything for each other, and if living with Regulus would make me happy, then we'd live with Regulus. Reggie and Lils have actually gotten along really well since they met, so it really didn't take much convincing on her end. The hardest part was getting Reg to agree, honestly. That wanker forced me to make a schedule so he could be guaranteed I'd leave him the fuck alone, Jesus Christ serious, you'll bloody smother me, serious mimicked, voice going higher and head bobbling as he imitated his younger brother. It took a while for me to understand how to give him space, and even longer for him to trust that I wasn't lying about how fucked up our family dynamic was. It was at least a year before he felt like he could rely on me. Sirius paused, taking a long drag on his cigarette and blowing smoke up toward the stars as he thought. James and Reg actually worked it out faster than Reg and I did. I was really worried about the unstoppable force that is James Potter's love against the immovable object that is, well, Reggie, but actually it wasn't too bad. Within a couple months, Regulus realized that James wasn't trying to manipulate him, he's just overflowing with love and consideration. James is, at his core, a fixer of broken people, and Reg and I are just so, so broken. And now Reg is intertwined in our lives deeply enough that James asked him to be in his wedding. Sirius smiled softly, gazed distant as he considered the journey that brought his brothers together. I'm happy you've all worked it out, Remus said gently, tugging on Sirius's wrist so he'd turn to look at him. I can tell it was a lot of hard work for both of you. Sirius actually laughed out loud. Do you want to know what's actually really funny about it all? Reg is, for the most part, the one who made it all happen. That little fucker is so cold and so logical.
He's all about data and numbers, it's what makes him an excellent actuary. He's a firm believer that good decisions aren't made based on emotion, right? You've met him. Remus nodded. For all of about five minutes, but yes, that tracks with my experience. Well, he started trusting James, who comes across as kind of an idiot but is actually very smart and incredibly emotionally aware, right? And James, in that insidious way of his, managed to move the needle in Reg's head from our childhood was unpleasant to our childhood was neglectful and abusive. Reg did some research into the best ways to cope with childhood trauma and, shock of shocks, found that therapy is one of the most reliable methods. That ice-cold arsehole decided to voluntarily share his feelings with a stranger once a week for the foreseeable future because, the data doesn't lie, Sirius, it's the best option, and you should probably try it, too. Sirius shook his head, grinning at the paradox. He was right, of course. It did help. And it made him weirdly good with kids. For someone who was never really a child himself, he's really, really good with them. Yeah, I saw the way he handled that situation with Dudley. I thought he was going to disembowel you. He thought about it. You could see it in his eyes. They both snickered quietly as they smiled at each other in the starlight. Remus took a shaking drag of his cigarette. They'd already been teetering on the edge of a cliff for half an hour already, trading deep, dark secrets and painful truths. Remus rarely talked to anyone about his mom. Even Dorcas, his best friend, only knew because he'd gone to hers for holidays a few times. And he talked to nobody about his dad, just as his dad talked to nobody about him. There was no taking this one back. If he took one more step, he'd be falling and all he could do is hope Sirius stepped with him. In for a penny, in for a pound. Remus flung himself over the edge, eyes closed and heart thumping. Hopefully someday we'll fix it. If there's time. Sirius's eyebrows drew together, confusion clear in his gray eyes. Time. Why, is your dad sick too? Remus sighed. The thing with Huntington's is, it's a dominant gene. So if you have a parent who has it, there's a 50% chance you do, too. She was pretty young at her onset, so that could happen to me. I don't know. Sirius drew in a sharp breath, body completely still, as though Remus were a wild animal who would spook if he moved suddenly. Do you want to know? Remus shrugged. Not really. Some people do, but others don't. To me, there's no treatment, so what's the point in spending my easy years knowing they're going to eventually get harder? I don't think my mom would have traded me or my dad for anything, and I don't want it to change my decisions, either. Maybe, if I was considering kids, but even then pretty much only so I would know how likely I would be to traumatize them by dying before they finished A. Levels. Remus finished matter-of-factly, as though the thought of kids and dying didn't both fucking terrify him. Sirius was gripping Remus's wrist so tightly he thought it would bruise. Anyone with any sense wouldn't willingly give up time with you. Even if it got hard. Even if it ended early. It would be worth it. Remus's breath hitched. He raised his hand to Sirius's face, just barely making contact as he brushed his thumb along a sharp cheekbone. 
Somehow, Sirius allowed him to feel everything, the entire range of human emotion thrumming through him like the heavy bass line still vibrating the wall at his back, while the world narrowed to wide grey eyes and the pressure of tattooed fingers on his wrist. How are you so bloody perfect, he murmured, barely aware he was speaking. Sirius let out the breath he had been holding as a little puff of laughter, and feeling the warm air on his skin made Remus realize how close they'd gotten. Their bodies were pressed together from ankle to shoulder, faces close enough that Remus could count every one of Sirius's long, dark eyelashes even in the dim light. He listened to his own ragged breathing and wondered distantly if Sirius could feel his pulse race beneath those black fingernails. Sirius's gaze flicked quickly between Remus's eyes and his mouth, his own lips barely parted. God, Remus wanted to kiss him. Devour him. Take that full lower lip between his teeth and bite. Sirius. There you are. Peter shouted from the doorway, making both of them jump. James has been looking for you. He's doing I will follow you into the dark and need some moral support. You know he cries. Sirius dropped his head onto Remus's shoulder, sighing heavily. Be right there, Pete, he called over his shoulder before checking in on Remus. You okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. I'm right behind you, just need a couple minutes. Sirius nodded and went to meet Peter by the door. Remus stayed outside for a few breaths, staring at the nearly full moon and finishing his cigarette. He had to tell Sirius his real name and what he was doing here. It was just silly not to at this point. If he took Remus's confession that there was a 50% chance he'd die young of an untreatable neurodegenerative disease completely in stride, he could handle this. He was going to do it. He would come clean. Remus nodded to himself as he made the decision, stubbed his cigarette out in the ashtray, and went back inside. Chapter 6 As Remus entered the ballroom, James was gazing adoringly at his wife as he serenaded her on an acoustic guitar. No blinding light Or tunnels to gates of white Just our hands clasped so tight Waiting for the hint of a spark If heaven and hell decide That they both are satisfied Illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks Then I'll follow you into the dark Sirius was standing in the front row, encouraging his brother as James wiped away a couple tears. Remus moved closer to the dance floor and saw Lily's eyes also shining as they overflowed and dripped down her cheeks. After the song finished, Lily hopped down from the stool she was sitting on and James kissed her hard, her hands finding his face as his arm wrapped around her waist and he bowed her backward. They held the kiss for several seconds as the guests whistled and clapped, and when they resurfaced they were both breathless and giggling. Thank you to the band for helping me prepare that surprise, they've been great all night. Give them an extra round of applause. James instructed, and the crowd complied. Sirius turned, his eyes scanning the guests until he found Remus. James and Lily vacated the stage and the band immediately launched into uptown funk, 
they clearly felt it was time for the party phase of the evening to begin. Sirius made a beeline for Remus, pulling him in until they were hip to hip. Dance with me. Remus laughed. I only dance when I'm manipulated into it by small children. Mary and Alice begged to differ. Are you capable of saying no to Mary MacDonald? Sirius conceded the point. No, I guess I'm really not. Well, then. Remus said cheekily as he turned and pretended to pull away. Sirius snaked a hand around his waist and aligned their bodies so they were pressed back to chest. His hands found Remus's hips and pulled their waists tightly together, moving their bodies as one. Dancing with Sirius felt borderline indecent, like everyone around them could sense they were ten seconds from publicly frotting. His movements were fluid, his hands were everywhere, and he ensured Remus's body was pressed against him from shoulders to feet. Remus could feel every muscle in his thick arms, every flex and relaxation of his core as he swayed their hips from side to side. God, he was so bloody sexy. The songs bled together, one into the next, as Remus allowed himself to get lost in their movements. Sirius's nose was brushing softly behind Remus's ear, and his hand had found its way to the spot where the buttons on Remus's shirt met the top of his trousers. His cool fingertips were sneaking between the layers of fabric, just barely slipping beneath the waistband of his pants, searching for overheated skin. Remus shivered, arching into the sensation. He tipped his head back, resting it on Sirius's shoulder, to give Sirius better access to his neck. He could feel Sirius's breath quicken as he released small puffs of air against the sensitive skin just beneath his collar. Remus could feel his trousers becoming uncomfortably tight, and their proximity made it clear Sirius was no less turned on. Fuck it. Remus turned without breaking the contact between their bodies and pressed a desperate kiss to Sirius's lips. He sucked Sirius's lower lip into his mouth, then their tongues were sliding against each other, and Remus felt a groan reverberate through Sirius's broad chest. Remus sighed softly in response as he relaxed into Sirius's body and twined his arms around his neck. Sirius pressed a line of kisses up Remus's jaw, culminating in a sharp nip at his earlobe. Fucking finally, Sirius mumbled as he started working down his neck toward his collarbone, and Remus had never agreed with a sentiment more. What was he doing, really? Why had he been waiting? He knew he wanted this, Sirius had been clear he wanted it too, who was benefiting by Remus denying their desires. His fingers traced down Sirius's firm pecs and stomach before settling on the bony arches of his hips. He squeezed gently before leaning into Sirius and taking a step, nudging him backwards without breaking the kiss, until they were pressed against the wall behind the head table. Remus slid one hand into Sirius's hair and tugged, making him moan as he tipped his head back so Remus could suck a bruise into the junction between his neck and shoulder. This is a hotel. I have a room, Sirius panted into his ear as Remus fiddled with the wall behind him. Where is that stupid latch? No time, Remus practically growled before scraping his teeth across Sirius's collarbone, free hand still searching. Seriously, where is it? Sirius laughed breathily as he ground into Remus's hips, capturing his lips again in a searing kiss. It's, like, five floors. Ah uh, ah, uh, Remus mumbled into his mouth. Need you now.
Sirius sucked on his lower lip, tugging at his piercing with his teeth. If I get you anywhere as private as an elevator or a stairwell, I'm fucking you right there. Sirius's hands had found their way to Remus's hair, and he felt a tug as his fingers twitched. Don't threaten me with a good time, Jonas. Let's just. Remus pulled away so he could look into Sirius's eyes. If you don't stop talking, I will give you something to do so you can't. Sirius's eyes widened, his silver irises barely visible around blown pupils, and Remus could feel his breath hitch. Okay. Yes. No time. Yes, he babbled while Remus finally, finally found the handle he was looking for. Remus pulled and a hidden door opened into a staff hallway. He'd been back there in his short stint as a server, as well as a couple times for more, extracurricular activities. Sirius slid through the narrow gap, pulling Remus along, and pinned him to the wall as soon as they were both inside. He kissed Remus fiercely, nipping down his neck, unbuttoning his shirt with trembling hands as he worked down his chest, tracing old scar tissue with his tongue, and looking utterly euphoric when he discovered the stainless steel bar through Remus's right nipple. Remus canted his hips, desperate for any kind of friction, and pulled Sirius's lips back to his own. Door. There. Door, Remus murmured into their kiss, pushing him gently toward the area where wait staff could find extra supplies and wash their hands. Sirius backed them into the room as his tongue explored Remus's mouth and his fingers entwined themselves in Remus's curls. Remus pressed him against the back wall and slid his knee between Sirius's legs, each of them rocking their hips firmly against the other. Remus pushed off both of their shirts as Sirius unbuttoned Remus's trousers, and oh fuck. The left side of Sirius's chest was covered in a grayscale tattoo of a bare-limbed tree, the roots just brushing the top of his hip bone and the branches twisting over his clavicle. The vines visible on his wrist, Remus now saw, ran all the way down his arm. They originated from the tree, wrapped around its trunk and most of its branches, choking the life out of them. Only four branches had been spared, and those were covered in watercolor cherry blossoms. Gorgeous, Remus breathed as he reached out to trace the blossoming branch that ran around the curve of Sirius's rib cage. He dipped his head to suck a bruise into the flower on his collarbone, then where the largest limb met the trunk, then nipped down his ribs until he could run the tip of his tongue along the fine tendrils of the tree's shriveled roots. Remus felt Sirius shiver underneath him as he knelt on the floor, nosing down the trail of dark hair from his navel to his waistband. His thumb stroked gently at sharp hip bones while he tucked his fingers between hot skin and soft cotton. Mouthing at the bulge under Sirius's pants, Remus looked up to meet Sirius's eyes as he tugged gently, asking permission. Sirius bit his lower lip and frantically nodded. Remus pulled, freeing Sirius's hard cock. He flicked his tongue quickly over the plush head, grinning as Sirius's hips jolted forward, chasing the sensation. Remus pressed Sirius to the wall firmly as he did it again, digging his fingers into muscular thighs and smirking when he heard a high-pitched whine escape Sirius's throat. Proud of yourself, are you? he asked, voice rough and breathing ragged. Yeah, just a bit. You're fun to tease, Remus answered before licking one long stripe from his base to his tip. 
Sirius groaned in frustration, squeezing tightly where he had his hands on Remus's shoulders. Remus ran the flat of his tongue along the underside of Sirius's cock again, then immediately took him fully into his mouth. Fa, ah. Uck, Sirius gasped as Remus swallowed around him, nose pressed to the hair at his base. Remus set a punishing pace, enjoying himself almost as much as Sirius was. Sirius's hands wound their way into Remus's hair, pulling gently at soft curls as he pressed his lips together to stifle his moans. Remus had relaxed his throat, taking him fully, when he felt a sharp tug on his scalp. He pulled back far enough to see grey eyes blown near black staring intently at him. Touch yourself, Sirius hissed. Remus, moaning around him, closed his eyes with pleasure as he pulled himself out and began to stroke. Sirius tugged at his hair again, rougher this time, making Remus groan again as their gazes met. Eyes open. I want to see you. Holy fuck. Anything. Remus would do anything Sirius asked of him. He hadn't expected him to be this bossy, but oh, he liked it. Remus enjoyed nothing more than malicious compliance. Never one to back down from a challenge, Remus was determined to make sure Sirius broke eye contact first. He bobbed rapidly at Sirius's head, swiping his tongue over his tip each time he drew back. He slipped his first two fingers into his mouth as he took him back into his throat, then slid them between Sirius's spread legs, gently circling delicate hidden skin. Sirius put one of his hands to his mouth as he tried unsuccessfully to muffle the wanton sounds he was making. Remus slipped the tip of one, then two, fingers inside, and soon Sirius was rocking desperately between his hand and his mouth. Remus was lost in the feeling of his hand pumping in time with Sirius's cock in his throat, both of them overcome with desire. In what felt like seconds, Sirius was tapping fervently at Remus's shoulder. I'm, I'm gonna. He said breathlessly. Remus didn't pull off, instead watching as Sirius tipped his head back into the wall, closing his eyes and shuddering as he came hot and thick across Remus's tongue. I win. Sirius rode out his orgasm, thrusting erratically into Remus's mouth, before immediately sinking to his knees and pulling Remus's lips to his own in a sloppy kiss, open-mouthed and needy. He batted Remus's hand away from his own stiff cock, pumping him firmly as he continued to swipe his tongue against the roof of Remus's mouth. Remus was panting, driving into the tight grip of his hand, dripping pre-cum and just barely stopping himself from falling off the cliff, when Sirius pulled back. Come for me. I want to watch you come, he said, voice graveled from harsh breathing, and really, who was Remus to deny him anything he wanted? He dove over the edge, maintaining eye contact as long as he could while his hip stuttered and he spilled into Sirius's hand. He rested his head on Sirius's shoulder, his lips finding skin as their breathing evened out. Remus tucked himself away as Sirius cleaned his hands on a cloth napkin he'd grabbed from a cart. Remus wrinkled his nose. You're going to hide that in the trash, right? Not leave it around for some poor, unsuspecting employee to find. Oh, no. I was actually going to bring it home. I have a collection. I know you're kidding, but I feel morally obligated to tell you that neither of those options is okay. Sirius barked out a loud laugh. 
You're very cute when you're disgusted, did you know that? He leaned in and pressed his lips to Remus's. Languidly. Nonchalantly. As if they'd been exchanging kisses forever and had forever left ahead for more. Remus shifted his weight so he was sitting with his back against the wall, pulling Sirius into his lap as he moved. One of his hands found its way around his waist, firmly planted on his lower back, and the other was cupping the back of his neck with his fingers stretching into Sirius's hair. Sirius pulled his hands away from where they'd been softly stroking Remus's cheekbones and pulled out the coiled hair band. Long, loose curls tumbled around his shoulders and he sighed in contentment as Remus began to gently scratch at his scalp. God, you're fucking gorgeous, he murmured into Sirius's mouth. Sirius leaned down to kiss him, swiping his tongue along Remus's lower lip as he cupped his jaw. And you're gorgeous fucking. Absolutely debauched. I love it. Remus huffed a quiet laugh, stomach flip-flopping at the word despite its context. He felt utterly at peace in this glorified closet with the spare forks and the muted bass thrumming through the walls. He wasn't sure how long he'd be allowed to stay here, wrapped up in tattooed arms and thick thighs and expensive cologne, but he was pretty certain it wouldn't be long enough. Remus sighed softly, knowing this moment had an expiration date. Not just because they had to get back to the party before Sirius was missed, but also, perhaps more importantly, because he had to tell Sirius the truth about who he was and what he was doing here. He was going to tell him, he really was. And he took comfort from the fact that, beyond his name and how he knew the couple, he hadn't lied to Sirius. Tonight was, arguably, the most honest and open Remus had ever been on a date. Most of the things he told Sirius were 8th date, 10th date, 30th date information, information to be revealed after the number of dates stopped being counted and a relationship had been firmly established. Somewhere between, are we exclusive, and, we should move in together. Remus rarely made it past the third date, he didn't know how to handle this. Everything about Sirius made Remus feel like he'd jumped off the high dive into a pool of Dom Perignon, it was exhilarating, sweet, intoxicating, and just a bit reckless. What was one more risk? He would tell him. He would. Just. Not now. Not while they were in the soft light of afterglow. Not while Sirius was still tasting himself on Remus's tongue. That was for later, when Remus accompanied Sirius back to his room. When they had some actual quiet, and a little more time for Remus to explain, and a way Sirius could take some space, if he needed it. Not now. Not while everything was perfect. Remus took his thoughts of honesty and the knot of guilt, rolled them up in a little ball, sealed it in a box in his mind, and shoved it underneath an imaginary bed. He wasn't going to ruin this moment. He was going to enjoy the feel of Sirius's chest against his, Sirius's lips on his neck, for just a little longer. Remus stroked his cheek, drawing him in, slipping his tongue in Sirius's mouth one more time before Sirius broke the kiss. Laying down a line of soft pecks up Remus's jaw and nuzzling the soft spot behind his ear, he whispered softly. We need to get back. Counterpoint, we could stay here. We could, but they'll notice I'm missing soon. I'd hate for James to send out a search party because you somehow snuck us into a parallel dimension. 
Remus grimaced as his stomach squirmed at the idea of being caught, and he captured Sirius's lips again. Fine. Kiss. Are you always right? Kiss. Is this an annoying thing about you I'm just going to have to adjust to? Kiss, kiss, kiss. Sirius laughed softly into his mouth. Preferably, yes. That would be ideal, thank you. Sirius stood, offering his hand to help Remus off the floor, and they slowly gathered their scattered clothes. They tried not to grin at each other like guilty schoolchildren as they dressed. Remus straightened the back of Sirius's collar where it tried to lay crooked. Sirius smoothed Remus's thoroughly mussed hair. They both stole as many glances and innocent touches as they could, soaking up the casual intimacy of getting ready in tandem. They snuck out the door, Sirius hiding the used napkin in the bin under some paper towels. Remus felt positively giddy with his hand in Sirius's, basking in the glow from the brightest star in the night sky. They sat quietly for a few minutes at the edge of the ballroom, Sirius rest his head on Remus's shoulder as he watched James and Lily spin in slow circles, totally wrapped up in each other. Remus twisted their fingers together, tracing black ink and black fingernails, and occasionally turned his head to place a soft kiss on top of Sirius's head. He wasn't sure how he ended up having such intense feelings for a virtual stranger over the course of an evening, he was, as a rule, distant and aloof. Even Dorcas only knew about his mom because she had the audacity to ask directly, and he hadn't explicitly told her there was a 50% chance it could be him, too. He was guessing she knew, she had access to Google, after all, but she was tactful enough to sense he didn't want to talk about it and left it alone. Something about Sirius soothed Remus's soul. Talking with him felt like sharing the load, you take that end, I'll take this, we can carry it together, rather than burdening someone with his shit. It was both intoxicating and paralyzingly frightening. What if it was too heavy? What if Sirius suddenly dropped his end, and Remus wound up with a chest full of feelings and secrets crushing his toes? He was pulled from his thoughts as a teenager with pink hair, holding a clearly very tired Harry, tapped on Sirius's shoulder. Sirius? I need some help. Hey, pup, Sirius said softly as he stretched his hands out and pulled Harry, clad in pajamas with a dinosaur pattern, onto his lap. Harry came willingly, turning his head so his face was buried in his godfather's shoulder and his hair was tickling Sirius's chin. What's wrong? Bad dream? Harry nodded as Sirius started stroking his back comfortingly. The teenager breathed a sigh of relief. Thanks, Sirius. Bill and I were having a hard time getting him back down, and we have seven other kids asleep in there. We didn't want Harry to wake any of them up. Sirius nodded and rocked side to side, soothing Harry quietly. He stood, then bent to give Remus a quick peck on the lips. It's a little loud in here to get him back to sleep, I'll take care of this and then I'll be back. See you in a bit. Remus nodded and gave his hand a squeeze before he sauntered off. Remus watched him walk away, his heart tripping over itself in its eagerness to race as he saw how much Sirius cared for his godson. He was also grateful for the cling of tailored pants around strong thighs and a firm arse, but that was secondary. He wandered over to grab a couple glasses of water from the bar, but he never managed to make it back to their table. 
He was intercepted halfway by a nervous-looking Peter holding Remus's suit jacket. Hey, Erm, I just thought you should know. Petunia has gone a little rogue, and she's getting hotel management to kick out those interlopers. I don't know whether they'll do anything or not, and you're welcome to stay and take the risk. I just thought you should have the option to not make a scene. Remus's stomach dropped. This was more than just losing the game, the fact it was hotel management, instead of just a family member kicking him out, meant his job was on the line. While management generally ignored it when employees made themselves a little too comfortable at an event, having to remove one of their own from the premises was well across the line. Fuck. He reached out to take his jacket, his paisley tie sticking precariously out of the pocket. Thanks Pete, you're a real mate. I appreciate it. He craned his neck, looking for Dorcas's shining gold figure in the crowd. Hey, this is going to sound weird, but have you seen? She and Marlene left fifteen minutes ago, she's clear. Remus breathed a sigh of relief before looking at Peter questioningly. So did you know the whole time, or? Peter's eyes crinkled as he grinned. Literally immediately, you're not as sneaky as you think you are. James didn't notice because he inherently trusts everyone, and Sirius isn't dumb enough to start asking questions when the universe presents the perfect man on a golden platter. Remus flushed at the descriptor. Can you? Peter cut him off. I'll tell him you got an emergency phone call. If you're going, you need to leave, she left before Sirius went off with Harry and I'm sure she'll be back soon. I'm not sure what you did, but she is very unimpressed by you. Remus groaned. Don't worry about it, Toonie sucks. Consider it a compliment, actually. Remus smiled. Thanks again, Pete. You really saved my arse. I wouldn't want to disturb James and Lily's big day. Yeah, yeah, nobody could live without me. Now go. Peter waved as he pushed Remus out the door. Remus took the tube back to his flat, unable to stop himself from grinning. He actually was pretty sure he made the poor girl across from him uncomfortable with his staring into space and smiling, he was lost in thoughts of Sirius and hadn't noticed he was looking in her direction until she moved seats. After he took a long, hot, relaxing shower, taking himself in hand again as Sirius's face ran through his head and warm water ran over his body, he went to bed. And he couldn't sleep. His euphoria crashed down around him, sharp shards cutting through his skin and into his soul like glass. He laid awake for hours, imagining what their life would look like. In his fantasies, Remus was deliriously happy. Sirius was sweet, and funny, and handsome, and understanding. But Remus himself, Remus just couldn't see a future where he wasn't a disappointment. In half of them, because he was a realist, Sirius had to watch him slowly lose function of his mind and body, putting himself aside to care for Remus only to become a young, handsome, devastated widower anyway. In the other half, they'd be happy together for a while, but eventually Sirius would realize Remus was a perpetual underachiever, an anchor weighing him down, and he'd either grow to resent him or be smart enough to cut the line. There had been a poster in Remus's primary school that said, Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Well, Remus was aiming for the stars in the first place, 
but he couldn't figure out what use the stars would have for a crumpled piece of notebook paper lobbed skyward. Maybe slipping off into the night had been for the best. Remus sat at their usual table in the garden at the Three Broomsticks the following morning, sipping a cup of Earl Grey tea while he waited for Dorcas. He perused the menu through dark sunglasses, decided on a full English, and ordered her an iced cinnamon latte along with her usual Greek omelette. He was reading his book when he startled at the scraping of a chair being pulled out across the table. Oh, Rem, you're a lifesaver. I'm exhausted. Remus hummed in agreement as he eyed her sparkling dress and high heels. Yeah, I'll bet you are. Haven't quite made it home yet. Babe, not only did I not make it home last night, I'm not even going home after this. After we're done here, I'm going right back to the bed of the beautiful woman I just left. Remus raised his eyebrows. Dorcas, like Remus, usually kept things very casual. That good, then? Dorcas sighed wistfully. Honestly, we didn't even have sex until this morning, and last night was still the most satisfied I've ever been. Go on, then. She's just unbelievable, Remus, I can barely put it into words. I went back to her room with full intentions of having my face between her thighs in less than five minutes, but we kept getting distracted talking. Have you ever had that happen? You're laying in bed with the gorgeous woman you've been lusting after all evening, and you never quite get around to actually sleeping together. That has literally never happened to me. Plus, you've seen her. She's gorgeous. Remus hummed in agreement. But that's like, 50th on the list of things that make her amazing. She used a cheesy pickup line on me, and I liked it. How can someone possibly be charming enough that, you look a lot like my next girlfriend actually works? Remus shook his head. No, she didn't. Please, Cass, tell me she didn't. She did. And then she winked, and she smiled, and she was so self-aware but also shameless about it that I was utterly entranced. That's actually really embarrassing for you. Dorcas reached across the table and swatted his arm. Arsehole. You're right, but you don't need to point it out. He grinned at her picking up his fork as their food was delivered. I absolutely do. Shut up, you. Sorry I'm attracted to people who are confident enough to be silly. My abs are literally sore right now because I laughed so much yesterday, she's hysterical. We spent 45 minutes talking about animals we could beat in a fight, how does that even happen? She genuinely believes she could wrestle an alligator because, you just hug it really tight, Dorcas, how hard could it be? I give excellent hugs and am clingy as fuck. Remus squinted suspiciously. She called you Dorcas. Dorcas's cheeks darkened. She, may have. How early did you tell her your real name? She grimaced. Ten minutes in, maybe. It slipped out. We were talking about the kids. I told her my niece calls me Auntie Dork and she was visibly confused so then I had to tell her, and she thought it was very funny and had to get a play-by-play -play of previous matches. She's very competitive and wanted to know my record. She thought you knocking over that table of pictures was hilarious, by the way. Dorcas. You're not supposed to tell them. 
Dorcas rolled her eyes. Like you didn't tell Loverboy immediately. You, Mr. Aloof, followed him around like a particularly obedient puppy all evening. You're telling me you didn't come clean at any point? Remus bit his lip and shook his head, suddenly very interested in his beans. I don't believe you. I was going to. When we went back to his room and had some space and quiet to talk it through. But then Lily's sister went to get hotel management and Sirius was off putting Harry back to sleep so I had to bail and I didn't get to say goodbye. Remus. What the fuck? I know, Remus sighed. So how are you going to talk to him? Slide into his DMs. He shrugged. Probably won't. He was great, it was great, but really, he'd figure out pretty quickly that he wants better than me anyway. Dorcas just stared at him, her eyes boring holes in his skin and making him squirm. He would. I'm nobody, Dorcas. A failed author working a job he barely tolerates because he's so unimpressive he can't even get a second interview at one he'd like. You're twenty-fucking-five, Remus. It's a little early to be calling yourself a failed author, and a little late to be throwing yourself a pity party like a morose teenager. I had plenty of reasons to be a morose teenager, it's not my fault it overflowed into my twenties. Dorcas shook her head. Nope. What do you mean, nope? You're acting like a coward. I know you're acting like a coward, you know you're acting like a coward, and you're trying to distract me so I won't call you out on it. To which I say, nope. Remus clenched his jaw and looked away, and Dorcas sighed. She reached across the table and grabbed his hand. Hey, look at me. Remus pointedly kept his eyes on his breakfast. Eye contact, Lupin. Come on. He pushed an irritated breath out his nose and met her gaze. You get to have nice things, just because. You don't have to earn them, you don't have to be worthy. You fucking are, of course, but I know you'll never take me at my word on that so I'll meet you where you're at and tell you it's not necessary. Remus ground his teeth and took a deep breath, exhaling a begrudging, thank you, Cass. She squeezed his hand and pulled away, putting her stern face back on. And you don't get to decide for Sirius what he wants, that's up to him. You're not protecting him. You're protecting yourself from your own happiness, and that's stupid. Remus rolled his eyes. Can we please just tally up the total? Dorcas sighed, shaking her head, and opened up a spreadsheet on her phone. We don't need to, since I won, but fine. She started tapping numbers into the columns and mumbling. Three points for the wedding. Three points for shots with the bride and groom. One point for a shot with the wedding party. Two. I did two shots with the wedding party. Oh, my apologies. It won't help you win, but sure. One dance with a kid, three points. She raised an accusatory eyebrow at him. Hook up with the best man, 25 points. Best man, who is also an immediate family member. They're brothers. She rolled her eyes. Once again, it doesn't matter, but fine. 31 points, then. For a grand total of, 39. Respectable, but not your best work. Better than your night. 
Au contraire, mon frère. She tapped a couple of times on her phone. I scored, 173 points. I win. Forever. Game's over, mate. Remus shook his head. We agreed to that rule as a joke. There's no way you could possibly know you're in love with her after one night. Dorcas arched an eyebrow at him and pinned him uncomfortably with her stare. Really? You don't think you could know? Remus couldn't stop himself from squirming. Because he could. Maybe love, specifically, was a big word, but he knew he had feelings. He knew he wanted to know how Sirius had slept, and bring him water and ibuprofen if he was hungover, and ask if he was thinking about Remus, too. He knew the idea of not seeing Sirius again made his heart stutter and his stomach twist in panic. He pushed out the lie through gritted teeth. No. I don't think I could know in one night. And you didn't really give me much evidence to make me think you do, either. Dorcas reeled back as though he'd hit her. What is your problem this morning? Why are you acting like such an arsehole? I just don't think love is built on alligator wrestling, that's all. Remus fiddled with his food, cutting his remaining sausage into smaller and smaller pieces that he had no intention of eating. Fuck off, Remus. Did it occur to you that the deeply personal conversations we had aren't your business? That you're not entitled to the things Marlene told me in confidence? Yes. We did that, too. I told him things about myself that I haven't even told you. I'd never betray his trust the way I just asked you to betray Marlene's. I just don't want you to get hurt. Well, given that the only one hurting me right now is you, mission failed. I shouldn't have to justify my feelings to my best friend, he should just be happy for me. Dorcas pinched the bridge of her nose, inhaling and exhaling harshly. I'm not sure what's going on here today. She gestured vaguely to encompass Remus's whole being. But I think we both need a little bit of space. Marlene just texted, they're done with the gift opening so I'm going to head back. I love you, you're my best friend in the whole world, but I'm more than a little mad at you right now. I'll see you at work. She threw a few bills on the table and stalked off. Remus watched her go, head already swirling with guilt. I'm sorry, Remus whispered to the empty chair across the table. It didn't respond. Lily and James Sirius burst into the Windsor suite at ten past eight using the keycard James gave him at check-in. The invite said the gift opening started at 8.30, he flipped the deadbolt behind him so everyone else could just walk in. Jesus Christ, Sirius. I know we're all incredibly codependent, but it's the morning after our wedding. Couldn't you have knocked just this once? Lily had a go at him as soon as he walked through the door. Literally never once in my life will I knock, Red. Besides, Reg is already here, where's his lecture? Reg came when he was invited, James replied, looking up from his room service waffles and seeing Sirius for the first time. You look like shit, mate. Sirius sighed, drawn out and pained. That's because I'm utterly devastated. Where's my godson? There are only two things in this world that could pull me from my despondency, and I expect it to be greeted appropriately. He glared at Lily, 
by him when I came in. Regulus felt the need to interject for some reason. He spent the night with Effie and Monty, where he will likely remain until 8.30, which is when you were all invited back for the gift opening. Congratulations, Sirius, the six-year-old has better boundaries than you do. The git. Nobody asked for your opinion, Reg. I like his opinions. He gets to stay, Lily said with a wink at Reg as she set down a cup of coffee for herself and tea for Reg. A mug for Sirius was notably absent. He reached across the table to grab James's coffee and pouted, he was genuinely upset that Jonas had just disappeared on him last night. Pete said he had an emergency, but what did that mean? Was he okay? Was his dad hurt? What if his flat was flooded or something? Did he need somewhere to stay? Sirius chewed intently on his lip as he watched the cream swirl like clouds in James's clear coffee mug. His best friend reached across the table, patting his hand gently. I'm sorry you got left after the altar, he said, unable to stop himself from making a wedding day illusion, even when he was trying to comfort Sirius. Sirius glanced at Regulus, who was visibly appalled by the painfully unfunny joke. Honestly, James, Regulus said. He's already in dire straits. Do you have to insult him with terrible jokes, too? James opened his mouth to retort as Peter came in, followed by a sharp knock from Petunia and Dudley. Lily rolled her eyes as she went to answer the door, they could clearly hear voices from the hallway. As she ushered them in, Dudley hurried forward to plant himself firmly in Regulus's lap and ate a strawberry off his plate. Every eye in the room stared for a moment, a little taken aback by Dudley's continued affinity for Reg, but Sirius shrugged it off. Like he'd told Jonas last night, Regulus was weirdly good with kids. Lils, I need his number. That's the only thing that can save me, Sirius begged. I'm bereft without him. I need to see him again. Why are you asking me? Lily asked, confusion evident. I've never met that guy in my life. I thought he worked with James. James shook his head slowly. Nope, not mine. He said he was in your book club. What was his name again? Jonas Adams. No, Jonas is my cousin's kid, Lily corrected. The family who got food poisoning but was actually at Windsor Castle, remember? Wait, so that wasn't even his real name? Sirius squawked, astounded. Peter burst into raucous laughter, and everyone but Dudley, who was munching on blueberries and whipped cream from Reg's plate, turned to look at him. Care to share what's so funny, Pete? James asked, passing him a mug and a coffee carafe. He heard the door open and shut, and Frank, Alice, and Mary were suddenly in the kitchenette. Lily turned to catch them up on the drama. I'm sorry, I just, I knew he wasn't actually a guest the whole time. Did you not? How did you not? Lily hates everyone in her book club, it probably seemed like a safe lie but it wasn't a good one. Did you really not know? He surveyed the room and saw Sirius, James, and Lily's shaking heads. Reg lifted his head and raised his hand a little. I knew. Sirius rounded on him. You knew, too. Both of you, how could you do this to me? Why didn't you say anything?
I just liked his vibe, Peter said casually. I told them to hire security, Regulus shrugged, tilting his head toward James and Lily. He didn't seem like he was going to take off with anything important, and it served them right. I mean, an advisor to the Prime Minister was there, for Christ's sake. Petunia sniffed, though whether it was in agreement with Reg's assessment of wedding security or offense at the blasphemy, Sirius wasn't sure. Either way, she could saw it off. Not take off with anything important. Sirius cried. He stole my heart, Reggie. Like I said, Regulus smirked into his mug and accepted a high five from Peter over his shoulder. Sirius scoffed and turned to Peter. You saw him last, you traitor. You couldn't have kept him around. At least gotten his number. Well, I didn't know you'd let the man you were clearly smitten with blow you in a loo without getting his number. How is that my fault? Sirius glanced at Dudley to see that Regulus had cleverly given him headphones and set him up with his iPad. Smart man, the six-year-old probably didn't need to hear about his sexual escapades. Sirius raised his chin haughtily. It was a catering supply room, actually. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend your delicate sensibilities, that's much classier. Sirius nodded. It was, actually. Peter continued. I don't know why you're mad at me about it anyway, he only left once Petunia went to get hotel management. She's the reason he left early. Sirius rounded on Petunia. Oh, I should have known this was your fault. Why are you such a joy vampire? Just suck all the happiness out of everything. He had no business being there, Petunia said, sticking her nose in the air. It's impolite to just show up at a place you're not invited and not wanted. James snorted into his coffee. I think it's pretty clear Sirius wanted him there, Petunia. He spent the whole morning whimpering about him being gone like a puppy whose owner just left for work. That would matter, if it was Sirius's wedding, Petunia replied snidely. As it was not, his opinion is irrelevant. Sirius opened his mouth to bite back, but Lily waved a hand between them. Okay, okay, enough. It's over now, there's nothing we can do to change it. I'm sure he'll contact you, Sirius. He knows who you are. Sirius was ready to argue. It was easy for her to wave off his feelings, she was already married to the love of her life. Other people weren't so fortunate. Before he could get his opening statement out, the door banged open and Marlene swanned in, carrying Harry and leading both sets of parents into the suite. Good morning, all, she trilled, handing Harry off to Sirius, who settled him comfortably in his lap. How are we all this morning? Are we having a good time? You're awfully chipper this morning, Peter observed. Did you have fun with your wedding crasher? Sirius's broke his heart. Wait, she wasn't invited either. How do you know that, Pete? Sirius asked as Marlene grinned and nodded. Those two were the only ones who were there the whole time, but three servers changed clothes and came back, too. We aren't all as self-absorbed as you, Black. Some of us actually pay attention to the people bringing us food. And I helped make the seating arrangements. Maybe if you were a little more helpful, you'd have known. Sirius flushed, 
James and Lily hadn't even asked for his help with that. James patted his hand and murmured to him comfortingly. You know Pete has a good head for stuff like that, he remembers who got into a stupid fight five years ago so they can't sit at the same table. That was true. Peter was excellent at keeping his mouth shut, but he had a huge circle of friends and knew the gossip for all of them. In a relatively small community of big money and big egos, it was a useful skill to draw upon. Still, the last twelve hours had really been a blow to his ego. First not Jonas bailing on him and now Pete getting preference for wedding duties. Ouch. Now that everyone has joined us, shall we get to the opening? Lily asked, shooing people toward the pile of gifts in the living room. Help yourself to breakfast. There are pastries and fruit and coffee, tea, and orange juice. Sirius refilled the coffee he'd stolen from James and grabbed an almond croissant to share with Harry, then settled the two of them on the floor by James's feet. Harry and Dudley both left the lap they were sitting on, drawn to James and Lily and the pile of gifts like moths to a flame. Each boy helped them open their gifts as Mary tracked the gifts and the givers for thank you card purposes. They opened a new set of towels, an obscenely expensive cheese board, and a gorgeous new set of sheets. Oh, look, huzzah! Lily exclaimed as she opened a box. We got Sirius's jammies. Now you guys can match. Harry's face lit up in excitement, and Sirius glowed. He didn't know it was possible to love anyone as much as he loved that little boy, and he could still hardly believe how much Harry loved him in return. He wasn't great with kids, overall, he was impatient and impulsive and hated the responsibility associated with being the adult in the room. Not with Harry, though. For him, it was different. Sirius saw his own gift come to the top of the pile, so he grabbed it and nudged it into James's foot. Mine next, he prodded. James pulled the white satin ribbon loose and ripped open the silver paper. He was already laughing before he even opened the top of the box, a couple of black feathers had escaped and were floating like dust motes in the air. You got me the widow robe, he crowed, cackling as he pulled it out. Look, Lily. Sirius got me the robe. Lily arched a suspicious eyebrow, fighting hard to stop her smile from spreading across her face. Should I be concerned? Are you two plotting my murder so you can inherit all my, um, well, nothing, actually? You've messed it up if you were looking to profit from my death, dear. It's your life insurance policy, darling, you're insured for a million pounds, James clarified as she leaned over to kiss a now laughing Lily's cheek. Oh, so that's all I'm worth to you. And here I thought I was priceless. Sirius cackled. He tried for that, but they made him provide a dollar amount. Lily threw a bow from the pile of wrapping at him and it hit him gently in the nose as he grinned. They continued opening until there were only a couple gifts left. Sirius was disappointed to see those ridiculous carved animals couldn't be among the dwindling pile, he'd bet James twenty quid that some rich socialite with more money than sense would buy them. Harry grabbed one of the last remaining packages, which crinkled oddly. James's face morphed into an expression of unbridled joy. No, he mumbled, barely audible over the low buzz of conversation throughout the room. They didn't. Nobody would have bought them, 
right? It was too silly. He ripped open the gift wrap to find two blue and white packages of double cream Oreos. He threw his head back and laughed, utterly delighted with the gift. He opened the card and read aloud. Congratulations on your wedding day. I got you the only his and hers item on the list. I also made a donation to mermaids, though I'm not sure how those notifications work for you. May you have a lifetime of happiness together. Oh, no, they forgot to sign it. Lils, do you recognize this writing? Lily leaned over to look and shook her head. Sirius reached up and grabbed the card, reading through the note written in a messy, all-cap scrawl. It's him. It's gotta be him. James rolled his eyes as Lily arched a skeptical red brow. What makes you say that? Well, he didn't sign it, which of course he wouldn't if he wasn't even supposed to be there. And this person's handwriting looks like every male physics professor I've ever had, so it's probably a man. And it's funny, he would love this. It's exactly his humor. I know it's him. Regulus cleared his throat across the room to garner their attention, then said. Actually, I sat him at the ceremony, and he definitely came with a gift. I think Sirius is right, Lily. Sirius turned wide, hopeful eyes back to her. Lily, can you check the donations? See if his name is on the list. Lily indulged him, pulling up the website and checking the donations list. Sorry, Sirius, there's a donation that just has John Doe written in as the giver. He really didn't want us to be able to find him. Sirius bit his lip, nodding at the unsurprising disappointment. Not Jonas had been clever, he really shouldn't have expected him to get caught that way. Lils, maybe if you emailed Zola, asked for his credit card information. Now Lily was the one cackling. Are you looking to date this guy or rob him, Black? There is no way in hell they'll give me that. I'm sorry, babe. I just don't think it's gonna happen. Sirius pouted in disappointment, though of course she was right. He hesitated, knowing it was a bit of a pitiful request, holding up the card as he asked. Do you mind if I keep this? They nodded, smiling at him sadly, and Sirius tucked it safely away under his knee where he wouldn't forget it. A handwriting sample wasn't much, but at least it was a little bit of a keepsake for one of the best nights he'd ever had. When he got home, he propped it open on his dresser, where he could see it every day and know he was out there, somewhere. If Sirius was lucky, he might be able to find him again. Chapter 7 Remus spent the rest of his day sinking into his couch, dazedly staring at a Love Island marathon. He'd never really gotten the appeal before, but suddenly he found himself incredibly invested in India and Ikena's relationship. He perhaps resented the way Ekansu and Davide hit it off immediately, just a bit. He watched until his eyes burned and his scalp itched, his body begging him to please just go to bed, but he knew all that waited for him in his dark bedroom was silence and a swimming pool of guilt. He needed to talk to Dorcas. To ask how things had gone once she got back to Marlene's. To apologize for being a terrible friend. He didn't have a right to even think about Sirius. He stayed on the couch, the hum and flash of the telly absorbing all his attention until he fell into a fitful sleep. 
He woke up the next morning with a headache and his contacts sticking to the back of his eyelids. Love Island was still running, though India and Dami were together now and Remus may have been a bit bitter they got two chances at love when he couldn't bring himself to take the risk once. He whiled away the morning on his balcony drinking tea, smoking, and wallowing in despair. He was actually looking forward to work this afternoon, at least that meant expectations and tasks to occupy his mind instead of horrible, swirling misery. He worked steadily through the first half of his shift, all customer service voice and smiles. He kipped for a few minutes on his break and woke up more tired and significantly more rumpled than before, but at least after that everyone else was gone and he was more or less alone. Maybe work wasn't better than moping around his flat, after all. You look like shit. Remus glanced at the clock on his computer through fingerprinted glasses, then flicked his eyes over to meet Dorcas's. Yeah, well, I feel like it too. I wouldn't want to set anyone's expectations too high. Dorcas huffed, somewhere between exasperation and amusement. Listen, Cass, I'm really sorry about yesterday. I was acting like an absolute knobhead, and you really deserve much better from me than that. You're an adult, you don't need me to police your dating life for you, especially not when I'm doing so out of some misplaced sense of envy. I'm happy that you hit it off with Marlene, and I understand if you don't trust me enough to talk to me about her right now, but if you do, I'd love to hear about it. Dorcas's mouth tugged down at the corners and she gave him a flat look as she considered his words. After a tense ten seconds, she nodded once, sharply. Apology accepted. Remus let out the breath he hadn't realized he'd been holding. Thank you, Dorcas. I don't know what I'd do without you. Work overnight shifts, have no friends, and never leave your flat, she listed decisively. I, however, would continue living my full and wonderful life wherein I have never done anything wrong, ever. He gave her a shrug and a nod, because yes, that sounded pretty accurate for both of them, honestly. One more thing, though, Rem, she said softly, voice unusually sincere. Remus suddenly found it hard to meet her eyes. I need you to remember that there's no glory in suffering, okay? There's no reward for denying yourself happiness. You don't win a prize at the end of your life for being the most self-sacrificing. It's okay to want things, and it's okay to pursue them, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. What if it does, though, he whispered. Oh, babe. Sometimes, when you love someone enough, the suffering is part of the reward. She squeezed his forearm, then briskly tapped the desk twice. Now, do you want to hear about the woman I'm going to marry? Remus rather did, so he wound up staying an hour after he'd clocked out listening to Dorcas talk about the all-day date she had been on with Marlene after brunch. He'd never been so pleased to stay at work late in all his life. Despite the relief of a quick reconciliation with Dorcas, Remus spent the next couple of weeks sulking. He knew he didn't really have the right to brood. He was, after all, the one choosing not to contact Sirius. The Thursday after the wedding, when Dorcas told him how Marlene was trying to hunt down any clue for the mysterious stranger who had loved and left Sirius the week before, he had ground his teeth hard enough that the nerves in his jaw started pinging electric shocks into his neck. 
Whatever sound he'd made must have been pained enough for Cass to realize this was the last thing he wanted to talk about because she didn't bring it up again. He drifted between his flat and work, only managing to make it back and forth through muscle memory. He spent all his time trying to force his mind to focus on the task at hand when it preferred to be thinking about Sirius. Wondering if he was having a good day. Wondering if he missed Remus as much as Remus missed him. How was it possible to miss someone who had been in his life for fewer than eight hours? Two weeks after the wedding, he received a text from Dorcas that said, found your boyfriend, with a TikTok link. Remus tapped, holding his breath. Sirius was wandering around the house with a laundry basket on his hip and talking into his phone's front-facing camera. His hair was down, the curls wild and unevenly fluffy as though he'd been tousling the roots. Okay, so you know how my best friend got married and I was the best man, right? Well, the first person I notice as I'm set to walk down the aisle was the most fucking amazing creature I'd ever seen. He was tall. And lanky. Like, so lanky. Just, all limbs, this man, and you know how much I love a limmy bloke. I can only see him from the back, of course, but what a view it was. Sirius closed his eyes and smacked his lips for emphasis. So I keep an eye out for him after the ceremony, and I'm delighted to find he's just as stunning from the front. A night sky worth of freckles on miles of tan skin. Full lips, honey blonde hair, loose curls made for digging your fingers into. These big, brown doe eyes that make my protective instincts flare. I wanted to sink my teeth into him on sight, honest to God. Have you ever looked at somebody and immediately wanted to eat them? Remus felt himself flushing at the description. Sirius had to be exaggerating for the social media audience, there's no way classically beautiful Sirius Black, with his cheekbones and his hair and his piercing silver eyes, could see him this way. I approach this golden god as he's leaning against the bar, right, delectable arse on full display, and it turns out he's smart and funny and has this adorable little Welsh accent in addition to being incredibly fit. So I'm completely smitten, and it must be my lucky day because he seems into me, too. We drink, we dance, we, experience some very intense emotional intimacy, Sirius hedged, quirking a suggestive eyebrow. Oh, he was good at this. Remus was compelled despite the fact that he was present for the whole affair. But then I have to run off for a few minutes, put my godson back to bed, and when I get back, he's gone. Poof. Just disappeared like a goddamn wizard. I ask around, check if anybody'd seen him, and my friend said he got a call and had to go and I should call him tomorrow. But I never got his number. Well, he's a guest at my best friend's wedding, they clearly know him, I'll just get his info from the bride. So I roll into the gift opening the next morning ready to beg, borrow, or steal his number. Only to find out the name he gave me belonged to the bride's ten-year-old cousin whose family got food poisoning and wasn't there. We have no idea who he was, no idea what he was doing there, nothing. So here I am, two weeks later, pining over this virtual stranger, whose name I don't even know, who I'm completely besotted with and will probably never see again. And to really pour salt in the wound, the friend who saw him last and my arsehole of a little brother. Sirius shouted as the camera turned briefly to Regulus, 
who flipped it off without looking up from his book knew the entire time that he wasn't actually a guest and gave a fake name. They could have prevented all this heartbreak. Again the camera flashed to Regulus, who rolled his eyes. And instead chose to do nothing. Sirius shook the camera and snarled in obvious frustration, and the video looped back to the beginning. Well, that was a little confusing, to be honest. On the one hand, it sounded like Sirius had really liked him as much as Remus thought, he referred to Remus's disappearance as heartbreak. On the other, it sounded like he would have preferred Regulus or Peter reveal him right away so he could have been kicked out and not started, whatever this was. At this point, he seemed so frustrated he probably didn't want to see Remus at all. Remus's thumb hovered over his phone, ready to swipe up and close the window. Only. Only, he hadn't seen Sirius in two weeks. Only, he missed him so much it caused a physical pain in his chest. Only, this was probably the most of Sirius he'd ever get to have again. He tapped on Sirius's picture to open his profile. No, this is invasive. He doesn't know I'm watching these. Except, his profile was public. That's how social media worked, right? If he was willing to make it public, he consented to whoever finds it watching it. Fuck it. Remus dove headfirst into the profile, drowning himself in the shoddy substitute for Sirius's presence. The first few were either videos of pranks he played on his co-workers set to the office theme music or stories about the vendetta he had against a fellow regular at the coffee shop he frequented who was extraordinarily rude. Remus didn't have to go far to get back to the weekend of James's wedding. The mystery of what happened with the fans was finally solved, there was a very dramatic video of Sirius throwing off a hotel robe and catching a deodorant microphone while singing It's All Coming Back to Me Now as his hair was being blown wildly from four different directions and the art was rattling on the walls. There was another one where James and Sirius were giggling madly while they tried to complete the lift from Dirty Dancing. James did actually manage to get Sirius into the air, but he extended too far and they lost their balance. Sirius toppled onto the bed behind him, his momentum carrying him over the edge, there was a loud thump followed by a vehement fuck, before a sheepishly grinning Sirius popped back up on the other side, rubbing his head. They were ridiculous. The next video, though. The next video made Remus's heart ache. Let's get ready with Lils and Effie, an excited Sirius narrated into the camera. It flipped around to show a room filled with people Remus vaguely recognized as wedding guests. All of Lily's and James's family seemed to be there, dancing to the loud music played by a DJ. Sirius veered off toward a sitting area in the corner where Lily was across from James's mom, Effie, as she applied intricate Mendy patterns to Lily's hands and feet. The pair were surrounded by Lily's bridesmaids and mother, who were all chatting amicably as Effie worked. Sirius settled in by his adoptive mother, who smiled at him indulgently. What can I do for you, darling, she asked around the camera. Can I go next, he asked. Remus could hear the grin in his voice. She shot him an indignant look that did nothing to cover her affection. With all of those things you insisted on sullying your beautiful skin. Too much interference. She tutted at him smiling as she focused back on Lily's left ring finger. That seems a little hypocritical coming from you right now, Mum. he said cheekily. 
Effie laughed, long and loud, reminiscent of the laughter Remus had seen from James. Oh you're feeling feisty tonight, aren't you, love? This is tradition, for good luck and prosperity. Those are an unnecessary blemish on my beautiful boy, who was perfect exactly as he was. Sirius flipped the camera around. She thinks I'm perfect, he grinned, both of them now in frame. You love them really. I love that you feel free to do whatever makes you happy, dearest. Sirius's eyes went all soft and gooey as he leaned in to kiss Effie on the cheek. Love you, mum, he murmured. I love you too, Sirius. Remus watched it again, tears pricking at the corners of his eyes, and paused just before Sirius kissed Effie. He stared at the image for a few seconds before dragging in a hissing breath and flinging his phone to the other end of the sofa. He pressed his palms to his eyes, trying to hold back the emotions that were rapidly escaping the Pandora's box he'd locked them inside. It was too late. All of the things he didn't want to think about, the things he'd sealed away so thoroughly he thought he didn't have the memories at all, clawed their way to the surface. The beeping of the IV pump signaling the end of his mother's antibiotic run. The box of discount tissues on the table in the room where the doctor pulled Remus and his father to discuss whether his mother would like intubation and CPR. The overwhelming rage he'd felt when his father said no, their prior discussions led him to believe she wouldn't want that. The silent car ride home, the I hate yous and the slammed doors. Taking turns sleeping in the sticky vinyl chair next to her hospital bed. The 2.17am phone call, his father's ragged voice telling him he'd better come in, there wasn't much time. He remembered meeting with the funeral director, refusing to speak as his father pushed him for input on her obituary, his stubborn unwillingness to read the eulogy at her funeral. He remembered feeling guilty about his inability to cry during the wake or the service, the overwhelming devastation of loss and the public scrutiny of trying to perform grief correctly rendered him numb. The months following her funeral were still fuzzy, like his brain was wrapped in cotton. He must have gone to school, he must have learned and retained information, because he passed his A levels and got a scholarship. He had a few flashes of spending time with friends, and he remembered the intense feeling of relief after his exams were done, but most of that time period is lost to him. Things only became truly clear after he left home and moved to London. Away from the people and places that were all synonymous with her presence. He spent the evening in a living room that was silent except for his sobs. He couldn't seem to stem the flow of his tears, his nose was running and his face was all blotchy. Remus hadn't cried like this in years. He hadn't cried at all since right after his mum's death. After the worst thing imaginable had happened, he'd felt impervious to pain. He was slowly realizing maybe he'd just been denying himself the ability to feel anything at all. He cried until he couldn't anymore. Until his eyelashes were caked in salt and his throat was sore and his nose was rubbed raw from the number of tissues he'd used. But at the end of it all, when the tears finally stopped and his breathing steadied, he felt a deep sense of calm. As though he'd had an unrecognized infection festering beneath the surface, one that needed to be cut open and drained. This evening had served as a catharsis, and he was finally ready to heal. Remus called in sick to work the next day, citing a stomach bug when actually it was an emotional hangover. 
He hadn't slept at all, alternating between mentally running through his conversations with Sirius and Dorcas and staring blankly at the ceiling. There's no reward for denying yourself happiness. I love that you feel free to do whatever makes you happy, dearest. Don't you want to feel, a lot? That can get better, though. When you're ready. If you want to. Sometime around four in the morning, Remus confronted the fact he'd been so focused on holding everyone at arm's length, protecting them from his possible untimely death, he'd never actually attempted to build a life. Dorcas was right, he'd been denying himself even the possibility of happiness while believing his loneliness was noble and virtuous. He might have missed his opportunity with Sirius, but there were still other people he loved with whom he could make things right. Remus did some research and made an appointment with a therapist who specialized in grief. It felt a little silly, in all honesty, to start seeing a grief counselor almost a decade after his mum died. But given that he'd been repressing it all that time, it was probably more fresh for him than a calendar made it seem. He decided to go weekly, at least in the beginning, until everything stopped feeling so raw and frayed. The first week was, fine. Relatively painless. A, get to know you, type conversation, filling out some forms, and a screener that told Remus he had moderately severe depression and should start counseling and or medication, which seemed obvious, given that he was answering it at the therapist's office, but whatever. It really only got uncomfortable when she asked him what he was doing there and what his goals were. He'd blinked a few times, aren't you supposed to tell me that, before saying he felt like he was holding himself back from relationships with others and would like to work on it. He thought she might consider that to be too vague, but she accepted it as a starting point and they'd adjourned for the week. The second week was worse. Exhausting, actually. The therapist had asked how he was doing, and they'd made small talk for fifteen minutes, and then he casually mentioned Dorcas in passing, and suddenly the hour was up and he told her all about their argument and how she thought he was martyring himself and he was crying and he still had to pull himself together before he could get on the tube. After that week, he'd made an appointment with the doctor. Another bout with the screener form and a five-minute conversation later, Remus was started on 150 mg of Wellbutrin, expect full results in 8 to 12 weeks, and if he was lucky might find it easier to stop smoking. As if he was going to try to stop smoking when he'd suddenly embarked on this journey of emotional self-discovery. He'd rather pull his eyelashes out with a bloody tweezer. At his third appointment, she asked how things were going and he spent twenty minutes whinging about the guests at his hotel. After the third time he said how rarely any of them treated him like an actual person, he accidentally acquired his first therapy assignment. She pointed out that if he put in applications for jobs that better aligned with his interests, he could accept or decline anything that came his way, the control was all his. The worst-case scenario was maintaining the status quo or taking a different job that he also hated. Remus had suffered a series of rejections a few years earlier and took a break with applications, and he realized he couldn't remember the last time he'd even looked at job listings. His assignment was to find and apply for three positions that genuinely interested him, whether or not he thought he was qualified or expected to get an interview. 
He set about the project with a fervor, scouring the internet for job listings and finally deciding to apply as an editorial assistant at a publishing house, a fact-checker for a history podcast and a technical writer at an alternative energy startup. Around week four, things started to get easier. He started to trust his therapist more, and while he shed a couple tears that time, it was in the middle of the session and wasn't quite as draining. They talked about Sirius a little, his father quite a lot, and what he wanted for himself moving forward. On the way home, Remus turned their conversation over in his head. What I'm hearing is that you feel like you didn't get a chance to develop a relationship with your dad after about age seven. It just kind of withered after your mum's diagnosis. Remus nodded. How do you feel about how things are now? It's, whatever. It's fine. Not ideal, but it's fine. It's not like he did anything wrong, he's just basically a stranger to me. What does your ideal relationship with him look like? What would you like to change about it? What steps would you take to build a relationship with him, if that's what you want? After all, a stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet, she said with a wink, laughing when Remus wrinkled his nose at the phrase. As he unlocked his flat and set the keys in the little ceramic dish by the door, Remus still couldn't envision an ideal relationship between himself and his father. However, he did know he wanted his da in his life, and he wanted things to be different. He bit his lip and took his phone out of his pocket. Remus, what's wrong, is everything alright? Lyle Lupin demanded in lieu of a greeting. Remus's voice was hoarse when he answered. Nothing's wrong, I'm just checking in. How are things at home? Lyle was silent for a moment, Remus could picture him blinking in confusion. His tone was puzzled when he finally answered. Things are, fine. Is there something you need? I don't need anything. I can let you go if you're busy, I just thought I'd. No. Lyle practically shouted through the phone. No, I'm on my break, it's fine. I'm just surprised is all. You usually don't call just to chat. I usually don't call at all, Remus didn't say. He was pretty sure they hadn't spoken since Christmas. Yeah, well, I hadn't heard from you in a while. I wanted to know how you're doing. Good, Lyle said softly. I'm really good. Work is steady, the house is in good shape, everything is good. I want to hear about you. What's going on with you? Well, I put in some applications for jobs, so that's new, I guess, Remus said, not quite prepared with an answer. He'd been banking on his dad's continued disinterest in his life, if he was being perfectly honest, he wasn't ready to actually carry the conversation. Yeah. Where at? One is a technical writing position at an alternative energy firm. I don't think I'll get that one, I'm definitely not qualified, and I know fuck all about solar power, he rambled. Then, realizing what he'd just said to his father, of all people. Oh, shit, sorry. Shit. I. The laugh was audible in Lyle's voice, though he was clearly trying to contain it. You're 25 years old, Remus, I don't give a shit if you swear. What about the other jobs? Remus let out a surprised snort before answering. One is a fact-checker at a history podcast, 
and the last one is an editorial assistant at a publishing house. That's the one I really want. I'm going to be honest with you, son. I don't really know what any of those jobs are. You have always liked history, though. Remus explained what he'd likely be doing in each position, appreciating his dad's effort as he asked questions and told Remus he'd be good at whatever he chose. Remus wasn't sure how he'd know, but the sentiment was nice. Then Lyle told Remus a story of how he'd spent two weeks evicting a crafty squirrel that had made a nest in the eaves of his house and their conversation came to a gradual halt. I better go. I have to get to work pretty soon, Remus said, looking at the clock. I have to get back to work, too. I'm a little over on my fifteen as it is. Remus's throat was suddenly dry. Bye, Dad. Bye, Re. Let me know what you hear on those jobs. I will. Remus was just pulling the phone away from his ear to hang up when he heard his name. Remus? Lyle hesitated. Yeah. I'm glad you called. Me, too. The next week and a half settled into a nice routine, and Remus discovered he was coming out of a rut he hadn't even realized he was in. He heard back from the podcast and, surprisingly, the solar company, and he had two interviews scheduled in the coming week. Therapy was going well, Maggie had been proud of him when he told her he'd called his dad just to chat. And he and his dad were making it a point to talk more frequently, they generally called during Lyle's morning break before Remus went into work. Their conversations were usually short and always became a little stilted at the end, after all the surface-level news had been covered. They never talked about anything uncomfortable, and they gave the topic of Remus's mother a wide berth, but things were getting easier and Remus found he liked getting to draw from Lyle's experience. The only sticking point, really, was serious. He was ashamed to admit it, but his guilty pleasure had become the serious black show. Instead of watching telly or reading, he spent hours scrolling through Sirius's social media, feeding his feelings the small morsels of Sirius he could scrounge from the floor of the internet. He couldn't get him out of his head, though admittedly he wasn't trying very hard, Remus hadn't come without Sirius's face in his mind and name on his lips since the wedding. It was embarrassing, and it was pathetic, and the only person who knew was Dorcas because she'd caught him watching the TikTok where Sirius said he didn't want him, but it was the only bit of Sirius he was ever going to see again so he kept doing it. He knew it was masochistic and he needed to move on, and on Friday Dorcas gave him the opportunity he required. Dorcas, what are you doing after work tomorrow night? Remus, I'm busy. Dorcas, you spelled moping wrong. Remus, fine. I'm moping. Dorcas, not anymore. You're coming to a party with me. Remus, no, I'm not. Dorcas, yes, you are. You can't go home and cry wank over Sirius's Instagram again. Remus, you can't say shit like that to your boss. It's sexual harassment. Dorcas, you're not my boss when you're being pathetic. Remus, I fail to see how this is any different from normal, actually. 
Dorcas, stop being a twat. You're coming to this party. Bring a bottle of whiskey or something, it's a housewarming. And wear your good jeans. Remus, you're a nightmare. Fine. Text me the address. Remus changed into the dark jeans that hugged his arse in a soft, light cardigan before he left work. He grabbed the bottle of famous grouse he'd bought as a housewarming gift and hopped on the tube to Shoreditch. He texted Dorcas when he got off at Whitechapel to let her know he was close, he didn't want to wander through a stranger's house party by himself. The address Dorcas sent him was an end terrace on a street currently lined with cars. Light and music spilled through the open windows, clearly Remus was a latecomer. Remus knocked, uncertain if anyone would be able to hear it over the din, and Dorcas let him in. Oh, look at you in your adorable little cardigan. And you brought the whiskey. Good boy. You can keep your shoes on, everyone else is. Dorcas took the bottle from his hands and began opening it. Oi. That was a housewarming gift for, erm. Remus looked around for clues. You, someone cried from the doorway to Remus's left. He snapped his head toward the voice. Marlene, he asked, incredulous. They both turned to Dorcas. Cinderella is your friend? This party is at Marlene's? Dorcas grinned devilishly, clearly proud of herself. Technically, this party is at Sirius's. Marlene blinked at her a few times before turning to look over her shoulder. Black. Black. Sirius, she called, frantic. Remus saw him, curly hair wild around his broad shoulders and cheeks flushed with liquor, coming from what was presumably the kitchen. He was still talking to someone as he got to the entrance hall but cut himself off when he saw his latest guest. Remus thought he heard him catch his breath as steely eyes briefly met Amber, but he looked away so quickly Remus was sure he imagined it. Dorcas's smile became even more smug as she introduced them. Sirius, this is my friend Remus Lupin. Remus, I think you know Sirius Black. Hi, Remus said breathily. Embarrassing. Berm. That was supposed to be for you, he stuttered as he motioned to the now-opened whiskey. Thanks. Sirius said flatly. He gave Remus's body a very quick once-over, and apparently he didn't like what he saw because his lips flattened into a straight line. The expression didn't suit his habitually joyful face at all. They stood in awkward silence as Sirius crossed his arms and Remus shifted from foot to foot. I'm sorry, Sirius. I didn't know this was your place. I can go if you don't want me here. Maybe you'd say goodbye this time, Sirius mused snidely. Ouch. I'm really sorry about that, too. I know you don't want anything to do with me, but I'd like a chance to apologize anyway, Remus said. Sirius was making an odd face, somewhere between confused and disbelieving. Remus continued. Do you think we could go somewhere to talk? You know, without the audience, he gestured to Dorcas, who was still grinning for some reason, and Marlene, whose look was so sharp Remus could feel it piercing his skin. Sirius nodded, leading him through the arch on his right, past a mostly empty living room, and out a set of French doors to the back garden. 
He stopped just short of a waist-high wall that divided the patio from a small patch of grass and turned abruptly to face Remus. Well, he demanded, expression still stony and arms still crossed. Remus bit his lip. I'm sorry I just left. I really didn't want to go, but my job was at risk. Lily's sister was getting hotel management, and if I got caught crashing a wedding, I'd have been sacked. I fully intended to tell you everything. To go back to your room and tell you the whole story, spend the night together. Give you my real name. Hope you found it funny and charming and didn't kick me out. And the two months since. Remus winced. There's no excuse for that. I panicked. Sirius scoffed. Because I was so secretive about my feelings. As if there was so much risk involved for you. As if you could possibly have thought I'd turn you away. Well, no. I was panicking because of me. I'm not good enough for you, serious, and even if I was, what if I get sick? I don't know if I will, and neither do you, and the idea of trapping you with an underachiever who has a 50% chance of dying before 40? I couldn't bring myself to do it, Remus explained, knowing it wasn't going to be enough for Sirius. I could never feel trapped with you. And oh, if that didn't take Remus's breath away. I'm sorry, he whispered. You didn't deserve that. No shit, I didn't deserve that. I bared my soul to you. I don't trust people easily, the only people who know the details of my whole tragic backstory are Reg, James, and my therapist. I trusted you, and you lied to me, Joe. Arg. Remus, he growled in frustration. Remus knew it wasn't the time, but he couldn't stop the way hearing Sirius say his real name made desire pool behind his navel. He stepped forward, closing the distance between them, and placed a gentle hand on Sirius's bicep. I know. I know. I swear, Sirius, the only thing I told you that wasn't true was my name and how I knew Lily. Everything else was real. All of it. Great. So you built a foundation. Some trust. Created some intimacy. And then you disappeared. I did. I'm sorry. If you can't forgive me for that, I understand. You said you'd lose your job. If you got caught by management, you'd be sacked. So you work at the hotel, then? Front desk manager. What were you even doing there? Why put your job at risk? Remus gritted his teeth. Dorcas and I have worked there since we were 18. The first summer, we crashed a party, and then it kind of became a bit of a game. We've done it a couple times a year ever since. A game? So, what, a race? First one to go home with someone wins. A point for every person who buys you a drink? There are rules. Points for different things, more points for riskier behavior. Shots with the couple are worth more points than shots with the wedding party. Stuff like that. Remus grimaced, if there was any way to salvage this, it had to get worse before it got better. If he gave anything less than the complete truth, Sirius would never trust him again. Remus found himself hoping he could convince Sirius to give him a chance. He swallowed down the bile in his throat. 
Points for hooking up with guests of different degrees of closeness to the couple. Sirius stared at him for a moment, jaw slack as he shook off Remus's hand. That's all I was to you, he whispered. No, Sirius, it wasn't like that at all. I meant everything. Sirius swallowed thickly, his eyes shining with tears in the moonlight, Remus felt sick. Did you win, then? Sirius asked, voice hoarse. Did I secure your victory? Remus hissed in a sharp breath, experiencing the question as a physical blow. I swear to God, Sirius, I wasn't with you because of some stupid competition I made up when I was 19 years old. I wasn't lying to you about anything that matters. I told you things I've never told anyone, not even my best friend. The name might have been fake, but the rest of it was fucking real for me, too. All of it. Sirius stared at him with a quivering lip and shaking hands. He sniffed once. I just wish I could believe you. He turned to walk away. Remus was losing him. He was going to go, and Remus didn't deserve to have him, but he needed to try to keep him anyway. Sirius had just reached for the door handle when the words burst from Remus's mouth. I called my dad, he half-shouted, voice cracking in its urgency. Sirius paused, letting the screen door slam shut as he looked over his shoulder. What? Remus cleared his throat in an attempt to steady his voice. I called my dad. And I put in applications for new jobs, jobs that actually have to do with writing. And I'm seeing a therapist weekly and taking antidepressants that make me sweat but also make it feel like less of a chore to get out of bed in the morning. I haven't stopped smoking like they said I should, though. They can pry my cigarettes from my cold, dead fingers. Sirius bit the inside of his cheek, Remus thought he might be trying to hold back a smile. Why are you telling me all of this? Because I'm being honest. Because you were right, I can change things if I want to. Because spending one night with you has made me a better person, and I'd never forgive myself if I didn't try to convince you to stay. Sirius took a few steps closer, still staying within the safe glow of the warm porch light, but anything was better than letting him walk away. What would you do if I told you to leave? I'd. Remus hesitated, hoping he wasn't going to have to prove this. I'd respect it, and I'd take a taxi back to my flat, and I'd get powerfully drunk, which I'd regret in the morning. Then I'd spend the foreseeable future trying and failing to keep myself away from anything to do with you, begging Dorcas for scraps of information and hoping her relationship with Marlene and Marlene's proximity to you would put us in the same room, where I'd be able to stare, and long, and yearn from an appropriate distance. Then, of course, I'd go back home and the whole process would start over. Sirius actually smiled. That was adorably pitiful. Thank you. Sirius actually laughed, looking surprised and covering his mouth as if he wanted to take it back. That wasn't a compliment. You called me adorable, I'll take anything I can get at the moment. Remus found himself creeping forward, unconsciously moving toward Sirius with every sentence they exchanged. He realized they were suddenly only an arm's breadth apart. He could reach out and touch him if he had the nerve. Sirius huffed a laugh through his nose as he looked at the ground, breathing deeply and biting his lip. He looked up through thick eyelashes and met Remus's eyes, 
his pupils huge in the darkness of the garden. It was all true, except your name. And the book club thing, I guess. Every word of it. You'll never ghost me again. Never. You'll know where I am every second. It'll get to the point you'll get sick of me and make a schedule like Reg did for you. I don't think that's possible, actually. I've missed you so much. How have I missed you so much when I barely even know you? I don't know, but I feel the same, Remus answered, breathless again. I've been asking myself that question constantly for two months. I fucked up. I fucked up so much, worse than I've ever fucked up in my life. Do you think you could forgive me and we can start over? Sirius let out a sound somewhere between a laugh and a sob, nodding as he reached out a hand. Sirius Black, proud new owner of the garden you're standing in. Remus Lupin, massive fuck-up and bloke who's completely besotted with you. Sirius smiled, and something in his gaze softened. He pulled Remus in, their hands pressed between their chests, and wrapped an arm around his waist. He searched Remus's face, gaze flicking tentatively between his eyes and his lips. Are you sure you want this? I can't do it if you're not positive. I've never been so certain of anything in all my life. Sirius's lips surged up, taking Remus's into a searing open-mouthed kiss. A small sigh escaped Remus's throat, a sound of contentment and pleasure and relief. He felt Sirius's mouth curve into a smile. You did miss me, didn't you? Remus felt himself blushing but answered honestly. God, so bloody much. I've only spent a few hours with you, but still kissing you feels like coming home. Sirius whimpered into his mouth as he kissed him again, almost violently, all roving tongue and sharp teeth tugging on Remus's bottom lip. Remus kissed him back fervently, desperately, trying to convey his feelings through the press of their lips and the slip of their tongues. He wrapped one arm around Sirius's lower back, pressing them together, and the other found its way up into his messy curls. Sirius tilted his head back, keening softly as Remus nipped down his throat. I'm still mad at you, he clarified, arching his body into Remus's. You should be, Remus said into his skin. You don't get to kiss me just to shut me up, he complained. I wouldn't dream of it, Remus reassured him as he sucked gently on Sirius's earlobe. It's going to take a while for me to fully trust you, he warned, fingers slipping beneath the waist of Remus's cardigan to the warm skin underneath. That seems fair, Remus accepted, teeth scraping across his collarbone. You don't get to just fuck me senseless and make it all better, he said, hips shuddering against Remus's, all control completely lost. Remus was busy sucking a bruise into the delicate skin between Sirius's neck and shoulder, but at this he paused. When he pulled back to look into Sirius's eyes, Sirius let out a soft whine. I'm sure you're right, Remus agreed solemnly before his face cracked into a wicked grin. But I feel like maybe we should try that one anyway. Sirius let out a soft O oh as Remus leaned into him, backing him up onto the porch and using his hips to press him firmly into the wall next to the door. Sirius kissed him again, long and firm and slow, as their hearts raced together and their hands roamed. Sirius, we're almost out of, oh. Peter said in surprise as he opened the door to the garden. We're doing this again.
Okay. Did you at least get his number this time? Piss off, Pete, Sirius said as he shoved a hand blindly in the direction of the open door. Peter snickered, then called over his shoulder. You win, Dorcas. Their hands are already in each other's pants. There was a whoop from inside as Dorcas gloated over her victory. They broke apart, Sirius laughing into Remus's neck as Remus nuzzled his hair. We should go back in. It is my party, after all. If you want, Remus shrugged, then kissed Sirius again. Alternatively, you could kick everyone out and we could go upstairs. Sirius appeared to weigh his options, but eventually opted against it. It's already after midnight. They'll go soon enough. He gave Remus a peck on the lips and a shy smile, then led him into the house to introduce Remus to his friends, as himself this time. Chapter 8 Have you met my boyfriend, Remus? Remus, this is my co-worker, Fabian. Fabe, this is my boyfriend Remus Lupin. Sorry I had to step out, Remus just got here after work. Remus found himself grinning like a maniac as Sirius introduced him to everyone within a five-meter radius. He was like an enthusiastic puppy, wagging his tail with pure joy as he pulled Remus along to meet every person in the house. He was a little surprised at his sudden elevation to boyfriend status, he expected to have to put in a little more work to earn back Sirius's trust, but he was thrilled by the development nevertheless. Baby cousin, a very flushed Lily hollered, arms open wide, when they met her in the kitchen. Does your mother know you're here? Knock it off, Lils, Sirius admonished, leaning in to grab her mostly empty cup and set it on the countertop. Lily, this is Remus. Remus, I think you've met Lily. Nope. Lily said, popping the pea as she smiled blearily at Remus. That there's Jonas Adams. My baby cousin. I'd recognize him anywhere. It's good to see you again, Lily. Great wedding, by the way. How's marriage? Remus laughed, allowing the drunk woman to pull him into a fierce hug. Same as before. Just grand, she said happily into his shoulder. I'm glad you're here. You were in a few of our photos and I thought he was going to start hanging up, have you seen this man, posters around the city? Remus grimaced. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I was being an idiot. Lily, still with her arms around his waist, squeezed him tight and whispered loudly. I understand. It took me a while to come around, too. It can be scary, how big they love. It's better now, yeah. Yeah, it's better, Remus agreed, meeting Sirius's eyes over Lily's auburn head. Good. She stood on her tiptoes to kiss his cheek, then lifted a finger and tapped it to the end of Remus's nose with a boop. And wandered out of the kitchen. Sirius watched her go, a bemused expression on his face and a curious tilt to his head. You know, Lily and I have been friends for a long time, and I have never seen, that. What, the nose booping? Sirius backed Remus so he was leaning against the counter and slid his arms around his waist. No, that's typical, Sirius shook his head. The vulnerability is new, though. She's not usually like that with strangers. 
I'm not a stranger, though, Remus corrected, curling his body around Sirius's and grinning into his neck. I'm her baby cousin. Sirius barked a loud laugh and pinched his ribs. Too soon, Lupin. Noted. Remus leaned his weight into Sirius's chest and pressed a slow, steady kiss to his lips. Sirius flicked his tongue over Remus's bottom lip and Remus sighed into his mouth. The only thing that existed for him at that moment was Sirius, his lips, his tongue, the way his hips felt pressing against Remus's as he pinned him to the breakfast bar. Sirius deepened the kiss, wrapping his hands around Remus's thighs and boosting him onto the counter. Bottles clinked as the movement knocked them together, the surface so full there wasn't room for Remus's skinny arse. Remus tried to pull away, to clear a space, maybe, or at the very least make sure he wasn't spilling beer all over Sirius's new floor, but Sirius chased his lips, pressing himself between Remus's spread thighs to keep him close, and who was Remus to deny him anything. They only separated, breathless and flushed, when James banged into the cabinet right next to them and nearly concussed them with the door. You better get in the living room, Sirius, Marlene is about to start karaoke, and you know you're the only one who can stop her from going full tailor. No, Sirius said simply and leaned back in to kiss Remus again. What, you want to listen to Taylor Swift all night? Don't care, Sirius murmured, more focused on getting his lips on Remus's neck than any irritation he might feel about Marlene's taste in karaoke music. Have you considered that if she gets started, she'll be here until she works through the entire catalog and has every person at this party in tears? Sirius sighed and stood up straight. You're not going to let it go, are you? James grinned and shook his head. Nope. Might as well take care of it. Sirius glared and made a sound of annoyance low in his throat, but he followed James's advice. He gave Remus a quick peck on the cheek and murmured, I'll be right back, in his ear, then went to waylay Marlene. Can I get you a drink? James offered, already filling a cocktail shaker with ice. I make a mean Long Island. Remus hesitated. For one thing, Long Islands outside a bar were always a risk. For another, this was clearly a ploy to get him alone. But James was such a kind, joyful presence, Remus instinctively trusted his motives. Besides, there was a recipe on the side of the cocktail shaker. How bad could it be? Sure. It's not like I was planning to drive anyway. James's broad smile morphed into a cheeky smirk, and he cocked a suggestive eyebrow. Oh, not going anywhere. Packed a little overnight bag, did we? Got your Jim Jam stashed away upstairs. No, Remus snorted. I'm absolutely not going to need them. James threw back his head and laughed while he poured the vodka. Confidence. I like that. I don't know that it's confidence so much as desperation. If he wants me a third as much as I want him, it's a miracle we're not upstairs already. Oh, believe me, he does. James's face was sober, a little frown on his lips as he searched the table for a bottle of Cuervo gold. He looked up and met Remus's eyes. You broke his heart, Remus. Remus stared at his hands, avoiding the penetrating gaze of Sirius's best friend. I know. I'm sorry. If it helps at all, I broke mine, too. 
It doesn't, but I appreciate the sentiment. James grabbed a bottle of spiced rum and started to pour, and Remus frowned. He was pretty sure that wasn't right. Wasn't it white rum in a Long Island? He opened his mouth to ask but shut it again. He was very clearly not in charge of this situation, it was better to just let it go. You can't do that, Remus. You can't just disappear on him. I know he projects this whole cool, aloof, it's actually funny you assume I care what you think, thing, but he doesn't get close to people. On some level, he expects them all to abandon him the second he starts living to his own standards instead of theirs, so he always bails first. Remus almost objected because James's description was actually the opposite of his experience with Sirius. He considered what James was saying, how this wasn't something that happened, Sirius didn't open himself up, he juggled three men in the same class without any of them meaning anything, he broke things off before he could become a disappointment. Then he thought about the man who was afraid of being left behind when his best friend got married, the boy who ran away from home at sixteen, the utter devotion on Sirius's face when his adoptive mother told him she loved that he felt comfortable expressing himself. James watched him quietly as he thought, gin bottle in hand. Finally, Remus met his eyes. Oh, I fucked up. I knew I had, of course, but oh. It was bad. James reached across the table to pat Remus's hand, then began to pour the liquor. It was. Fortunately for you, he's also the most loyal man I've ever met, and he decided you were his person before you even spoke to each other, so he'll forgive you for almost anything. I'm so sorry, James. I was very wrapped up in my own bullshit, and I didn't realize. James held up a hand to cut him off. I know. Not the details, he said he wouldn't want to betray your trust, even with you disappearing into the ether for two months. If he's willing to let it go, I support that decision and will forget it ever happened. This time. I just need you to know that he'll accept far less than he deserves, and under no circumstances are you allowed to take advantage of that fact. Are we clear? Remus nodded emphatically. Believe me, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to be enough for him. Glad to hear you're thinking about the long term. James reached for a bottle of Midori, and Remus couldn't keep his mouth shut. I don't think. He began to correct him, but James paused and raised a brow in challenge. This was intentional, then. Remus was just going to have to suck it up. Literally. Never mind. Carry on. James poured the liqueur, squeezed in a lemon wedge, and shook the cocktail, which was now a sickly brownish-green color. He poured it into a plastic cup and topped it off with a splash of cola, and Remus accepted his punishment with grace. Thanks, he said, taking a sip and fighting down a grimace. It was absolutely terrible. Good man, James grinned and clapped him on the back, making Remus, thankfully, slosh a third of the drink onto the floor. Pete was right about you. You passed the vibe check. Erm, thanks. Remus tried to bury his awkwardness in his consequences cocktail but only succeeded in coughing as he tried to force it down. You're a good friend, James. Anyone would be lucky to have someone like you around to watch out for them. James reached up and ruffled Remus's hair. 
I hope you still feel that way after I've entrenched myself thoroughly in your business. It's too late now, we've claimed you. There's no escaping. Sirius came back into the kitchen and pulled them both into the living room. He successfully stopped Marlene from falling into the Taylor Swift rabbit hole, but apparently he needed someone to sing Oasis with him as a trade-off. James readily agreed, and Remus felt like the least he could do for his boyfriend, was be a good sport and make a fool out of himself in front of his friends. Marlene and Dorcas followed immediately after, doing a rendition of Thriller that included the dance routine. The group spent the rest of the evening between the couch and the makeshift stage in front of Sirius's telly, Sirius showering Remus with attention at every possible opportunity. Do you need another drink, Remus? Remus. How have you reached this age without doing bar karaoke? We are definitely going to have to remedy that situation. I'm not sure what Remus's plans are, I want to check in with him before I commit to anything next week. Sirius kept saying Remus's name, like it tasted sweet on his tongue and all he wanted was to savor every morsel. He just couldn't seem to keep it out of his mouth. In a story, through a laugh, one says just a whispered sigh in his ear with no other context. At that, Regulus rolled his eyes, unable to take the cloying sweetness any longer, Remus, on the other hand, wanted to bathe in it. You keep saying his name, Sirius. Are you worried you'll forget it? Sirius whipped one of the beer bottle caps littering the coffee table at him, but Regulus caught it easily and pursed his lips. I played goalie through university, Sirius, my reflexes are excellent. You'll have to find a better way to voice your displeasure. Using your words, perhaps. Sirius hummed in annoyance, face settling into a soft pout. It was adorable. Remus wanted to suck on his bottom lip. He pulled Sirius into his side and kissed the top of his head, turning the pout into a radiant smile instantly. The two held each other close, trading soft affection and gentle kisses that quickly turned heated despite their audience. Remus couldn't help himself, after two months of only seeing Sirius through a screen, having him within reach was a thrill he couldn't resist. The moment their lips connected, the rest of the world turned to static and all he could think about was the way Sirius's body felt pressing against his. Sirius, for his part, didn't seem too concerned about curbing his own enthusiasm, at one point, he crawled into Remus's lap and nearly straddled him. Boundaries were clearly not overly important in this friend group. Finally, people took the very unsubtle hint. Peter left first, sharing an Uber with Fabian and his brother Gideon since they all lived in the same neighborhood. Marlene and Dorcas weren't far behind, the two of them barely more capable of keeping their hands off each other than Remus and Sirius. The rest of the guests left in a flood after that, and Remus sent Peter a mental thank you for starting the trend. Soon, the only ones remaining were Regulus and James, with a sleeping Lily on the sofa. The four of them moved to the kitchen to avoid waking her, and Sirius set his brothers to work cleaning up after the party. If you're going to insist on sticking around, the least you can do is help. He shoved a bag into each of his brothers' hands and left them to clean up empty cups and bottles while he started on the dishes. Remus took another bag into the living room, creeping around to clear the space of rubbish without disturbing Lily. Sirius caught him in the entry and had his back pressed against the wall immediately, 
kissing him until they were both breathless. When they separated, Sirius looked up at Remus through long lashes and bit his lip. Are you planning to spend the night, he asked, shy and vulnerable, and Remus had to fight down a laugh. Of course I'm staying, you nitwit. He softened the insult with a kiss, how could he ever think Remus would leave? I promised you'd have to make me a schedule to give you alone time. You're going to have to kick me out to get me to go home. Oh, so you live here now. It's a little fast, but I'll allow it. Sirius leaned back in to kiss him again, smiling so broadly Remus was sure his lips were mostly brushing against Sirius's teeth. He was so fucking cute, with his open affection and unabashed eagerness. Remus couldn't believe he was lucky enough that this gorgeous, sweet, funny man wanted him, of all people. Sirius took the bag from his hand and nuzzled the soft spot just behind Remus's ear. I'll kick them out, he whispered as Remus tilted his head to give him better access to his neck. Go upstairs. I'm right behind you. Remus started up the stairs, taking his time and looking at the art on the walls while Sirius went back into the kitchen. He wasn't sure if it was the posh childhood, the fact he knew he wasn't going to have to pay for the holes in the wall hanging from the large canvas prints when his lease was up, or just some innate sense of style Sirius had, but Remus was impressed by how well-decorated Sirius's home was. This wasn't a bachelor pad with a pool table and a nightstand made of pizza boxes, this was his actual home, a place he took pride in and was designed to suit his tastes. Remus loved getting a glimpse into Sirius's head and took his time to admire the loud, bright colors in the abstract paintings on the walls that perfectly reflected his personality but seemed so at odds with his personal style. As a result of this appreciation, he may have been eavesdropping, just a little. Get out of here, he heard Sirius hiss at James and Regulus in the kitchen. Everyone else left an hour ago. You've overstayed your welcome. James gasped in horror. I thought Reggie had a home with you no matter what. What happened to Reggie's home, Sirius? Yeah, Sirius, what about my home? You have a flat, you arsehole, you're fine. Now fuck off, both of you. My, my, Sirius. Mother would be so ashamed of how you're treating your guests. Were you raised in a barn? I'd be happier if I had been. Leave. Remus heard the beginnings of another protest from Regulus, but Sirius cut him off before it could get anywhere. I swear to God, Regulus, if you don't have your shoes on in the next thirty seconds, I will bring him back down here and have him fuck me on the floor while you watch. The first time we had sex was at his place of employment, I doubt he'd object. Remus snorted. I wouldn't mind, he called down, eliciting a groan from Regulus. Nice going, you too, now Potter will never leave. Out. Sirius roared. Remus grinned as he opened the door to what had to be Sirius's bedroom. It was tidy, only a couple boxes of things left to be organized in one corner of the room. A king-sized bed on a dark wood frame took up most of the space, and a chest of drawers stood next to a full-length mirror on the opposite wall. A door led to a small ensuite with a standalone shower, a bright white vanity, and a set of red towels hung to dry. Remus trailed his fingers over the bed's footboard and found himself drawn to the chest, where framed pictures stood proudly. 
The front photo was of a younger Harry, no older than two, perched on Sirius's shoulders with his fingers knotted in his hair. Sirius's face was somewhere between laughing and pained, and his hands hovered protectively around the toddler's little body, ready to catch him if he wobbled. Remus picked it up for a closer look, and the movement knocked over the card propped behind the frame. He carefully set the picture down and instead examined the teal card with a little bride and groom on the front. The front door finally slammed shut, and Remus heard grumbling as Sirius stomped up the stairs. Fucking finally. I'm 95% sure that was a competition to see who could outlast the other, James is usually asleep on the couch before 11. Pricks. He burst into the bedroom, stopping short when he saw Remus staring, dumbfounded, at the card he'd given James and Lily for their wedding. He turned to Sirius, eyes wide. Why do you have this? Sirius swallowed thickly, face nervous as he scanned Remus's expression. Well, I found out you weren't actually on the guest list while we were eating breakfast the next morning, and when we were opening gifts, that card was unsigned, and it went with a funny gift that seemed like your humor, and I just thought it might have come from you, and I wanted any peace. Oh. Remus dropped his wedding card onto the floor and crossed the room in two strides, cradling Sirius's face between his palms as he caught his lips in a desperate, searing, gasping kiss. There it was, physical evidence Sirius really, truly wanted him, wanted him so badly he kept the card that may have come from Remus, may have been written in his hand, and kept it on his dresser with photos of his parents and brothers and godson. He unpacked it before all his clothes were out of their boxes, for fuck's sake. Remus sighed in relief, he'd been holding onto some anxiety, insecure about them being on equal footing after Remus's pathetic mooning over the last two months. Sirius returned the kiss, opening his mouth to allow Remus inside when his tongue flicked across his bottom lip. Remus ran his hands over the broad expanse of Sirius's back, working his hands beneath the hem of his t-shirt. He grabbed it by the collar and pulled it off, and Remus was treated to the sight of all the swirling black ink covering Sirius's toned chest. He dipped his head and ran a tongue along the tree branch tattooed across his collarbone, sucking a bruise over the smallest flower clinging to the very end of the branch. Sirius slipped his hands under Remus's shirt, fingertips dancing across his skin as he started rucking up his jumper. This thing has been driving me insane, he complained, tugging the offending garment up and over Remus's head. And the glasses. I've barely been able to stop myself from jumping you all night. You look like my first crush. You had a crush on the class nerd. Remus laughed breathlessly into Sirius's mouth while he worked Sirius's belt, the buckle clinking as Remus wrenched it open and popped the button on Sirius's fly. No, Sirius corrected as he kissed a line up Remus's jaw and nipped at his earlobe. I had a crush on my maths teacher. Professor Thompson awakened my passions in more ways than one. Are you telling me you're an engineer because you had a thing for your teacher at age 13? Remus worked his fingers beneath the elastic waistband of his pants and pushed them down around Sirius's thighs. Then he took his hard, heavy cock in hand and stroked him, swiping his thumb over the already slick head. Yes, Sirius groaned as he arched into Remus's touch, and he wasn't sure whether it was an answer to his question or a request for more. Both, maybe. Sirius caught his mouth again, 
teeth scraping his lower lip as he worked Remus's jeans open and palmed him through the thin cotton of his boxer briefs. Remus sucked in a harsh breath and tugged Sirius toward the bed. Sirius planted himself on the edge and quickly pulled down Remus's trousers and pants, finally freeing him from the tight fabric. He flicked his tongue over Remus's flushed tip, looking up at him with wide gray eyes, then smiled wickedly and swallowed him all the way down in one long, filthy stroke. Fuck, Sirius, he cried, burying his fingers in wild dark curls. Sirius moaned as he pulled his hair, sending vibrations through Remus's cock, and Remus's hips thrust forward, all control lost. Sirius wrapped tattooed arms around Remus's thighs and groped his arse, urging him in deeper, and Remus felt like his brain was melting out of his ears. He was sure he'd never seen anything so fucking hot in all his life. Sirius bobbed his head rapidly, swiping his tongue over the head as he drew back and swallowing him all the way to his base on each stroke. Remus felt lightning licking up and down his spine and a heavy weight settling in his stomach, and he knew he was dangerously close to hurtling over the edge. Oh God, oh fuck, I'm gonna, wait, Sirius, wait. He tapped frantically at Sirius's shoulder, and Sirius pulled off with an obscene pop. He grinned up at Remus, clearly very proud of himself. Cheeky fucker. Remus fell to his knees and kissed him deeply, divesting him of the rest of his clothes before he pushed him flat. Remus crawled on top of him, pinning Sirius's hips to the bed with his own and pressing their chests together. He slipped a knee between Sirius's glorious, thick, muscular thighs, and they rutted against each other shamelessly, searching for any kind of friction while their lips and tongues and teeth found as much skin as they could reach. Remus couldn't get enough of him, wanted to map every inch of his body with his hands and his tongue, mark down which ones made him arch his back, which ones made him keen, which ones made him whine and writhe under Remus's touch. He kissed across the expanse of Sirius's chest, swirling his tongue around his nipple, making him moan. He bit over the crest of his hip, soothing the spot with his tongue when Sirius hissed and shuddered beneath him. He nosed at the trail of dark hair running downward from Sirius's navel, licking a long stripe from his balls to his tip, and Sirius bucked into his mouth. He pulled Remus back up and caught his lips in a messy, open-mouthed kiss, pressing them together with a tight squeeze to his arse. Remus propped himself up one elbow as he snaked a hand between Sirius's legs, running a gentle finger along his cleft and making Sirius squirm beneath him. Bedside table, top drawer, Sirius gasped. Remus couldn't resist pressing their lips together again at the breathlessness in his voice, like they could only breathe if they did it together, each sustained by the touch of the other's lips on their own. He groped blindly for the lube and groaned in frustration when he had to separate from Sirius to find it, luckily for him, that made Sirius laugh, and Remus loved the sound enough to be a little overdramatic if it garnered that reaction. He coated his fingers and leaned back down to kiss him, starting slowly this time, gently, slipping his tongue past Sirius's lips at the same time he slipped the tip of his first finger past his rim. Sirius moaned, urging him deeper, and oh. Remus loved that sound. It was intoxicating. He'd do anything he could to draw that sound out of Sirius again, as many times as possible. Remus worked him open slowly, taking his time, savoring every delicious gasp and whine that came from Sirius's mouth. 
Sirius was quickly ready for another finger, then a third, Remus crooking them inside him to send sparks of pleasure through Sirius's body until he was rocking his hips down on Remus's hand, shuddering and desperate for more. The movement brushed against his painfully hard cock, and he felt like he was going feral with desire. God, please, fuck, Sirius panted, pressing his open mouth to Remus's chest and licking across the bar through his nipple with the flat of his tongue, making his hips jerk. Need you, need you now, please. Remus groped on the bed behind him for the condom he'd pulled out along with the lube, and Sirius whimpered when he pulled out his fingers to roll it over his aching dick. Hush baby. I've got you, he soothed, slicking himself and settling between Sirius's legs before he pressed himself against Sirius's entrance. Ready? Yes. Oh, fuck, yes, Sirius groaned, and Remus gently pushed himself inside. He eased in slowly, giving Sirius time to adjust, and rolled his hips experimentally once he was fully seated. Sirius moaned and arched his back, and Remus was lost to the heat of Sirius's body. Fuck, he was beautiful. Remus was mad about him. Look at you, he breathed, reveling in the ecstasy on Sirius's face as he moved his hips in slow, tight circles. His eyes flicked down to where they were joined and back up to the little crease between Sirius's brows as he rocked into Remus, asking for more. You take me so well, baby. You're so good. Sirius whined and pulled him forward into a violent kiss, more pulling teeth than soft lips. He urged Remus faster and deeper with his legs wrapped around his waist, heels pushing into his arse, and Remus settled into a steady pace. Sirius's fingers dug into his back, his biceps, his hair as he clung desperately to whatever he could reach. Remus caught his knee with his forearm, the change in angle making Remus hit his prostate with every thrust, while Sirius nipped and sucked bruises down the thin skin of his neck. Remus, oh fa, oh, you feel so good, Remus. Sirius's hard cock was leaking on his stomach as he babbled and writhed beneath him. Remus took him in hand, stroking him in time with his hips, Sirius meeting him thrust for thrust until he was coming hot and thick between them. Sirius's walls squeezed around him and he bit down on the junction between Remus's neck and shoulder when he came, and Remus gasped as the spark of pleasure that accompanied the pain sent him over the edge. His hips stuttered as he rode out his orgasm, pressing his face into Sirius's neck and sucking at his pulse point. Remus collapsed on top of him, sated and boneless, and Sirius sighed in contentment. They held each other as Sirius carted his fingers through Remus's hair and Remus kept his nose buried in Sirius's neck, just breathing him in. They stayed that way until he softened and slipped out, Sirius humming with displeasure at the emptiness. Remus pecked the hinge of his jaw. Stay there, baby. I'll be right back. Let me take care of you. He binned the condom, got a clean flannel from the ensuite, and wet it with warm water. He cleaned Sirius up, pausing to kiss his palm when Sirius cupped his jaw and ran a thumb over his cheekbone. So pretty, he murmured, tracing Remus's lower lip tenderly with his thumb. Just gorgeous. Remus felt his cheeks heat and he ducked his head, Sirius's hand following along. Sweet, he returned, grabbing Sirius's hand and pressing a kiss to the inside of his wrist. Kind. One to the pad of his pinky. 
loyal, forgiving, funny. His ring, middle, and forefingers in turn. Bloody beautiful. He swallowed his thumb down lasciviously, maintaining eye contact as Sirius visibly blushed and laughed. Bloody charmer, he huffed and pushed Remus's face away with a grin. You already got into my pants. No need to work so hard. Trust me. You're worth the effort. Sirius wiggled with happiness, never afraid to show Remus how eager he was. Remus didn't know how he thought he could live without this. He went to the bathroom and finished cleaning himself, then slipped between the sheets Sirius held open for him. He snuggled into Sirius's chest, tracing the ink where it flowed over his chest and down his arm. He placed a kiss on his boyfriend's collarbone and sighed in satisfaction. He felt more than heard Sirius snicker as he tightened his arms around him. Feeling good, sweetheart. That was. Remus searched the ceiling like the right word for this, him, the whole future Remus could see stretching out ahead of them, might be spelled out in the plaster. Transcendent. Sirius barked a laugh, loud and surprised, then continued giggling warm breath into Remus's hair and making him shiver. Okay, English major. Fuck you. Remus laughed, reaching up to tweak Sirius's nipple in retribution. You just did, darling, he said, nuzzling into Remus's temple. And it was transcendent. Chapter 9 18 months later. Remus wraps his arms around Sirius's waist, pressing his chest to Sirius's back and kissing the junction between his neck and jaw softly as he looks at them in the mirror. You look stunning. Sirius is dressed in a black jacket over a semi-sheer black shirt and black dress pants. The jacket is embroidered with champagne flowers that start on his left ribs, wrap across his back between his shoulder blades, and taper to an end at the top of the right side of his chest. Actually, now that Remus looks closely, it complements the tree barely visible beneath his shirt artfully, Sirius always knows how to make a statement with his clothes. Sirius turns his head and presses a kiss to Remus's forehead. Do I get the allotted five points for my conspicuous outfit? Mm-hmm, very funny, Remus hums, nuzzling into the sensitive skin on Sirius's neck and running his fingers lightly over the slippery fabric below Sirius's navel. He feels Sirius shiver in his arms. I think you would, yeah. Do we have a few minutes? I could show you how much I appreciate this very distinctive ensemble you put together. Sirius glances at his watch. I'd love to, but we're going to be late. Remus bobs his head from side to side, considering the consequences. Really, he thinks they could risk it. What's the worst that could happen? I can hear you weighing the options, Sirius scolds. Marlene will flay you alive if we're late. Don't you mean, flay us alive? No, absolutely not. She loves me too much, and you're always one wrong word away from going back on her shit list. Fine, Remus groans, kissing him once more and turning for the door. Remus knocks on the door of the Kensington suite. You're late, Lupin, calls a voice from inside. He checks his watch, 11.03. Remus grins. You're an arsehole, Meadows, he calls back as he lets himself in. 
She's standing in the living room, being zipped into her dress by her mom and her sister Dinah, as Josie from secondary school very carefully feeds her a sandwich. The dress has long lace sleeves, a scalloped deep V-neck, and it hugs her thighs and her arse. He crosses the room and kisses the air over her perfectly made-up cheek. You look beautiful, he says, stepping back so he could take in the whole image again. Marlene is going to lose her shit. Dorcas grins. I know. Remus pours himself a cup of tea, but he never gets the chance to drink it. As Dorcas's mum teaches her sister how the bustle works so she won't fumble with it after the ceremony, Dorcas directs Remus all over her hotel room gathering up everything she needs for the day and puts it in a small beaded clutch. All the while a photographer stands by and snaps shots of the scene. The photographer instructs them it's time to go, giving Dorcas directions on where Marlene will be waiting for her and how they're going to set up for first look photos. When they reach the door to the terrace, the wedding party splits off from the bride, giving Dorcas a chance to meet Marlene and spend a few minutes alone. Remus is waiting in the garden with the bridesmaids and Sirius, who had waltzed in five minutes earlier with a flask and a kiss for his boyfriend's cheek, when the brides return to the party. Marlene looks stunning in a cream pantsuit with very wide legs and a satin wrap top. You were late. Marlene points at him accusingly. I was not. Remus cries, looking around for backup from the group he'd been waiting with. I've been here the whole time. I know, Marlene smirks as serious snickers beside him. The traitor. I just like to make you nervous. It's my wedding day, Rem, let me have a little fun. It had taken Marlene months to accept him into her life, and even now she regularly reminds Remus that he's on thin fucking ice. He supposes it's fair. Not only did he keep Sirius in agony for two months, he also immediately discounted her and Dorcas's relationship and wildly upset Cass in the process. For the first year he and Sirius were dating, Marlene thought he was a bit of a dick, and he couldn't blame her. He just kept working to prove he was committed and worthy of two people she cared about so deeply, and he tried to avoid pissing her off until that could happen. Eventually, he grew on her, and her threats are mostly joking at this point. Mostly. He narrows his eyes in her direction. You can have three. Three threats for the day. Is that fair? Any more would upset Dorcas. If his partner is going to abandon him, he'll just have to steal hers. He looks at Dorcas for support, who shakes her head. Bad luck, mate, Lily intones from his left. She tilts her head toward Sirius. I'm on your side, he was the one who was late. Remus laughs, glad he can always rely on the ever-just Lily. Thanks, Lils. It's nice to know at least one person here cares about the truth. He pokes her in the side, making her squirm away from him. Hey! Stop that now or I'm going to regret my decision, she squawks. The wedding party rotates through a variety of photos and are shuffled out of the way to wait while the brides take some more individual shots. Just as the family members start showing up for group photos in earnest, siblings and nieces and nephews and grandparents, Lily nudges Remus with her elbow. There's some food inside and I'm hungry. Come have a bite. Remus follows her into the small room reserved for the bridal party just off the garden. 
They help themselves to some snacks, and Remus watches out the window as Sirius charms Dorcas's grandmother in addition to fulfilling his usher duties. Think you guys will do this? Lily asks, looking at the soppy smile on Remus's face. Maybe eventually. We should figure out the living situation first, though. You haven't figured that out yet? I thought you stayed at Sirius's like, six nights a week. Why are you still paying rent in such an obscenely expensive city? Remus feels his cheeks turn a little pink, leave it to Lily to simplify things to such a degree it makes him feel ridiculous. I want to pay rent, he won't let me. At the very least, I'm hoping he'll let me pay for utilities. You know what a stubborn git he is, though, so we're still working on it. My lease isn't up for another three months. We have some time to work it out. Yeah, he's the only stubborn git in the relationship, you're right. Lily rolls her eyes. More specifically, Remus is frustrated that Sirius keeps dipping into his inheritance to pay his mortgage, which Remus finds wildly unnecessary when they're both working. Sirius had taken a new position at Bentley, and while it included a temporary pay cut, it also put him on track for his dream job. He keeps insisting his initial probation period is almost over and he'll get a raise, but Remus feels guilty every time he thinks about just how much he's increasing Sirius's bills by practically living there. He just wants Sirius to let him contribute. That all seems like too much of a discussion for the last hour before the wedding, though, so Remus lets it go. Honestly, I'll be moved in there before my lease is up anyway. Sirius keeps borrowing things from my flat and forgetting to bring them back. I'm pretty sure that by the time we've come to a compromise, all I'll have to do is bin my worn-out furniture and move one carload of boxes. Lily laughs. I haven't been to your place since we picked you up for that pub quiz, but I noticed it was looking a little sparse. He wants you there, you want to be there, you just have to approach it as a team. It'll be fine. Thanks, Lils. Initially, Remus expected Lily to follow Marlene's lead in loathing him and was surprised when they got on right away. She was empathetic, reassuring, and so very practical, it was impossible not to trust her advice, and Remus quickly found himself confiding in Lily. When they'd been discussing holiday plans a couple months into his and Sirius's relationship, he mentioned his mum's death in passing and Lily, who worked in pharmaceutical research, understood the implications of Huntington's immediately. Instead of prying into whether he'd been tested the way medical people often did, she talked a little bit about the research her company was doing in the field, mentioned that a lot of trials were happening in people who had been diagnosed before they even started showing symptoms, and then left it alone. She very specifically did not ask him about his medical history, which he appreciated, and her deft handling of the situation actually had him considering his options more earnestly than any visit to a doctor ever had. He hasn't gone in for the tests yet, but he and Sirius talk about it sometimes when he's having a really bad day, and he knows he has Sirius's full support no matter what he chooses. In his mind, the tests aren't going anywhere, and once he finds out, he can never take it back. Still, Lily's point about trials was a good one, and he appreciated the open-ended way she'd offered up the information. The pair observe the rest of the pictures, Lily giggling as she watches the photographer try to wrangle four generations of both families into the frame and get the youngest, ages four and seven, to smile for the camera at the same time.
Finally the photos are done and the remaining members of the wedding party join Lily and Remus in their cozy little room, moving the atmosphere to one of excitement and anticipation. The ceremony passes in a blur for Remus, who has the honor of being the best man in the first wedding he's ever been in. The brides exchange vows they wrote themselves in front of a crowd of about 50 people. Dorcas manages to get through hers before tears spilled down her cheeks. Marlene does not. Remus catches Sirius taking a nip from his flask as the brides kiss before passing it off to James, Reg, and Peter. After they go through the reception line, Remus and Sirius meet the rest of their friends in the ballroom. They're clearly already a few drinks ahead, Peter has his telltale flushed cheeks, James is loudly composing dirty lyrics to the classical music playing softly over the ballroom speakers, and Regulus is trying to keep a laugh behind wine-stained lips as he orders James to act his age just this once. Remus slides into the chair next to Regulus and gratefully accepts the drink Peter passes in his direction. Potter. Sirius barks, pulling James away from his and Regulus's current activity of trying to find a rhyme for the word Fanny. Where's Harry? I want to start the process of getting him sugared up as soon as possible. I need to maintain my position as favorite uncle. James rolls his eyes. He doesn't need to be physically attached to you every time you're in the same room, you know. He's with mum and dad, he's sleeping in their room tonight. I think they're hoping to get grandchild number two out of the deal. Frank, who just sat down with Kingsley across the table, snorts. My mom is the same. She's going to be disappointed, though. We're going to eat chocolate without having to share and wake up after eight o'clock. Ooh, excellent decision, Longbottoms, James affirms with the air of a sommelier complimenting a wine choice. We're going to get royally pissed and wake up with splendid hangovers so my mum can tut disapprovingly in the morning. So three drinks and pass out by nine, then, Remus snickers. James reaches an arm around Regulus to shove his shoulder. One of the delightful surprises of being invited into Sirius's life is James Potter. He'd been worried after their talk at Sirius's housewarming that James would be on the lookout for any misstep but he'd been as good as his word and let Remus's colossal fuck-up go. They exchanged numbers later that evening and have been friends ever since. They text each other daily and have a standing Tuesday morning tea date when James's work takes him near Remus's office. James is loving and lovable, and Remus has always understood why a 16-year-old Sirius knew he had a home with this boy. He says that like we don't all know if you text either him or Sirius after 9.30 on a weeknight, you won't hear back until the next morning, Regulus teases. Remus glares at him, eliciting a laugh from Regulus. If you don't want everyone to make fun of what an old, married couple you are, try going out once in a while, Reg recommends. You might have fun. Remus grimaces at the thought. Regulus had also accepted Remus's addition to his life unexpectedly quickly and gracefully. The two of them had a lot of interests in common, similar aversions to attention, and incredibly dry senses of humor, so it wasn't that he was surprised when they became friends, exactly. He just thought he'd have to work a lot harder to win Regulus's trust. When Remus asked him about this at a pub when everyone but Reg was well and truly pissed, he'd shrugged. I've heard the story of the wedding in excruciating detail 10,000 times, Lupin, 
he had said, shuddering a little, perhaps he'd heard a little too much detail. I know he told you I'm the scorched earth type. You're aware I'll destroy your existence if you hurt him, and he's the idiot who didn't get your number in the first place. It seems unnecessary to punish you for it. Remus had nodded because, yeah, that sounded about right for Reg, and they never discussed it again. Sirius, James, and Pete start flicking change into the fishbowl-looking centerpieces, which inevitably becomes a competition of who can make their shot from the furthest point. James is in the lead, annoyingly good as he is at all things even remotely resembling a sport, and sinks one from halfway across the table as it bounces in with a sharp ting. Nice rim job, Remus hears Regulus mutter, and James blushes maroon. His next shot goes wide, and Remus lays the coin flat to have a go. His penny lands in the middle of the bowl, making a soft plop sound and a few ripples that spread out from the center. Aye. Sirius cheers, raising his hands like he was celebrating a victory. Should we make this interesting? Me and Rem versus you and Pete? James agrees instantly, reaching out his hand to shake and then shamelessly sticking it in the fish bowl to reclaim their previous coins. Peter rolls his eyes in Remus's direction as James and Sirius settle on the terms of engagement, he is, surprisingly, the most consistently mature of the three original roommates. He just thinks James's antics are funny and plays along most of the time. Once it's determined that the pair who flicks the lower number of coins into the bowl in one minute has to get the winner's next round, Regulus is roped in as scorekeeper and the game is on. Each team has a pile of change between them, and once Reg says, go, it's a free-for-all. Arc. Sirius groans in frustration as both his and Remus's fifth consecutive attempts miss the bowl. Baby, I thought you were good at this. You made your first shot without any practice. I could have told you it was beginner's luck, Sirius, I was always shit at quarters in uni, too. Fuck, he hisses as another coin bounces off the side of the bowl. In the end, Remus and Sirius finish with an embarrassing 4-12 defeat, and they have to get the next round. They leave to carry out their consequence, and Remus loses Sirius to a secondary school acquaintance on the way. He shuffles up to the bar alone, leaning against it casually as he waits. Two pints of bitter, a gin and tonic, two whiskey sodas, and a Malbec, please, Doc, he orders with a smile when the bartender approaches. Lupin. Caradoc hails, smiling broadly at him. That is your name tonight, right? Never thought I'd see you here without an alias. Neither did I, as a matter of fact. I'm just as shocked as you are. Doc nods as he pulls the taps. Fair enough. How's the new job? We miss seeing you around here, though I'll be honest, I've never seen Emmeline happier. No offense. Remus took the technical writing job at the Green Startup, and while he doesn't love it, at least he isn't bored for eight hours a day anymore and he's gaining experience related to his actual field. It's not perfect, but the money is better and it's a step in the right direction. Before he left the Astentia, he recommended Emmeline as his replacement for front desk manager and taught her a few tricks. Remus takes the overall improvement in her demeanor as a compliment, actually. It was a good move, though I missed the people here. Believe it or not, I don't fit in well with the techie nerds.
I'm more of a literature nerd, myself, he jokes. Caradoc laughs, then leans in conspiratorially. I can't help but notice you and Cass are both here with the people you met at the Potter wedding. I never did hear, who won that last round, you or her. Remus looks fondly across the room, gaze flicking over Cass talking animatedly with her sister and her new wife, James trying to sneak bits of cocktail napkin into Regulus's hair, Reg giving James a flat stare every time he catches him in the act, and finally settles on a hysterically laughing Sirius. She'd tell you she won, but it was definitely a tie. Nobody walked away from that night a loser. You sap, Caradoc ribs. He sets down a pair of shot glasses and pours a measure of tequila in each, sliding one across the bar to Remus and keeping the other for himself. He taps his glass against Remus's and winks. It's on the house. After dinner, after the speech Remus wrote and rewrote and practiced so many times Sirius swore he was mumbling it in his sleep, Remus can finally relax and enjoy the rest of the night. The brides have their first dance while everyone looks on, and Remus feels a now familiar swelling of emotion in his chest. Sirius must feel the same. He slips an arm around Remus's waist, leaning in to nuzzle at Remus's jaw and whisper in his ear. I think we should do this. Yeah. Remus asks. Sirius nods. They'd never really talked about it in earnest, but Remus would like to get married. He hadn't been sure Sirius felt the same. He often dug his heels in when it came to complying with broad cultural expectations and Remus had fully anticipated they'd live together in blissful sin for the rest of their lives. He didn't mind, really, all he wanted was Sirius, forever, and he didn't need a piece of paper and a big party to know he had him. He should have known Sirius would want a big party, though. Did you just propose? Remus teases. Sirius scoffs. At someone else's wedding? So tacky. Believe me, Lupin, when I ask you to marry me, there will be no need to clarify. Remus rolls his eyes to mask his pleasure at the word, when, and fights a losing battle with a grin. You have to convince me to move in with you first. Babe, I think you're moved. You just haven't noticed it yet. Remus narrows his eyes at Sirius. He's right, but that doesn't mean he needs to call Remus out like that. Sirius snickers, kissing him on the cheek and turning back to Dorcas and Marlene. Sirius and Remus dance together through the night, first in big circles with the rest of the wedding party, then swinging Harry around wildly until he's sweaty and sleepy and it's time for Effie and Monty to bring him back to their room, then in slow dances where they hold each other close and shift from side to side in time with their heartbeats. Somehow, after a shared cigarette and a couple hours and several drinks, they find themselves making out on the dance floor like a couple of teenagers. Sirius backs Remus slowly behind the head table and pins him to the wall. Back to our room. Remus mumbles as he sucks on Sirius's earlobe, anticipating what awaits them in the plush king-sized bed. Sirius laughs, a low thing that sends a rumble through his chest and a shiver down Remus's spine. What was it you kept saying that night? No time. I have plans for you. He starts fumbling with the wall behind Remus as he kisses him again, and Remus works to contain a giggle. You're in the wrong spot, love, he corrects him gently, 
moving them two meters to the left and releasing the hidden latch. I appreciate your enthusiasm, though. He pulls a whining Sirius through the small gap in the wall. I was going to be the one to magic up a room for us to shag in this time, Sirius complains into Remus's neck as he pushes him against the now-closed door, nipping a line down his long throat with sharp, clever teeth. You got to do it last time, and it was incredibly sexy and I wanted you to have that experience. Remus runs his fingers up the soft skin of Sirius's stomach, relishing the contrast between the heat of his flesh and the cool, smooth fabric of his shirt. You're plenty sexy on your own, love. You don't need parlor tricks to get me into bed. Sirius huffs as he pulls Remus into the supply room they'd used last time. Parlor tricks. What are you, 80? Hush, you, Remus laughs, silencing Sirius with a kiss. Sirius presses him to the wall, opening his shirt and planting a line of open-mouthed kisses down his chest. You're really taking this role reversal thing to heart, Remus observes as Sirius kneels to the floor. I expect eye contact from you. Lots of it. Sirius's brows raise as he removes Remus's trousers and pants in one smooth motion, pressing his hips firmly against the wall and giving Remus a look that tells him to hold still. Believe me, I won't miss a second of this, he purrs. Remus's breath hitches as he tries and fails to keep his hips from arching when Sirius takes him into his mouth. Sirius moans around him, and then they're both lost in sensation. Sirius's hot mouth on Remus's velvety skin, Remus's normally gentle fingers tugging on Sirius's hair, both of their heavy breathing as they fight through their pleasure to keep their eyes open, to really see each other. When Remus finishes, he drops to his knees and kisses Sirius hard, maneuvering him flat on the floor and returning the favor. No need to traumatize any poor, unsuspecting employee with our dirty laundry this way, he explains, nuzzling the trail of hair beneath Sirius's navel. Sirius laughs, burying his fingers in Remus's hair. If you, ah, insist. Remus hadn't known before Sirius that sex could be like this. He hadn't understood the power that this kind of intimacy, that knowing and being known, could have. They'd talk, they'd laugh, they'd flirt, and then the entire earth would shatter to pieces between their bodies. Sirius could start to take Remus apart with a look, a single arched eyebrow creating a loose thread he could tug on until Remus was coming undone under his lips and his fingers and his clever, clever tongue. He felt his love as a physical ache when he watched Sirius trembling beneath him, trusting him to give at least as much as he took. He trusted Sirius just the same, and he was overwhelmed by the closeness he felt every time he felt the sweet stretch and burn of Sirius inside him. The part Remus finds he loves more than he ever would have thought possible is when they lie in bed afterwards, legs tangled together while Sirius's head rests on his still sticky with sweat chest. Sometimes they talk about nothing, whispering and laughing together late into the night. Other times, they talk about their pasts and their feelings and their plans for the future, which always account for each other. Often, they lie in comfortable silence, Remus running his fingernails gently across Sirius's scalp while Sirius traces the scars on his chest, knowing they're safe together in the calm they feel as their breath evens and their heart rates return to normal. Tonight, they lay for a few moments wrapped in each other's arms, kissing lazily and letting their heartbeat steady. I love you. 
you know, Remus whispers, burying his face in Sirius's neck. I know. You wouldn't sneak off for a cheeky semi-public shag with just anybody, Sirius says, grinning into Remus's hair. Mm, Remus hums noncommittally, bobbing his head from side to side. I might, especially if they looked like you. Sirius shoves his shoulder, laughing. Fuck you. Again. Already. Sirius pulls him in for another kiss. I love you too, you lanky git. We should get back. The rest of the night passes quickly, a few more perfect stolen moments with their friends as they celebrate Dorcas and Marlene's devotion. The reception lasts until midnight, but the brides look ready to shoo out the well-wishers by eleven, so Remus and Sirius take their leave. You know, I never actually thought I'd get to sleep in one of these beds, Remus says conversationally as he strips down to his boxer briefs. No. Sirius asks, meeting Remus's eyes in the mirror as he finishes his elaborate skin care routine. Could've done it already, really. You had your first chance a year and a half ago. Did I really miss anything, though? Remus flops onto the crisp, white sheets. He sighs. Oh. Yes. Yes, I did. This is lovely. Sirius, back in the bedroom after he finished brushing his teeth, thumps him in the stomach with one of the big feather pillows and is rewarded with an emphatic oof. For his trouble. You missed two extra months with me, you absolute wanker. Oh, yeah. That too, I guess, Remus agrees, stretching out his arm to pull Sirius into his chest and kissing his temple. Don't know how I could have forgotten about that. Sirius, a habitually clingy sleeper, snuggles into Remus's chest. In no time at all, he's nearly asleep, his breathing deep and even, while Remus lies wide awake looking at the ceiling. Sirius, he asks quietly, unsure if he'll get an answer. Mm. Sirius hums sleepily. Will you marry me? Sirius nods slowly, turning his head to place a soft kiss on Remus's chest. Will you remember this in the morning? Remus asks, amused at Sirius's prioritization of sleep over all else. Yes, darling, Sirius confirms. Yes you'll marry me. Or yes you'll remember. Yes to both. And I'll be proper excited about it, too, Sirius assures him through a yawn. What do you think, babe? Will I look good in a wedding dress? Remus kisses the top of his head. You'll be gorgeous. Just like usual, then. Remus laughs and pinches his side. Exactly. Sirius lays his head back down and nuzzles into the crook of Remus's neck. His warm breaths tickle Remus's collarbone as they become deeper and more even, Remus envies his ability to fall asleep in a matter of moments. Remus softly strokes the firm planes of his fiancée's back, lying in a bed like a cloud in an obscenely expensive hotel room, underneath a man he loves so deeply it has left a permanent mark on his soul, and who loves him equally in return. He breathes in the comforting amber and sage scent of Sirius's cologne and sighs in utterly contented bliss. Heavenly, he whispers, kissing Sirius's temple one last time before he joins him in sleep. Suri and Aminike 
Remus and Dorcas settled into a table on the pavement outside the three broomsticks. Both were wearing dark sunglasses and struggling to decide if they'd be able to keep anything down as they teetered on the knife's edge between hungover and still drunk. They attended their first wedding at the Ostentia as guests the previous evening, sneaking into the reception after dinner. They didn't know anyone else and kept more or less to themselves, enjoying the top-shelf liquor from the open bar and the music from a band that frequently played at hotel events. They hadn't intended to stay too late, they just wanted to try on the glamour for a couple hours, but then Caradoc at the bar recognized them and slid them a few cheeky shots, and here they were twelve hours later with hellacious hangovers setting in. Remus looked up from his menu to meet a queasy-looking Dorcas's eyes. I'm thinking a full English. Nothing like a little grease to overcome a proper piss-up. Dorcas visibly gagged. Nope. I'm getting a latte, hoping that's enough for my stomach to recognize that it likes food again, and then something tame. Toast. Porridge. The cafe's owner, a pretty woman apparently named Rosie, came to take their coffee order. A few minutes later they were happily sipping their drinks and gossiping about the night's events. I'm just saying, Remus, I think you could have gone home with the bride's cousin who you kept, coincidentally, bumping into at the bar. What was her name, Suri? That was the bride's name, Cass, honestly. How do you not even know that, it was monogrammed on everything. The cousin's name was Talia, and I wasn't going to leave with someone from a wedding that I wasn't even supposed to attend that was occurring at my place of employment. I like my job. I'm not looking to get fired. Remus could sense her eye roll, even if he couldn't see it behind her dark sunglasses. I forgot, Remus Lupin is a model employee who would never put the sanctity of his role as front desk agent at the most prestigious hotel in London at risk. Remus rolled his eyes in return. No, Remus Lupin has rent to pay and likes having a job that works around his class schedule. You won't goad me into getting sacked, Dorcas. Dorcas raised a mischievous eyebrow, a smirk settling on her lips. Wanna bet? Wanna bet that you won't goad me into getting sacked? Sure, I'll take that action. No. Wanna bet that we can do this again, actually spend time with the guests, and not get caught? Keep our jobs, have some fun, win the honor of being best party crasher. Remus wiggled his head from side to side as he considered it. On the one hand, it was stupid and risky. On the other hand, it sounded like a great time and they definitely weren't the only ones who had a few sneaky cocktails off the open bar last night. And he loved a good dare. Fine, Meadows, you're on. How do we measure who's the best? It has to be objective or you'll just say you won regardless of who actually was the best infiltrator. Dorcas smiled at him fondly as she finished her cinnamon latte. Objective measures. You must be fun at parties. I'm a fucking blast, actually. It's not my fault you're a cheater, Remus responded snidely. Okay, fine, we'll make some rules. What's something that makes a wedding risky? Dorcas asked thoughtfully. Getting fired. Obviously. But what gets you fired? Getting caught crashing. Dorcas put her glasses on top of her head specifically so Remus could watch her roll her eyes this time, then replace them on her face. 
What makes you most likely to get caught? Spending a lot of time with people who are close to the couple, right? The people who are most likely to recognize most of the guests will be the most likely to notice people who don't belong. So, the couple, and their parents, and their immediate family members, and the wedding party. Right? Yeah, that's probably accurate. Plus any of those really public things that happen at weddings. Bouquet toss and the like. Okay, so bouquet toss is definitely on the list, that's a great one. How about just, like, spending time with the wedding party? How do we measure that? Dorcas asked. Shots. You get a point when you take a shot with the wedding party, Remus decided after a moment's deliberation. The whole wedding party. People are all over the place at weddings. That'd be way too hard. Remus knit his brows, considering. You have to have at least three members of the wedding party. One person won't ask questions. Two probably won't either, especially if they're from the same part of the couple's life. You know, both uni friends or something. But three people makes it more likely that they don't all know each other and will figure out that you don't belong. Dorcas nodded, adding it to the note she was making in her phone. Do we get a point for every shot we do with these people, then? Hell yes. It's way harder to keep your story straight when you're pissed. You've earned them. Okay, so what about the couple, then? Are they part of the wedding party? I think we should count them separately. It's their party, they know the guests. Having them around is way higher risk, Dorcas suggested. Remus nodded. Definitely. More points for the bride or groom. Write it down. No, I think more points if it's both of them. If it's just one, they'll assume you're the other's colleague or something. Having them both there together requires they ask no questions. Riskier. More valuable. Okay, deal, Remus agreed. What do you think about dancing? It's something that you do as part of the crowd, but also people notice when you're particularly good or particularly bad at it. Dorcas thought about it for a few seconds, sipping the second latte Rosie had just set in front of her. I think it's for certain things. Like, if you do a cheesy group dance. Or if you dance with somebody that will get people asking questions, like a kid or a grandma. Aren't parents going to be uncomfortable with strangers dancing with their kids? Remus asked, concern evident. You don't go in alone, Remus. You dance with the kid and their trusted adult, Dorcas said in a tone that suggested Remus was asking a stupid question. Hot single mums exist, Remus. So do hot single uncles and, very occasionally, hot single grandmas. Oh, so this is an angle to hook up. Dorcas nodded, glad he finally caught on. Remus paused for a second, then suggested hesitantly. So, we do points for hookups. Dorcas tilted her head, studying his face with a somewhat predatory look. You know, I kind of think we do, she said, nodding slowly as she became more confident in the idea. The closer your hookup is to the couple, the more points they're worth. What, 10 points for a general guest, 15 for a cousin, 20 for a sibling, 25 for a member of the wedding party? Remus asked. Whoa, no way, 
those numbers are way inflated. It's not an incentive to toy with people, Remus, Dorcas admonished. Remus raised an eyebrow at her. I'm not a monster, Dorcas, I'm not going to prey on the groom's ex who considers him the one who got away or anything. Just like, you know. A bonus for something you were going to do anyway. Okay, good, fine. But those numbers are still all wrong. I can tell your family is small. People have too many cousins, Remus, it's too easy if they're included. We'll have to narrow it down to immediate family members. Remus shrugged, nodding in agreement. Seems fair. So, what, immediate family members and members of the wedding party on the same point tier? For most people they seem like they'd be about the same degree of close. Probably the same people in most cases. Sure, Dorcas agreed, then a wicked smile overtook her face. How do you feel about somebody who is an authority figure to the couple? Define, authority figure. You know, boss, former teacher, former coach. Somebody who could have mentored them at some point. Remus grinned back. That's so weird. Yes. Absolutely. I love it. Make that the next tier up. You don't think immediate family members pose more risk than authority figures? Dorcas asked. I mean, how often do you tell your parents who you're casually shagging? Remus shot back. Dorcas wrinkled her nose in a clear expression of disgust. Exactly. The risk of being caught is lower. If it's an authority figure, sure, you're probably less likely to get caught, but it's definitely more inappropriate. Riskier for both of you. Way sexier. Dorcas cackled. Oh, that's treacherous, Lupin. I love it. Remus preened, he loved it when people appreciated his genius. And to round it out, Cass continued. The most points for best man or maid of honor. Right? Obviously, Remus agreed. They haggled over final point values and added a few more opportunities to the list. Attending the wedding, which was risky because everyone would still be sober, and wearing something that would intentionally grab attention were new additions. They also added taking a photo with both members of the couple, which was invasive enough of an activity that it might garner some questions. Dorcas pushed for 100 points if one of them did the dance to Thriller in its entirety. A hundred points for Thriller, Meadows? Really? Remus complained, incredulous. If you want to see it, you need to create an incentive, Lupin, Dorcas prodded. Remus sighed. Fifty. Deal. They shook hands, and Dorcas's devilish grin was back. I would have agreed for twenty-five. Finally they had their rule book completed, with examples and point values and a process for making amendments. I'll make a spreadsheet for all this when I get home, Dorcas said as they paid their bill. Remus raised a skeptical brow. Isn't that taking it a little far, Cass, he asked her. She gave him a dead-eyed stare. We just spent 45 minutes developing a scorecard assigning point values to strangers we'll eventually sleep with, but a spreadsheet pushes you over the ethical edge. Remus shrugged. Well, when you put it like that, it sounds stupid. Dorcas shook her head. That's because it is. 
Besides, Lupin, I know your shit at maths. Betty and Dorothea Dorcas looked around the Astentia's ballroom, hoping to catch a glimpse of Remus before she left for the night. He'd spent most of the evening playing hard to get with the late twenties son of one of the brides, and judging by the fact she couldn't find his lanky figure in the crowd, he finally allowed himself to be caught. She was glad he seemed to be having a good time. Dorcas, on the other hand, was tired, and her feet were sore, and for a lesbian wedding, options of women to sleep with here shockingly thin on the ground. She supposed it wasn't that surprising, this was the second wedding for two women in their early sixties, so it would make sense that most of their loved ones were already married. Dorcas was a little disappointed there wasn't a single lesbian or bisexual divorcee in the bunch, but so it went sometimes. She'd happily spent the evening dancing with a delightful group of middle-aged women who would just love to set her up with their sons, wouldn't she please take their numbers? Several of them were there with their grandchildren, so Dorcas racked up a bunch of points passing kids around their dance circle. The dearth of single women also meant she didn't have much competition for the bouquet toss, so she got an easy 12 points there, too. She'd kept a close eye on the bar, and the general air of maturity in the group didn't allow for many shots. She was pretty sure even without pulling tonight, she'd have this round in the bag. She checked to make sure her phone, ID, and credit card were all in her sequined clutch and made for the exit. The couple, Betty and Dorothea, caught her on the way out. Oh, it was so lovely of you to come, dear. We hope you had a good time. Dorothea, a petite redhead with a classic pixie cut and ample smile lines, wished Dorcas well on her way out. Betty, a stout woman with long dark hair peppered with greys, added. It was lovely to meet you. Tell your tall friend we're glad he could make it, as well. Dorcas paused, taken aback. Thank you, she paused, unsure of the correct response in this situation. Were they sincere, or were they being politely snide about two strangers showing up on one of the most important days of their lives? I'm sorry, it is so inappropriate of me to even be here and I'm a little mortified, to be honest. Betty laughed, a full-throated sound that came from deep in her abdomen. Oh, dear, don't be embarrassed. You didn't take anything that wasn't going to go to waste anyway, and my Jason was quite taken with your friend. We remember what it was like to be young and looking to muck about a bit. It's a lot easier to be relaxed about a second wedding than it is about the first one, especially when you're as old as we are. The two women smiled warmly at each other, the love between them evident in their expressions. Dorcas smiled back, genuinely appreciative of the sentiment. I really did have a lovely time, the wedding was beautiful. I'd like something similar for myself someday. Dorothea grasped Dorcas's hand, understanding her meaning immediately. You'll have it, pet, I'm certain of it. You're young, you have plenty of time to find her. You're doing better than we were at your age, at the very least. We were both married to men we loved platonically and changing nappies at your age. Dorcas grimaced at the image. I bet the compulsory heterosexuality was a real bitch, huh? Betty let out another belly laugh while Dorothea couldn't stop a distinctly unladylike snort. Betty agreed, mirth twinkling in her dark eyes. Sure, dear, whatever you say. It was worth it though, 
wouldn't trade our kids for the world. Your friend wouldn't have had nearly as much fun, for one thing. Dorcas felt herself flush on Remus's behalf. Well, thank you for being so welcoming all the same. I had a lovely time, it was a pleasure meeting you and your friends and family. You're welcome, pet, Dorothea responded. We're thrilled you came to celebrate with us, stranger or otherwise. Dorcas took a couple steps for the door before turning around. Excuse me, I'm sorry, just one more thing. Do you think I could take a picture with you? It was such a beautiful wedding, and you two have been absolutely wonderful. The couple agreed, sandwiching Dorcas between them as all three women beamed for a photo. Dorcas thanked them again, hugging them gently before she left. My name is Dorcas, by the way. Dorcas Meadows, she said, waving. Pleased to officially meet you, Dorcas Meadows. Dorcas was first to their table at the Three Broomsticks the following morning, ordering a cinnamon latte and Greek omelette for herself and an Earl Grey and full English for Remus as she waited. She opened her Facebook app to find, much to her surprise, friend requests from both Betty and Dorothea. Dorcas immediately accepted and uploaded the photo from the night before, tagging them both to make sure they saw it, too. Dorcas was halfway through her coffee before Remus came strolling casually up the pavement. He was wearing fresh clothes and his hair was still damp from the shower, so he must have gone home, but he didn't sleep much if the dark circles under his eyes were any indication. Good night, was it? Dorcas asked Riley, watching as he sipped his tea smugly. The self-satisfaction rolled off him in waves, until that moment, Dorcas hadn't realized it was even possible to convey smugness via drinking. Mm-hmm, he hummed in agreement, looking at her over the rim of his cup. His movements were relaxed. Languid. Confident. Whether it was because he was certain of his victory or because he'd just been railed six ways from Sunday, Dorcas wasn't sure. You have a good time with Jason, then? Dorcas asked, trying to pull any information out of him. Mm, did I ever, Remus replied, not giving anything more away. All right, well, if you don't want to cough up any details, I guess I'll get right to the scoring, shall I? Dorcas got to work, adding up her total points. So, once I add in the bouquet and the photo I took with the brides, who were delightful by the way, don't let me forget to tell you about them, my total is, 31. I win. No, you're not. I scored it on the way here. Put them in. I already did. Three points for the ceremony, two points for shots with Jason and his sisters, four points for participating in that embarrassing conga line, plus hooking up with Jason gives us 24. I told you, I won. First of all, I also danced with Jason's niece, which puts me up to at least 27. Second of all, you're scoring Jason wrong. He's an immediate family member who was a groomsman. That hookup was worth 20 points. I scored 32. I won. No, our list of family members doesn't include children. No way. 15 points for the groomsman. Cass, you're being a sore loser. The lists were never intended to be all-inclusive. Just because we didn't foresee crashing a wedding where the brides had adult children doesn't stop those adult children aren't immediate family members. 
It doesn't count, Remus, if I would have realized he was worth 20 points, I would have fought for rock the boat or something. Dorcas. This argument is ridiculous. Explain to me what could make someone more of an immediate family member than actually birthing them. I'll wait. Dorcas glared daggers at him, knowing he was right but unwilling to admit it out loud. We both know I won this round. Just give it up. Dorcas sighed and nodded, acknowledging the defeat. Remus put on a shit-eating grin. Not only had he gotten laid when Dorcas hadn't, now she had to buy him brunch, too. They ate in relative quiet, Remus gloating and Dorcas sulking, until Remus was willing to extend an olive branch. You said the brides were nice, he asked, moving a sausage from his plate to hers as a peace offering. Dorcas pulled out her phone to show him the selfie. They grabbed me before I left to thank me for coming. They knew we didn't belong the whole time, by the way, they said to tell you they were glad you could make it as well. Betty said, her Jason, was quite taken with you. I hope you're not going to break his heart, it'll make my new Facebook friendship with them awkward. Remus let out an incredulous laugh. You're friends with them on Facebook. How and why? Because they were sweet. Their lesbian relationship goals, Remus, of course I accepted the friend requests, they're my mums now. Tell me true, Rem, are you going to ruin my stepbrother's life with your wiles? Remus's laugh shook his entire body. When Dorcas raised her eyebrow at him in invitation, he finally caved. Well, let's just say your new brother has a mouth on him. He pulled the neck of his t-shirt to the side to reveal a series of dark purple bruises along his collarbone. Remus, she chided, trying to hold back a snort. You should have ordered that boy curry or something, he was hungry. By the time Rosie brought their check, Dorcas had much more information about Jason's specific appetites than she was actually looking for. She'd never make the mistake of asking Remus for details again, that was for certain. Aisling and Ryan Remus arrived at the three broomsticks first, glancing through the menu and deciding on his usual as Dorcas pulled out her chair. They had played their first round of their game the night before, and both were excited to see the final tally. Remus started off strong, with five points for attending the ceremony and several rounds of shots. Dorcas had looked stunning in a 60s mod-style dress and makeup that somehow didn't look like a costume. She'd been approached by no fewer than six women to comment on her outfit, which she felt made it qualify as conspicuous, whether they agreed to it beforehand or not. Remus eventually agreed, he was an honorable opponent, and the go-go boots made it tough to argue against her. When they started tallying their hookup totals, Remus was in the lead with a score of 16 to Dorcas's 13. Dorcas had left with the maid of honor at half eleven and was very proud to have scored the highest tier points on their first try. Remus was claiming three hookups, a quick, messy blowjob in the bathroom with the groom's supervisor and an all-night affair as the third with a married couple who had been friends with the bride and groom for years but were otherwise not closely associated. Not enough for bonus points, anyway, which Remus considered a shame given he had managed two pulls at once. Dorcas, however, was digging in her heels. You don't get to count the supervisor, Remus. You can have twenty points for the couple. 
I got a blowy in the loo, I don't know how much more of a hookup that could be, he asked, voice rising to a volume that attracted a sidelong look from a retirement-aged group of women two tables over. You didn't fuck him. Dorcas cried loudly enough that one of the women audibly gasped. Remus's eyes went wide as Dorcas began to giggle. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, she apologized. That was so inappropriate. We'll keep it down. The second word in oral sex is, sex, Dorcas. It absolutely counts. Remus hissed while two girls in their late teens settled in behind him. Dorcas could see them starting to giggle over his shoulder, despite the decrease in volume. She mouthed a quick, sorry, in their direction and went back to their argument. Bullshit. You just think it should count because it's quick and easy for you to do in a public lav, Lupin. You want the advantage. Remus scoffed, offended that she was impugning his honor. That's not true at all. I think it should count because it fucking counts. It's so obvious that it counts that I can't even form a coherent argument for it, it's like explaining that grass is green or Mondays are the worst day of the week. It's just the way the world is, Dorcas, and you can't fight me on it. He was getting louder again, clearly frustrated by her unwillingness to see reason. The hell I can't. Dorcas retorted, matching his pitch. What, are you going to let me count fingering? Remus was silent as the mum sitting next to the door tutted at them. What was that? Did I hear a, yes, there, Remus, she asked, cupping her hand sarcastically around her ear as if she thought she was just unable to hear him. No, he said, quieter but firm. No. Now, if a blowy in the stall counts as a hookup, why shouldn't some heavy petting? Remus sighed, exhaustion in his voice. We're fucking adults, Dorcas. We really don't need to quantify sex in this way, it's juvenile. Dorcas rolled her eyes. If it means that I win, we abso-fucking-lutely do need to quantify it, actually. She took out her phone, ready to resolve this argument the logical way they always did, with a list. Okay, so obviously penetration counts. Remus snorted. Meadows, you're a lesbian. If penetration is all we count, you're going to make this unnecessarily difficult for yourself. In what world is one item a list, Lupin? You know we're not done here, she said, shushing him. Moving on. Penetration, check. How do we feel about oral? Remus grinned at her mischievously. I'm pretty sure we're both quite fond of it. She snorted and was about to reopen the discussion when the mum approached their table. Listen, I couldn't help but overhear, she said with a tone that was nothing short of hostile. The other people trying to enjoy their breakfast would appreciate it if you could take this discussion elsewhere. Remus and Dorcas both blushed, suddenly realizing just how crowded the cafe had become. Yes, okay, that's fair. We'll put this on hold, Remus agreed taking out his wallet to pay. We're very sorry, Dorcas apologized. We got a little carried away. Apology accepted, the mum said with a sniff. Also, you're making this much harder than it needs to be. A hookup is clearly any encounter where you or your partner have the end goal of getting off. 
Remus let out a loud snort as Dorcas cackled. Dorcas turned to Remus, dark eyes alight. We clearly should have pulled her in earlier. Think she wants to play? Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.